This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Oh, here it comes, here it comes. Can we imagine at some point Will Smith was singing this to his wife, Jada? Because, you know, she's like twice his age. You know, he's like, a, she's a mommy figure to him. Sort of like Macron's wife in France, who could easily be his grandmother. But I could easily see Will Smith actually with a high soprano voice singing this to what is that Jada Pinkett Smith I think that never trust anybody with three names and never trust anybody who has two first names out of the three names right but I could easily see them just just on that ballroom dancing floor going round and round and round because what people don't understand in this universe is the eternal love they have for each other and they have for other men and women. You know, it's an open marriage. None of your freaking business. They want to be a little freaky deaky? That's one thing. But don't, don't say anything about that person in Will Smith's life who's more than a woman. More. This was the song I couldn't wait until they played at the disco because when you had eventually honed in on the young lady that you said, hey, who knows, this could be the one, right? You wanted to get on the dance floor and just very slowly grab her to you and begin that dance. And then who knows what might happen. Except in the case of Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, we know it leads to a lot of freaky-deaky stuff. But then again, mind your own business. Aren't you all libertarians out there? And can you believe that we are one week after, because it is now officially Sunday, one week after the Oscars, the slap, which I said is a fake, phony, fugazi slap. Not a slap at all. You know, these are actors, Stesmians, they practice this. But then 99% of the rest of you want to believe what you saw as being the real deal. So I'm going to roll with that. And it is so incredible because it all started, all started with just a Chris Rock joke. It, It wasn't a very long joke. Uh, Dizzy Izzy, could you play that joke for us again? Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? Right, short, sweet, to the point. In fact, if you were picking your nose 
or if you were pushing uh, on your tush or your tuchus or dragging on your dress because the ladies at the Oscars were wearing enormous dresses, and even some of the transgenders, their dresses were actually better than some of the ladies. But the point is, you might have missed it. You know, it's like I was at the Super Bowl at the old uh, Astrodome. Actually, it was a new stadium uh, for the uh, uh, Texas team. Uh, right next to the Astrodome. And I'll never forget the wardrobe malfunction. Remember? Justin Timberlake said it was a wardrobe malfunction that uh, took place with Janet Jackson. And we found out years later it was a setup. We were all faked out. I was in the stands. Granted, I was up there in the nosebleed stands. But nobody who was actually at that Super Bowl game saw the wardrobe malfunction. Only those of you who were at home. And it was very adeptly done because like everybody else, I watched a replay of Justin Timberlake with um, with Jackson over and over and over and over. Janet Jackson. And I said to myself, yeah, maybe, possibly, could be, right? It went on for weeks. It went on for months. It went on for years until finally we realized we all got bamboozled. Look how much attention Justin Timberlake got. Look how much attention Janet Jackson got, although when she became a holy roller later on, ah, that definitely dogged her. Remember, she went from being she went from being a Jehovah Witness to then being demonic, decadent, hedonistic. And then all of a sudden she was back to being a holy roller of a different type. In fact, we're going into that later on in this program. New Hampshire is the most hedonistic state in the nation. It has the most atheist agnostics that now overpopulate the religious and the evangelicals, the hellfire breathers, have decided they're going to defend on the state, live free and die, where they believe that everybody should have a gun and they're libertarians because they're out there to convert the heathens. You're not going to want to miss this. And by the way, Denzel... He's become a real hellfire breather there from Mount Vernon in Westchester, Fordham University, a ram. Who knew that he was such a holy roller? Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I got a hit. Oh, my God. I hit myself right in my medulla and cerebellum. I got to hear that Chris Rock joke just one more time. It was so fleeting. It was so ephemeral. It lasted the life of a titsy fly on an orange that you were going to buy uh, in the vegetable rack. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? Okay, now we know what transpired afterwards. So in the last few days, believe it or not, they've had seminars on this subject, yes. Uh, the brainiacs at major colleges and universities across America felt that they had to sit down and discuss the idiosyncrasies of one man slapping another man. But because it involved two Euro-Asiatic black men who have done well in their ventures in life, it had special meaning. And I happened to watch one of these seminars the other night, and it flipped my script. So first off, a professor not far from us, that has produced many liberal, progressives, democratic socialists of America, justice warriors. In fact, many of you may have gone to this college, Hunter College, 
right over there, like 68th and Lexington in the shadow of the armory. How many of you out there actually went to Hunter College? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And all of its professors decided to weigh in. Her name, Asa Nafatari. Sounds like she's trying to be... Yeah, I don't know, Cleopatra, maybe uh, claiming that she is a Nubian princess. You know, know, I'm sure people out there know exactly what I'm talking about when I mention Nubians. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I see that apparently there is some problems with our discarnificator tonight. Dizzy, Izzy, I'm very, very upset with you. I don't know if you've locked into the proper coordinates. I know that Dan, the man, our head engineer, working very hard tonight at Bada Bing. The strip joint, which is in Lodi, New Jersey, featured, as you know, in The Sopranos. And Dan spends most of the day updating his Facebook profile at Bada Bing, believe it or not, talking about how he stopped at Denny's and talked about, you know, he takes a picture of the Grand Slam he had and what he had before he climbs the Tower of Power there. 50,000 powerful watts of sound that reach out to 38 states, parts of Canada, and yes, even the rim of Europe. It is the most listened-to station in America. And if you're not just listening to your terrestrial radio, like I listen to it on, but I'm old school, I'm a boomer. So many of you can take advantage of the many apps out there or the stream And hear it crystal clear. You can be in the jungles of Indonesia or Borneo or Java. As long as you get a signal. Let's not get too carried away. You know, before all of a sudden the pygmies have surrounded you and say, what the hell are you listening to? And you say, I'm listening to WABC in New York City. And they're saying, no, you're not. You're listening to us. We want to know what the hell you're doing on our island in Java. Well, I'm just happy to be listening, uh, you know, like I'm Robinson Crusoe. Can you believe that stuff? Or that Tom Hanks movie, remember when that Federal Express jet went down and all of a sudden he ends up talking to a freaking volleyball through the whole movie and they wanted to give him an Academy Award for that. I would have Will Smithed him up there if they gave Tom Hanks an Academy Award for that performance where he spent three quarters of the movie talking to a volleyball. And by the way, what was the name of the volleyball? As we begin our pursuit of trivia... We focus on trivia, unlike some other shows, like Frank Morano's, who claims that trivia is a waste of time, doesn't lead to further conversation. He couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. What was the name of that volleyball that Tom Hanks was shanghaied with on an island like Robinson Crusoe until eventually he was rescued? And who was the actress? who he returned to, who had already moved on. Oh, God. It was like he was impaled. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Clearly, we are having problems with our discronificator. Izzy, I don't know what the hell you're doing, what buttons you press there, maybe your belly button, maybe it was below your navel. That's why you seem to have that perpetual smile on your face. But we are not getting our AM signal choreographed with our spectrometer, which is our FM signal from WLI out in the Hamptons. It is so important that they converge 
Because then all of a sudden we have the power of the number one AM news talk station in the nation, WABC. And an FM station, our sister station, WLIR. And there's nothing more powerful in the nation than that. But right now, there's a conflict going on. The spectrometer is not merging with the discronificator. And uh, Dan the Man seems to be too busy getting brumskis and lap dances at Pada Bing. While Dizzy Izzy here is searching for his belly button, except... Why are your hands going below your belly button south of your navel, please? This is a family PG program here, Dizzy Izzy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. One little joke. Can I hear it one more time? I can't believe that the whole world is mishigash over this one simple little slip of the lip for purposes of edification. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? It's like all of a sudden a volcano, Mount Vesuvius erupted. It's like lava came pouring out in all of its various noxious forms. Who would have believed? And I want you to listen to Professor, what is her name? Aphrodite here, Isa Naftari. A Nubian princess probably claims to have Egyptian boobs. Who knows? Maybe she claims to be related to Anwar Sadat himself or Mubarak or General Sassi. In the sands of Egypt, in the shadow of the pyramids and the Sphinx. 1-800-848-9222. Now, what words of wisdom did the professor of Hunter College have for us, Izzy? What was happening there is really rooted and steeped in a 400-year commitment to Black erasure, Black marginalization, Black silencing, and the stereotyping of Black people. All of that was present in a visceral, felt, and real way in the infamous slap. Hold on a second. You mean to tell me from that simple statement, can I hear it again? Can I hear? Can I hear, Chris Rock? Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane, too. Can't wait to see it. All right? So I am to believe that what followed the so-called slap was a representation of 400 years of oppression and prejudice against Euro-Asiatic proud black men. Can I hear that professor again? Can I hear her from Hunter College? What was happening there is really rooted and steeped in a 400-year commitment to Black erasure, Black marginalization, Black silencing, and the stereotyping of Black people. All of that was present in a visceral, felt, and real way in the infamous slap. What the hell is she talking about? Chris Rock from Brooklyn. Will Smith from Philly. How many times have you come across brothers... Even when they're doing well in the clubs or they're doing well in business or they're doing well in IT, have some words because, yo, I'm from Brooklyn, man. We don't take that nonsense. Hey, man, I'm from from Southwest Philly, man. We go to war over words like that, right? I mean, that's traditional, right? And now this woman is talking 400 years of oppression for your yo Asiatic black men. Hold it. It gets better. Let's go to the Harvard 
of the South in North Carolina, Duke University. By the way, isn't Duke in the Final Four, right? Isn't uh, playing North Carolina? Hey, typical East North Carolina schools. I actually like Jimmy Vaccaro when he was alive. The Wolfpack. Yeah, Wolfpack. North Carolina State. Hey, Nancy was telling me the other day she wanted to go to North Carolina State. And I said to her, what was that, four years ago? Because by the looks of it, you're like, what, 28, 29? You know, they accused me of snatching from the cradle. But who knows? He probably doesn't even know. Valvano. Wait a second. Why am I saying Vaccaro? Wasn't it Jimmy Valvano? who was originally from Iona College and then went over to the Wolfpack, became the coach, but unfortunately passed away from throat cancer. Am I right on that? Am I right on that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. By the way, this second, in the shadow of the coach who learned under Bobby Knight at the um, West Point, who is that coach? And try to pronounce his name. And of what ethnic group is the coach of Duke? And the reason I mention this is I have a feeling that the coach of Duke in the Final Four would never, ever have said what this Duke professor said in relationship to Chris Rock, Will Smith, and Jada Smith. Here he is, Mark Anthony Neal. Wow. Three names. Like I told you, never trust anyone with two first names or with three names. Two first names in the three names. Could I hear Mark Anthony Neal, professor of Duke University? But I think in this instance, you know, the expectation that black men show up is not something in which we resort to violence. I I think like Issa suggested, we saw a man who was unhinged in that moment. And the only thing that seemed to be in his toolbox to respond to that moment was an act of violence. What the hell is he talking about? I was in Penn Station tonight. All kinds of emotionally disturbed, all kinds of homeless. Why well, was with the Guardian Angels? We were hunting for Hatchet Man, a black guy supposedly from Newark who took a hatchet to another homeless person. What does that say about him? I wonder if uh, what Professor uh, Isa Naftari the Nubian princess, or the Duke professor, Mark Anthony Neal, would have said about that. Yeah, he's insane in the brain. He took a hatchet to another black man. He needs to be put into a mental health care facility and then transferred to the psychiatric hospital for the criminally insane. And I know exactly where he can go. Right there in Randall's Island, Kirby Psychiatric. I don't think that would jive with what these two professors said. No, and in fact... The Duke professor wanted to um, wanted to even get further into this nonsense. Uh, play it, is he play it? But I also don't want to erase it by by uh, Chris Rock in that moment. You know, in his critique or joke of Jada Pinkett Smith, an extension of a broader critique of black women. You know, is it ever a comfortable space to make fun of the kind of chronic diseases that black women are suffering? Right. So in that regard, I absolutely agree with Issa that we're seeing a continuation of almost a spectacle of black pain, you know, broadcast to millions and millions of people. He's got to be kidding. No, no, he's not. Back comes the professor from Hunter College, the Nubian princess, Professor Aisha Naftari, who talked about black pain that triggered this. Did you know that, ladies and gentlemen? Black pain. Talk about 
black pain as it relates to Jada Pinkett Smith in this moment um, and to black women. Um, was Chris Rock's joke about her shaved head, did it go beyond an insensitivity to her medical condition, alopecia, but did it also um, hit at issues surrounding black beauty? Black beauty? Is there anyone out there who wouldn't suggest that Jada Pinkett Smith, I never trust anybody with three names, is a beautiful African-American queen? Of course she is. With hair, without hair, she's gorgeous. A little bit on the older side, like Mommy Dearest. You know, I really think that her two kids in the future since they uh, expound and are exponents of expressing themselves at a very young age, will probably end up writing a book, Volume 2, Mommy Dearest, about Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, I have a feeling, yes. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Walter. Who's calling from Long Island? Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Walter. Hey, Curtis. Good to see you. So his name is Wilson. I'll go real quick. And I will talk about my wife, Payne. I've been standing for nine hours. I got hemorrhoids hanging out of my bunghole right now. No one talks about my <sighs> this. This is who Aubrey picked as the best caller of the lot. Let me tell you something, Aubrey. Uh, are you JV? Are you ready to join the bar? WABC. My God, that guy was a kukulamunga. Did you hear him? Uh, they call it Preparation H. Walter, I'll rub it, smear it all over your body. You'll dry up and just whoosh, float away into the Long Island Sound. Speaking of hemorrhoids, in just a few hours, I'll be joined by the aggressive progressive Chris Hahn, left versus right, three to five. I'd like to smear some preparation all over Chris Hahn and just make him dry up and blow away. Over Sunken Meadows Park, right there, North Shore, Long Island Sound. You can watch, you can watch the seals out there on the rocks. How many of you out there have seen the seals come up on the rocks of the North Shore of Long Island Sound? Oh, yeah. Rock, rock, rock. It's all seals. Mother Nature. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's uh, test Aubrey's acumen as a phone screener here and our overnight producer. As he multitasks. We'll go to Danny, Dan the Man in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Danny. Yeah, the name of the ball was Wilson and the actress was Helen Hunt. Yes, that's right. Remember how crestfallen Tom Hanks was when he found out that that Helen Hunt had moved on. Do you remember that look on his face, Danny? Where did Danny go? What, did he disappear into the abyss? What are these, uh, like Frank Morano callers? You know, no, no, Frank Morano callers. You know, it's like quick, quick. It's like speed reading. You know, you have to give a quick response because then he wants to move on and on and hear himself talk. Endless hours. Hey, would you let the callers talk? They've been conditioned. They've been conditioned. That's why 
I have beseeched, I have begged our owners and operators of our parent company, Red Apple Media, John Katsimatidis and Margot, to please lease one of the old Borscht Belt hotels over the summer. I don't care if it's Kushner's, the Concord, Browns, Grossinger's. I know many of them are empty. Who knows? It may be filled with cobwebs, bats, squirrels, raccoons. We'll clean it up. And we'll have a um, re-education camp for our for our callers because the one thing that I like to promote here is more calls. As you know, I don't have guests. It's very different than uh, some of the other shows that you hear on WABC. You get a panoply of different ways that people handle a talk radio program. I like you to be heard. Uh, I go against the grain that says only 1%. And these are the analytics. 1%. Of the people who listen to talk radio even bother to call a talk radio program. It could be any talk radio program in their entire life. And I say, no, 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 no. No, no, no. It can't just be the domain fool. And I'm not talking Dominion and Smartmatic here. Don't get me started on that. And my kumbadi cheats, Ruli Giuliani, who said the election was stolen for President Donald Trump. Nope, that's not what I'm talking. Dominion. 1-800-848-9222. That is correct, though. Yet we couldn't give out our booby prize because uh, a typical Frank Morano caller who's used to being truncated and uh, getting a verbal briss did not stay on the line to get the WABC Curtis Sliwa hat so that you can style it and profile it. And if you happen to be in a gang fight or you're getting bum-rushed or carjacked, or some enemy of society is menacing you, fornicating, mad-dogging you, all you got to do is flash that cap at them and say, I may not have the wherewithal to handle you and your crew. But you see that name, Curtis Lever? He'll hit you so hard, your mother will feel the vibrations. one 800 Let's go to Glenn calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn. Hey, Curtis. I, uh, I wanted to uh, mention that uh, I'm from Jersey, and I think we're going to have to impose some sanctions on you, just like the you know, like Russia is getting sanctions. You're going to get sanctions here in Jersey. I, I contributed to your uh, your campaign, but when you turn around, okay, and you claim to be animal rights, and you say, kill the peacocks, you want the peacocks dead? That was too much. You're, how, how can you go against a, a team in the New York metropolitan area and, and rather see North Carolina win? Let me explain to you that when you're in the Final Four, you're all peacocks. You're all strutting around thinking your stuff don't smell. Right? Am I right or wrong, Clayton? If you make it to the Final Four, you're, you're a pretty damn good basketball team. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, right. and, and they, I think St. Peter's uh, proved themselves. Right, and they, but they didn't make it to the Final Four. They made well, it to Sweet they, Sixteen. They went a lot further than anybody expected. Yeah, but they had their parade in Jersey City. People finally understood that they had a college in Jersey City. Most people didn't know that. They knew only that they had the high school, the Jesuit High School, St. Peter's. They really didn't know they had the college. Now they're all they're all proud. They're throwing their chests out. Uh, did the players wear their Black Lives Matter jerseys for the parade, uh, recognizing their accomplishment? 
I don't know, but I uh, tell you, you know, you you did a you did a, a, a wrong by turning around and dissing uh, New York Metropolitan. You can see Jersey City from New York. How can how can you do that? First of all, it's part of what county, uh, Glenn? Hudson, the most corrupt county in all America. Correct. Yes. You know what? Come I on. think I think I think because the Jesuits had kicked you to the curb. I think you have, still have it out for any Catholic schools. Well, hold on a second, Glenn. The coach, the phenom coach, right, who took you to the Sweet 16, great wife, great family. He was the poster boy for everything that the NCAA wanted to promote. What happened as soon as St. Peter's lost? What happened? What happened, Glenn? Where, where, where was the loyalty? He walked across over to... Uh, South Orange. He, he, yeah. Signed that up. That was his alma mater. That's where, he, that's where he... A Jesuit school, right? A Jesuit school, right? Mm-hmm. Jesuits robbed from Jesuits. I see. Yeah. Your tongue, your tongue tied, huh, Glenn? Where, <laughs> yeah, where, was, Glenn, his, where was his loyalty? All right. You're almost like saying two, uh, two, uh, two wrongs make a right. Excuse me. Where did he go? He went for you to this. He went from Hudson County to Essex County, right? He crossed that Mm -hmm. national line. Glenn, you should never, ever forgive that. That was a shanda. That was a disgraziada. Ah, but you see, everything is, hey, St. Peter's, they're wearing Black Lives Matter jersey. It's okay. They're naive kids. They're good kids, right? They're good basketball players. I don't doubt that. They were up against stiff competition. Purdue, the Boilermakers, oh, my God. They thought they could just dunk their way into the final four. Not. Our number is 1-800-848-9222, as Glenn tried to pimp slap me all the way from uh, Jersey. I ducked. You didn't Will Smith me. 1-800-848-9222. Ah, that could be a Will Smith song to Jada Pinkett Smith. Right? I mean, uh, he could be uh, crooning a Billy Joel tune from the bug-eyed, bugaboo uh, crooner. Uh, He's having another concert at Madison Square Garden. I was there at Penn Station earlier dealing with the flotsam and jetsam, patrolling with the guardian angels for Hatchet Man. And uh, all people kept saying is, oh, Billy Joel's coming again. Oh, 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 it's going to be like Rocky Horror. We get to lip sync all the lines. Every month, it's Billy Joel, Billy Joel. Please, the Depends Tour, stop. Stop with this Billy Joel. Enough, I don't want to hear anymore. Let's go back to the phones because we heard from the professors as they bisected and dissected the 400 years of oppression of Euro-Asiatic black men that led to Will Smith smacking, smacking Chris Rock. Can I hear that? Chris Rock again? Just, I cannot believe that this all emanated from something that was so ephemeral, so quick. If you weren't rapidly paying attention, you wouldn't have even known he said it. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? And this has led to seminars at major black colleges of America in which they're beginning to probe into the mindset of the Euro-Asiatic black man and why he would do that on a stage. 
because they're human beings. And this is what sometimes human beings do to one another. Not because they're black or white or any other color, but they're off the hook. Let's go, though. Dominic Carter, who you can hear every Monday through Friday from 12 to 1 in the morning. Although they played musical chairs with me, uh, and I had no idea what the hell was going on. Dominic was missing in action Friday night going into Saturday morning, and now apparently he's stolen an hour from me on Sunday night going into Monday morning, and it affects the Animal Welfare Hour. Ha! Huh. And this was all created by Frank Morano. I know that. I can feel it in the marrow of my bone. Let's go, though, to a caller who was engaging Dominic on the issue that won't go away, the slap. Let's go to Jim in Freehold, New Jersey. Good morning, Jim. What's on your mind? Good morning. I'm t- I'd like to talk about Will Smith's situation. Go ahead. I've been married for over 50-some years, and I, I, I think I know exactly what happened. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that Will Smith laughed at the joke, looked at his wife, and saw her expression. Now, when he goes home, she's going to say to him, I can't believe you didn't defend me. Absolutely. You, you stood there and Absolutely. listened to that. That's the all, mild version. That's guys, the mild version of what she possibly was going to say. Exactly. In fact, you're not going to get in this bed, okay? You can sleep on the sofa. So he saw all of that, and and he knew he had to do something dramatic. So he went up there and slapped her, uh, slapped uh, uh, Chris Rock. whatever the comedian's name is, Chris Rock. Slapped Chris Rock. And now he's good to go. He can go home in peace. Yeah, he's but he's and not. That's he's why not, he did. I hear you, Jim. But he's not good to go. Uh, it's it's a black mark, if you will, on his uh, on his career. And I remember when um, when Chris Rock had his show on HBO, he invited me to come do it once, oh. and I got an opportunity to spend a couple of hours oh. with Chris Rock oh. in his studio at, at HBO. <laughs> it was somewhere here in Manhattan, and um, you know, it, it was a great experience, but. His humor, you know, he's funny, but his his humor is is a little different at times. And you know, under in a perfect storm, if he had known about Jada Smith's uh, health condition, um, uh, if he had known everything that was going on, I'm sure he would not have done this joke. And so, from the time I spent with them. You know, Chris Rock, it was only a couple of hours. Oh. He was an okay guy, you know, and but but he wasn't the mega star. He was headed there, but he wasn't the mega star that he is now. So you have a situation with two prominent African Americans that are international superstars, and this played out in real time before an international audience. Oh, so Dominic likes to name drop. Oh, I was hanging out with Chris Rock. He's suggesting maybe it's a brother-to-brother thing, like uh, we Caucasians wouldn't know anything about it. You know, he's trying to steal this subject. You know, Chris Rock is my homie. You know, we were hanging out. You don't understand, Curtis. That's what I sort of gathered from that. And then there was Mary who called up in a rage. 
defending Will Smith. When you're a public figure, that they have a right that to just say no. whatever they feel like saying. But Chris, Chris Rock had been to hell with himself. himself you you are correct. And you are correct. That stuff. You so are he correct. should not have embarrassed her in front of the whole bloody world. It's not just L.A. The entire world was watching it. And who didn't know she had alopecia? Now know she had alopecia. And don't I hear a lot of people on the radio and different, oh, he didn't know. He damn well know. Excuse my language. He knew. Mm-hmm. He knew. So you don't pick on her. Hmm. I sense the Mary is from the island of Jamaica. Might even be from Trenchtown. She has that attitude that I've experienced. But she really gave it to Dominic, that's for sure. And then, what was that movie that Mel Gibson was in when he was like, he had the puppets on his hands, remember? Who was that? Jody Foster wanted to give him the comeback, remember, from being Mr. Anti-Semite in Hollyweird. And he had, like, the puppets on his hands. My God, how weak he's become. Listen to him. He's being interviewed by Jesse Waters, who I have appeared with uh, now on two separate occasions on the Fox News channel. Great show, because he does truncated interviews. He doesn't span, like, 20 minutes, a half hour. He's, like, short, sweet, and to the point. So he's talking about a uh, film that Mel Gibson is appearing in and is debuting on April 15th. And he asked him one simple question at the end that anybody would have asked Mel Gibson about, what do you think about Chris Rock and Will Smith? I know you to be a great journalist. Hey, 35, 35. I know you to be a great journalist. Uh, well, you got your configurations wrong here. Let's see. Let me go back. Look at all these. Uh... No, you're actually right. No, excuse me. Oh, my God. I have to apologize to Dizzy Izzy? No, no, it ain't okay with me. Me having to humble myself to you is not okay. Let's go to 40. 40. You know, like, I was drinking 40. I was wondering if... You know, you had been the one that jumped up out of his seat and slapped Chris Rock. If if you would have been treated the same way, Mel. Hello, Jesse. Um, thank you. That's our time. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? <laughs> um, I'm. Thank you, Jesse. Um, okay. we, that is our time. Well, Mel, thank you very much for joining Jesse Waters Primetime, and we really appreciate it. Mel Gibson was afraid to answer that question. He had to have Siri answer it. Siri jumped in. Listen, listen to this. So it's at the end of like a a seven-minute interview, five to seven minutes. That's the kind of program Jesse Waters does. Great program on the Fox News channel. I see the billboards everywhere. I was coming out of the Queens Midtown Tunnel. Boom. And you see the Jesse Waters billboards everywhere. And rightfully so. He's made his mark. But he's interviewing Mel Gibson, who's trying to get people to pay money to watch him in a movie that will probably bomb at the box office. And obviously, Jesse Waters did his job. As a journalist, he said, hey, what did you think, Chris Rock, Will Smith? Let's set some ground rules right now, y'all. Let's set some ground rules. No, no, no. And you're not paying attention. You see that, Dizzy Izzy? We're replaying. I was wondering if... You know, you had been the one that jumped up out of his seat and slapped Chris Rock. If if you would have been treated the same way, Mel. Hello, Jesse. Um, thank you. That's our time. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? 
Um, I'm, thank you, Jesse. Um, okay. we, that is our time. Well, Mel, thank you very much for joining Jesse Waters Primetime, and we really appreciate it. Wow, that's Siri jumping in. Mel Gibson was on the screen. He wouldn't say anything. He was afraid. Ooh, I'm afraid to, to give an opinion. Look, in this one, neither of them are Jewish. Neither Jada Pinkett Smith, she just doesn't worship like Debbie. Uh, uh, Debbie, who who is it that played um, G.I. Jane? What was that? Debbie Moore, right? Debbie Moore, right? Am I right? Am I right? Right? She she uh, she's into Kabbalah, so that's like Jewish mysticism now. But uh, he shouldn't have been afraid. Will Smith's not Jewish. Chris Rock's not Jewish. Jada Pinkett Smith is not Jewish. Mel Gibson should have answered, but he was too afraid. But oh. Busting his buttons and bridges with anger. Who knew that Chris Rock had a brother who was a comedian also known as Tony Rock because he sure took advantage of getting attention. Listen to what he had to say. Let's set some ground rules right now, y'all. Let's set some ground rules. If I say anything tonight, anybody got a problem with? You got one option what you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. Because if you think you're going to walk up on this stage, this ain't the mother Oscars. And if you walk your ass up here, you ain't nominated for shit with these hands. You want to hit my brother? Because you gave you a side eye? Boy. I guess the gene pool was depleted after Chris Rock. Uh, the kid is not a good comedian, Tony Rock. He not. He doesn't have the rhyme, the meter, the flow. I think Chris Rock is about 57. He's the eldest of seven kids. Apparently his mother and father did not believe in birth control. He's got brothers Andre, Tony, Brian, Kenny, and Jordan, as well as a sister, Andy. That's incredible, but I got to tell you, His brother, Tony, who claims to be a comedian, low budget, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mike in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Yes, hello. I'm 85 years old. I'm a veteran, and I like to talk about the Academy Awards. Look, you're a veteran. You have every right to speak, Mike. Go for it. Well, thank you. I, I believe that was a complete setup. Uh, so I you, mean, you, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of things in my life. But he, he got off the chair. He approached. He approached. He didn't smile. He was approaching him. He never, he never moved. He never moved. Do you see a guy approaching and, and you look mad? Ain't you going to get out of the way? Come on, give me a break, Mike. Why is it that I at sixty-eight and you at eighty-five are on the same page? We believe it was a setup. It was for Gacy, right, Mike? So 100%. No what, doubt in my mind. Why do all these young huckleberries? I got a studio full of young huckleberries here. They all buy. Oh, my God. Will Smith smacked Chris Rock. Oh, the trauma, the pain, the pain. <laughs> all right. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Thank you. It's old codgers like us. You can see right through that. You should be shamed on yourself here at WABC that you would actually buy into that hype. Remember MC Hammer before they took away his MC and then he was just Hammer? Don't believe the hype. Remember that? Uh, you like it. 
It's like all those professors, you know, it gives them a chance to get together and have seminars in which they can dissect and bisect. What is it that drives Euro-Asiatic black men to smack each other? You know, there's, uh, let's see, there's pimp slaps, there's bitch slaps, and there's slap boxing. All of which I've uh, been involved with. Uh, and I'm not a black guy. But oh, you can't tell those professors that. Oh, my God. 1-800-848-9222. They'll probably write a book on it. Go on a book tour. You know, it'll appear to be printed in Mother Jones magazine, a Sunday New York Times. It'll, it'll appear side by side with the uh, New York Times writer who wrote 1619. I guarantee you. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Justin calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Justin. Hey, Curtis. Um, I just wanted to say the answer to the trivia question is actually Tom Hanks. And Helen Hunt, who played Kelly. And the dog's name, the dog's, the ball's name was Wilson. Now, Justin, uh, have you been listening to this program since uh, I came on at 12 midnight? Have you been listening, Justin? Yes, I have. Uh, Did you clear the wax out of your ears? Do you have a cauliflower ear? Do you have a hearing impediment at all, Justin? Absolutely not. How am I to believe that you came up with that answer when our previous caller already answered the trivia question, Justin? Are you aware of that? The second part of the question was, who did he return home to? What's girlfriend? And that was an answer. Uh, Well, wait, we we may have to put this to the judge, Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey here, who uh, actually had a Ph.D. from Emory University in Atlanta. In uh, radio broadcasting, believe it or not, they actually offered a Ph.D. in radio broadcasting. Uh, Justin, I'm going to leave it to uh, Aubrey. Aubrey, I'd like you to do a Julius Caesar in the Coliseum in order for him to win the Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell, because we're so cheap, we throw nickels around like manhole covers. If, Justin, you're lucky enough to win uh, based on uh, Aubrey's decision of thumbs up versus thumbs down, you will get some of my belly button lint. We will hermetically seal it in an envelope. We will send it United States Postal Service, which means it'll take a month of Sundays to get there. And I will hermetically seal it twice over with scotch tape. And then when it arrives, like four months from now, the postal uh, delivery person will say it's COD, Justin, cash on delivery. Are you prepared to win that booby prize, Justin? Sounds good. Wow, sounds good. Now, Aubrey, it's up to you, Julius Caesar. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Do we send the Curtis Sliwa hat, the WABC hat, to Justin? Uh, Go ahead, Aubrey. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Oh, thumbs up. Oh, Julius Caesar is not feeding you to the lions. Uh, Do you happen to be a Christian, Justin? I am, actually. Justin, you're a lucky Christian because normally Julius Caesar would feed the Christians to the lions at the Coliseum. In fact, you don't want to go anywhere, Justin. You and everyone else out there who considers himself a man and a woman of religion because we're going to get into the granite state, New Hampshire. Live free or die, the libertarian state that now has more agnostics and atheists than it has holy rollers. And the evangelicals have declared war. War on not just New Hampshire, but all of New England. You don't want to miss this. But stay on the line, Justin. Aubrey, get Justin's information because we'll have to process this through promotions.
and make sure that he gets this booby prize, what, three, four, five months from now, the way I've described it. Um, it may take a month of Sundays to get there, but it seems like Justin can't wait. Let's go to Sonia, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sonia. Hey, Curtis. Hey, yeah. Curtis. Hey, it's, yeah, it's me, Sonia. Yeah, yeah, it's me. Yeah. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread at ABC, bro. Now, wait a second. You really think I'm the greatest thing? You are the greatest. How did how did John, what's the name of the man, John whatever, the, the, the Greek man, how did he pick these other um, pro, people, people on the other, um, on the other, you oh. know, the different time slots from the freaking morgue? Now, Sonia, 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 hold on, hold on a second. I think you've been uh, hitting the wild turkey tonight, Sonia. Sound like you've been knocking a few back. Sonia, first off, let's start with the proper pronunciation of our owner-operator of Red Apple Media, our parent company. It took me five years to get his last name correct. Sonia, can you try Katsimatidis? No, I don't want to curse. No, 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 no. I, I understand John the wild, the, the wild turkey Kader. is talking. Try it again. Cats a matitas. Oh, cats a matitas. Very John good. Hey, yeah, Sonia. Hey, Sonia. By the way, uh, Aubrey, uh, we're going to score the daily double here. Uh, keep uh, Sonia on the line. Wow. Two booby prizes. I never thought. In a uh, drunken rage that Sonia was in, slurring her words that she could get Katsimatidis correct. I think she's entitled to a Curtis Sleeper booby prize. You remember the rules? Don't ask, don't tell. Because we throw nickels around like manhole covers. Just be grateful that the male, uh, male man or male woman is actually delivering something to your house other than junk mail. You know, there's some people that wait. They wait every day, like 2, 3 o'clock, for the male guy or male gal to come. And all they deliver is junk mail. Junk mail. This will be mail with meaning. Let's go to Esther, who's calling all the way from Queens. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Esther. Yes, this is such a great show. I hope they never reschedule this because you are, you, it's just the best. We enjoy it very much. I cannot believe that we're still talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock, and I do believe, as you do and many of your other listeners, that it was a setup. I do believe it was theatrical. You've been in theater. I've worked in theater. I agree, and I agree with that veteran who said that you back up when someone's coming and is rather ominous toward you, you know. But wasn't um, was it Chris? No, no, no. I'm sorry. Will Smith, I believe, was in was in Scientology at one point. I don't know whether he still uh, yes, is. yes, he was and he, uh, right? his wife Jada right? Pinkett Perhaps. Smith. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was always told as well, never trust someone with three <laughs> three names. That's right. But also, too, I think they helped to introduce and get the career started with um, the Dog Whisperer, Cesar Milan. Oh. I believe that they helped him get his start. Well, you know? now, now, Esther, did you notice that after Will Smith supposedly had calmed down from his tantrum, his anger management moment, yeah. and then it was announced that he had actually won the uh, Academy Award yes. for Actor of the Year, who presented yes. him that Oscar? Oh, I don't know who was the presenter. I don't know. John Travolta, fellow Scientologist. No. Oh, 
that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Probably arranged by L. Ron Hubbard (laughs) out on (laughs) that out on that ocean liner off Catalina Island in Southern California with the other Sea Orgs. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Right. You know, it was interesting too because when I saw the slap, I said, "Oh my gosh!" There's there's a particular technique that they use called a touch assist. Where they touch the person, and uh, and I thought, whoa, that's quite a. <laughs> that's well, quite an awesome you know, let system. let me extrapolate, uh, Esther, on touches. Yes. It was thought that at a certain point in the life of Bruce Lee, that he was uh, getting on the case of many of masters from Run Run Shaw, mainland China. And that one of these masters came up and touched him with touches. Just put a finger on his wishbone. And it caused such trauma, physical trauma, that his internal organs began to deteriorate and explode. It's called touchesis. It is the finger that you pose on someone's outside anatomy. It can cause a complete dissolution of everything that maintains life. We don't yet know which master of Kung Fu in mainland China, a.k.a. Red China, used touches against the great Bruce Lee. Our number is one 800 When we come back, it would have been the boit day of Marvin Gaye, spelled G. A-Y-E. Will DeSantis let us say that, Marvin Gaye? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What a great song. What a great song. What a tremendous loss. After 25 years of a recording career, April 2nd was the uh, birthday of Marvin Gaye, who was no longer with us. And ironically, April 1st of 1984 is when Marvin Gaye, he spelled that with an E, was shot and killed by his own father one day short of his 41st birthday. His father, who spelled his last name without the E. Oh, this is a fascinating story. And a lot of people don't realize because Marvin Gaye was one of those performers who transcended race. I know many of you probably can remember the very first time you heard one of Marvin Gaye's songs out of Motown. Didn't sound like your typical Motown singer, like Smokey Robinson, like The Temptations, like Diana Ross. We can go on and on and on. He was different. Let me see. Um, We ourselves have a library here. Now, this is amazing. Uh, Obviously, Frank Sinatra has the most uh, music here in our computer system because in just a few hours, it's going to be Joe Piscopo with the Ramsey Mazda. 
Frank Sinatra show for two hours. And, you know, Joe Piscopo plays every song that Frank Sinatra ever sang, except the one that I saw in The Simptons about Tijuana. He still has not played that, and I am going to confront him later on today because I'm on an hour after he departs when uh, the Dean Martin show is on for an hour. And then I come back on at 9 o'clock. Oh, I, I'm going to... I got to have a conversation with Joe Piscopo. He does a great show. Best Sinatra show I ever heard. And there have been some damn good Sinatra shows. William B., I think, at the old WHN. And I stand to be corrected. Did a great show. And then, of course... Uh, uh, he used to be at WABC no more. He's at WOR. Uh, but uh, oh, he did a great Sinatra show also. But the best, without a doubt, is Joe Piscopo, the Jersey kid. I mean, he's the he's the Jersey kid, no doubt about it. Mark Simone did a great Frank Sinatra show originally at WABC when he was with us. Not over there at Woman's Only Radio now, W-O-R. And William B., I forget what William B.'s last name is. Maybe somebody out there can help me with that. And I think it was on the old WHN uh, that they had the Sinatra show. But, uh, look, they were all good, but none better than Joe Piscopo. But I am going to confront him and say, why have you never played the Tijuana song that I first saw in The Symptoms? And, by the way, you know there are thousands of Ukrainians in TJ, Tijuana, who want to come across the border, are we going to welcome them with a red carpet? Or are we going to try to stop them? Or with this president, Joe Biden, are we just going to turn it loose at the border and let anybody in, Ukrainian or not? El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, you could be from Ethiopia, Eritrea. Wow, I got that right. Ethiopia to Eritrea, right, to Somalia. Hey, wow, I'm starting to sound like NPR here. That's dangerous. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But I really think that Marvin Gaye got into the psyche of Americans. Because I even think for those who didn't have the urge to merge, were a little dorky or pishers or were unsure of themselves, very nervous when all of a sudden sexual tension was in the air, Playing a Marvin Gaye song sort of chilled everybody out. It just seemed like that was the groove you had to be in. And I just want to click off, just from my memory, some of the great Marvin Gaye songs. Sexual healing. Yeah, I definitely want to hear. Can I hear a little sexual healing right now? I want a little sexual healing. Oh, 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 oh. Wow. I miss Marvin Gaye with an E, not like his daddy, who is G-A-Y. By the way, is DeSantis going to let me say gay here? Oh, that's right. I'm older than a third grader, although sometimes I sound like I ought to be back in third grade. Oh, this is so good. Yeah. Wow. 25 years a recording artist, and then his father pulls a revolver. You know... That Marvin Gaye with the E, the son, gave the father the revolver that the father used to kill Marvin Gaye while Marvin Gaye was living in the father and mother's house, even though he was at the top of his game as an R&B and 
worldwide famous artist. What the hell was he being a Mama Luke living in the basement of his mother and father in South L.A.? Well, we're going to get into that. Oh, but this, oh, so good. And then uh, let's get it on. What a great song that was. Got to give it up. I heard it through the grapevine, right? Come on, that's a classic. What's going on? Inner City Blues, mercy, mercy me. How sweet it is to be loved by you. And we, we have 25 listed songs here at WABC, and we don't even have a Marvin Gaye show. Ah! What about Curtis Lee doing a Marvin Gaye sexual healing show? You know, it could be holistic, homeopathic. To calm the savage beast, to stop the fornication and procreation that is ruining our planet. Get ready for the 2 o'clock hour because we're going to New Hampshire where the holy rollers are on the warpath. Now, believe it or not, Marvin Gaye's father was a holy roller, a Pentecostal, who beat the living daylights out of his kids if they showed up a minute late. If they couldn't remember scripture. And then Marvin Gaye as a young boy. Curious about his own sexuality. Peered through the door and saw his father, the pastor, dressed as a woman. Ah! Let me tell you, boy. This story is amazing. There should be a movie about this, really. Maybe there was already a documentary, but this Marvin Gaye story is, like, so good. Imagine, at the peak of his career, the prince of not Bel-Air, like Will Smith, the prince of Motown, and then all of a sudden, gone. Gone! He started, remember, it was upbeat pop. It was uh, bubblegum pop, Motown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, Barry Gordy, I don't know if many of you know Barry Gordy, founder of Motown in Detroit, was a pimp at first who uh, had so little money he had to take the Metropolitan bus in Detroit to go check on his ladies. He didn't even have a caddy or a Lincoln. He had to take the bus, and this guy became the head of Motown. Oh, and then he had message music. And oh, what I call satin sheet soul. (sighs) Good stuff. Good stuff. Forget Bob Dylan. Forget uh, our own Bo Snurdly, who sounds like Barry White, right? Right, right, right. Uh, (laughs) Nope. Marvin Gaye, number one, second to none. But Marvin Gaye had a long standing conflict with his pops. Dating to childhood. And Marvin Gaye Sr., he spelled it G-A-Y. By the way, DeSantis, do I have dispensation? Can I say gay? Does that Florida law cover me? Because many people have said, you know, Curtis, you act like a third grader. But anyway, Marvin Gaye's father was a preacher in the Hebrew Pentecostal church and a proponent of a strict moral code he enforced brutally with his four children. He was also, by all accounts, a hard-drinking cross-dresser who personally embodied a rather complicated 
model of morality. I think so. <laughs> You're a holy roller and a cross-dresser, too. Although you'd be surprised at how many of those holy rollers like to do a Milton Burl from time to time and put on a nice satin uh, satin uh, skirt. Not skirt. What do you call that? Oh, you have satin uh, slip. Right? A satin slip. Don't look at me, uh, Izzy Dizzy, here, because I hope you haven't been fit into a satin slip from time to time while putting on those nylons. You know, hey, look, it's called experimentation. Anything goes. It's a new day, a new way in America and the world. But anyway, so imagine you are the son, and your brothers and sisters have to put up with this preacher man who speaks with forked tongue and just beats the living daylight out of you on a regular basis. So all of a sudden, years later, remember, he's the, at the peak of his performance, the Prince of Motown, because he suffered such horrible depression and had such internal struggles. In 1983, he was at such a low point, he was in debt, obviously abusing cocaine like so many people I knew in the 80s. Man, that cocaine flowed. He was just a year away from winning his first Grammy. He said, what? He hadn't won any Grammy. Oh, that's right. The Grammys are in Las Vegas on Sunday. Freakazoids, trendoids, jet setters. You think they'll do a tribute to Marvin Gaye? Of course not. Of course not. But I consider him to be one of the greatest artists and performers of all time. And so he's a Mama Luke at this point, and he's laid up in the basement of his mom and dad's home. And he gets into an argument with his father in South Los Angeles that escalated into a physical fight on the morning of April 1st, 1984. His mother, Alberta Gay, spelled G-A-Y DeSantis, it should be okay for me to use the term gay, was trying to calm her son in his bedroom when the father took a revolver given to him by Marvin Jr. and shot him three times in the chest. Marvin Gaye's brother, Frankie, who lived next door and who held the legendary singer during his final minutes, later wrote in his memoir that Marvin Gaye's final disturbing statement, now listen to this, this shows you this man couldn't have had any more success, had great pipes. Women were throwing their panties at him, but it was thought... And he really didn't dig chicks. He was more in guys, but nobody really knew. But according to his brother, Marvin Gaye died in his arms and said, I got what I wanted. I couldn't do it to myself, so I made him do it. You've heard of death by suicide by cops where you go out there with a gun because you don't want to kill yourself or you can't kill yourself, and then you aim a gun at cops and they surround you and they tell you, put down the gun, and you act like you're going to shoot them, and then they waste you right there. Suicide by cop. This was suicide by his dad. According to his brother, he said he was at the point of wanting to take his own life on many occasions but could not do it. He knew that if he got into a fight with his father, that his father would take the gun that Marvin Gaye himself gave his daddy and shoot him dead, shot him three times. Now, the trivia is, 
How much time do you think his father got for shooting one of the greatest songwriters and singers of all time? The GOAT, greatest of all time. To me, uh, there's no comparisons. You know, you like Sinatra, I like Marvin Gaye. I can remember all the places that I heard my first Marvin Gaye jams, and it always was a mood elevator to me. It certainly got my juices flowing, that urge to merge. There was no doubt about it. Set the mood. It was just great music. You could be by yourself. You could play tune after tune of Marvin Gaye. It was so good. But wow, what a traumatic life. And there are many people out there who have had similar traumatic lives where their fathers have beat the living daylights out of them on a regular basis. And yet they still love their daddy. Sometimes it was their mother. Remember Mother Dearest? Oh, my God. You read that book and you kind of understood. But some mothers were horrible to their kids, mostly daddies, but some mothers too. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tommy, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Hey, Curtis. I want to tell a couple. I got a couple of things I like to say. Um, you remember you talked earlier about the key bump? It literally is cocaine off the end of the key. That's true. I know you said somebody, but that's true. I know from fact. Now, hold on a um, second. Hold on a second, Tommy. What? Let us compare notes here, okay? I was on with uh, Anthony Weiner earlier today. Uh, he does the first hour solo from 2 to 3, and then I join him uh, as a duo from uh, 3 to 4. And he was perplexed uh, over uh, a term that he had no understanding about because he's not really too street smart. And uh, you said that it was what, Tommy? Let's clarify your position on this. You take a key out of your look from the car or your door, you stick it in the bag, and you snort it up your nose. It's like a cor- they call them corners when you do it off. You remember years ago, they used to have matchbooks. You don't see them around anymore. But you used to do the same thing off the corner of a matchbook, like a corner or a key bump. Uh, so it's called a key bump, correct? Yes, sir. All right. E-K-E-Y. What does cocaine come in? Powder. Oh, you mean like the package? A key, right? Kilo, key. Oh, you, yeah, key you can sure. buy a kilo. Right. Not but, too many people got that. But they'll say to you, how many keys do you want? Because when people are listening, like wiretapping you, the FBI forever busting those out there trying to bring coquina in, you'll yeah, say you keys, keys, because they don't want to say kilos because then immediately it's an indictment, triple life without parole. You know, You know the rest of that story. So you say it's taking a little bit of a bump of the cocaine on the um, the end of the key and then yep. giving a quick snort, right? Yep. Okay. Well, that's the way it was in the context. That was the context. It was a story like they, you know, they were talking about the guys, you know, doing key bumps. That's what that, the person said. It was in a wheelchair. That is low budget. Let me yeah. tell you what uh, high scale uh, key bumps are. That means you have a kilo in front of you, and before you spend gazillions of dollars to buy that kilo, you want a little bit of a taste and a little bit of a snort. You understand, Tommy? Wow. Yeah. That could be, you know what? 
That might be another. That might be another reference. I never uh, had that opportunity. Had that key. Ah, uh, see, because Tommy, Tommy, let's face it. Both you and I, we grew up in the era of the '80s where cocaine flowed out of peanut butter jars at times, right? Oh my God, go on everything, everything. And sometimes, if you wanted to be very generous and very friendly, you invited uh, your friends over and associates. And there were jars of cocaine, and they would start doing lines right, right there on the on the living room table. Mm-hmm. And then some would say, "No, I just want a little bump." So they'd have a little coke spoon around their neck, and yeah. they would dip, and they go, and that was it. And the moment yeah. the bump was over, they come back for another little, little, little spoon. The spoon is like the size of your less than your smaller than your thumb. A little bump. And by the way, I must tell the story that I related to the audience listening to me and Anthony Weiner, left versus right, earlier today. The uh, the, the uh, year was 1980. Do you know who the number one rapper in America was who actually was the first mainstream performing rapper to get on a major label, Mercury? Do you know who that was? Uh, 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 Sugar Hill Gang? No, no, they should have, but they weren't. That was party like music. That was Sugar Hill Gang. By the way, check to see if we have the Sugar Hill Gang here. Izzy Dizzy and stop playing with your navel. Uh, because we need a little good house party music that's positive, that's uplifting, that doesn't talk about guns and killing and mad money and booty and all that kind of stuff, okay? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Go ahead. Yeah, come on, Tommy. The groove and my friends are going to try to move your feet. And now, this is the time, Tommy, because you've been working all day, 10 hours, 12 hours, hardly. Uh, you got calluses on your hands and you decide, I want to break till the, the, the brightness of dawn. I want to break it out till dawn and you do a little bump of cocaine, right, Tommy? Yeah, yeah. Just a little taste, a little bump. Didn't want to become a dope fiend all of a sudden go. <sighs> you do know. You do know those little lines, uh, those little bumps lead to lines. And the little lines lead to a lot more. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. something bad news. Yeah, Tommy, Tommy. Your schnoz. How big was your schnoz, Tommy? Come on. It was a pretty big schnoz. And then now it's got a hole in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. But wait a second. You Italian or you Jewish? I'm Italian. Ah, see, you got a big schnoz. Uh, Italians and Jews have big schnozzes. So I always notice, oh, my God, it's like a Hoover vacuum cleaner when that line of cocaine is on a table. Roman all over my face. Yep. And let's uh, pump up that house party music here. The Sugar Hill Gang. And you see, Tommy, by then, would say, it's time to go to the Q Motor Inn with the the vibrating waterbed, right? $19.99 an hour. Remember, advertised at 3 o'clock in the morning when all of a sudden you said, give me a bump. We're going to the Q Motor Inn in Q Garden Hills, Queens. Yeah. Yeah, see? It's down memory lane here, Tommy. Hey, Curtis, I yes. got a couple questions. Can I ask them? Oh, of course, of course, of course. Enough right. of Sugar Hill, enough. They were, right. By the way, Sugar Hill was not the first mainstream rapper 
to be on Mercury. That is still to be answered. Let me give my numbers out first, Tommy. This is a trivia question. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC as we digress. Go ahead, Tommy. All right. So how can I get your belly button link with your signed picture? And and, uh, I think it's going to be valuable one day. So I want to get one of them. What I gotta do to get one? The value would exponentially go up if all of a sudden in the morning I ended up with lead poisoning. My God, you'd have it on eBay. You'd be like swimming in dough. Yeah. Yeah, Tommy, will you you stay on the line, Tommy, Aubrey? You get a chance to hit the trifecta here and get Tommy's information. Oh, awesome. Yeah, because he wants my belly button lint. We'll put it in an envelope. We'll get uh, the nice cellophane tape. We'll circulate it over. Now, the one thing is, Tommy, do understand it may take four months to get there because we're sending yeah. it U.S. Postal Service. You know how oh, slow yeah. they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the snails. And, and it'll be COD. You know what COD stands for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have much of that, but okay. Yeah, no, cash uh, cash on delivery. Come on, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. You got to pay something for it, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it'll be worth it. All right, all right, okay. Hey, uh, Audrey, Aubrey, get Tommy's Tommy's information, please. Uh, Avery, Aubrey, whatever. I can never get our phone screener's uh, names right. But what I'll do is I'll use that key that Tommy liked to talk about because he said to do a bump of cocaine, man, you use a key and you do a little bump, right? I disagree with that. But I'll get the key that I use to get into our 328-square-foot apartment on the Upper West Side that I and Nancy share with 16 rescue cats. And I will use that key to dig out my belly button lint, hermetically seal it in an envelope, and make sure that in a month of Sundays it gets to Tommy, who's patiently going to be waiting, playing, Sugar Hill Gang, let's let's pump it up again because this is house party time here at WABC. That's right, here it is. This is good rap. We're not talking booties. We're not talking money. We're not talking nines. We're not talking shooting. We're not talking drill rap. We're talking the origin of rap up in the Bronx. At the very time that I started the Guardian Angels in 1979. Oh, I can remember it like it was yesterday. At Theodore Roosevelt High School, that's where they had the jams. That's where Dominic Carter was going at the time. They called it the drugstore. Right next to the uh, the uh, <laughs> Belly Buster Delight, the White Castle, across from Fordham University. And, oh, man, the DJs would be out there. They'd be stealing that electricity from the um, electric poles. And they'd be doing their jams. You had your MCs and you had your DJs. Oh, yeah, here it goes. Now, you know where the pool was. The pool was in Roosevelt High School. It was an Olympic-sized pool. You see, I'm the cognoscente of the Sugar Hill Gang. Go for it. You went up to Gun Hill Road for the hot sheet, uh, one hour in, one hour out, motels. Motel, hotels, Holiday Inn Express. 
Oh, those were the days. And I know some of you are jamming on that right now. You're saying, yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As uh, this is a stream of consciousness, this is like no other talk radio program that you have ever engaged. I digress. I go in a million different directions. I may have started out with one idea and one concept and completely voided it and forgotten about it within 15 minutes because I'm on to the next conquest. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it crashes and burns. That's why you've got to... You got to stay awake, wide awake, and be bushy-tailed. One thing people will say is, I couldn't go to sleep until you were off the air at 6 in the morning. I was stung God. I was like Red Bulled out. I didn't need Red Bull. I just kept listening to you because you kept amping it up. one 800 Let's go to Jay calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jay. Curtis, Curtis, you're on the move tonight. I may be ahead of it, but you were talking about the verdict that the judge gave the father for shooting Marvin. And the judge said, and he looked at the judge and he said, Your Honor, I give life and I take it. And with that, the judge said, case dismissed, no time. Do you agree? You couldn't be more hopelessly right. The father plea bargained. He took a no contest to a charge of voluntary manslaughter. He got a six-year suspended sentence and had five years of probation. He did absolutely no time for murdering his son, Marvin Gay, with an E at the end of Gay. By the way, uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, it doesn't uh, violate your new legislation as I talk about uh, gays. But as I understand it, the father walked in on Marvin in the middle of a little fitting. And that's where, wow, he blew him away because he walked in on Marvin in a little love scene. Well, I don't know. Is that, that, right? that's, that, I, that, that's one theory. But remember, the that's mother. We heard it in Philly. <laughs> yeah, the mother was right there. And remember, I think what you're conf- conflating it with is the uh-huh. story of the other songster who was up on that stage, and I mean women literally would take their panties off and throw it up at him on the stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. He he just stole the whole thing, man. It was a Motown show when Marvin was in town. No, no, I'm not speaking of Motown. I'm speaking of the Philly sound. You know who I'm referring to? Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Teddy Petty. That's right. Teddy Pendergast. Old Royce along Riverside Drive, East Riverside Drive. That's right. Teddy Pendergast. The women just were throwing themselves at Teddy. Teddy, Teddy. They bring teddy bears. They throw their bras (laughs) up on the stage, their panties. And then... Go ahead. He couldn't keep the Rolls Royce on the road, brother. Well, what (laughs) happened was... And isn't it so interesting that just the other day, the president of the United States, uh, Joe Biden, and our mayor, uh, Eric Adams, declared Transparency Transgender Day. And people couldn't believe when he was extricated from his Mercedes, brand new Mercedes, outside of Philadelphia, 
that the uh, woman who was next to him that everybody thought was a woman because she was drop-dead gorgeous was, in fact, a transgender. Well, when I, when I, we catch up face-to-face, and I, if I can leave with your guy my phone number because we met on the street and I got some business that, that would like to speak to personally because no one ever answered any of the calls on your car that you gave me. But the deal is that uh, the situation with Teddy. Uh... Well, this guy likes to hear himself speak, right? Notice he verged off into a different direction and now he brought it all back to Teddy. Teddy was behind the wheel, a series of curves. He was driving relatively fast, according to the uh, the police report. Oh, there he is. Teddy, Teddy. Oh. Oh. I mean, between Teddy and Marvin Gaye, I mean, oh, this is what you call satin sheet soul. Close the door. Teddy, Teddy. Let me give you a you. Been waiting for. So good. So good. Baby, I got so much love to give. And I want to give it all to you. So there's Teddy. Almost lost his life. Unfortunately, became paralyzed. And then the police report, which was redacted. Why did Teddy spin off the road and crash into an impediment in a tree, almost taking his life, but paralyzing him. At the time, while he had his hands firmly on the wheel, the transgender was orally fixating him. He got so excited, he lost control of his brand-new Mercedes, and now you know the rest of the story. So we lost Marvin Gaye, remember Gaye with an E, DeSantis in Florida, can I say that? And remember there was Teddy Pendergast. And then there was Marvin Gaye's father, who was a cross-dresser, but a holy roller, Pentecostal minister. You can't make this kind of stuff up. You can't. And when you looked at that transgender that was with Teddy Pendergast, you would have voted for her to be Miss America at Atlantic City, right there in the War Memorial Coliseum. I kid you not. You said, oh, my God. You can't tell me that was a transgender. Yeah. Yeah. And that was back then. 1-800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Karen, patiently waiting on the line from New York. Your turn to be heard here as we explore the lives of not just Marvin Gaye with an E, but Teddy Pendergast, Karen. Yeah, they were too terrific. Let me just, uh, I'm going to make it a quartet. I'd like to have your hat next to, I have one from Frank Morano. <laughs> During his question and answer, I won one hat a couple weeks ago. So your addition will be right next to his. First, uh, let me cross-examine you, Karen. <laughs> you won the hat, the WABC hat that had Frank Morano on it. And, uh, you know, Frank's been known to boast quite a bit about, hey, you win. <laughs> and then you've heard people call up and say, man, the guy I was actually, like. I, got the hat. I, I actually got the hat within two days. Wow. <laughs> Did he deliver it? 
Yes, he did. No. <laughs> My. I answered the question on Friday, and I got it on Sun uh, on Monday. The hat. My God, oh my! You got it, FedEx, FedEx, UPS. Mm-hmm. You see, he was so humiliated by all the people that were calling up a while back, and you know, say, "Oh, where's my hat? Where's my Frank Morano hat?" Where's, that he got so upset that I think he personally paid for it to be FedEx, DHL, and UPS. He does, even I was, though he, I was surprised to get it. Yeah, he loves the United States Postal Service. This guy still sends postcards. <laughs> well, that's good. I, I like to see letter writing still enforced. But, you know, like Karen, we are going to allow you to score the Daily Double. We're being very generous tonight. <laughs> well, it's not our money. It's Red Apple Media's money, which means John and Marco Katsimatidis, they bought those great hats. So, yes, uh, Aubrey, uh, Audrey, uh, not Audrey, uh, Aubrey. Uh, Please, take Karen's information. We want to make sure that she has two hats. And by the way, Karen, I want you to position the Curtis Sliwa hat prominently and push the Frank Morano hat in the back. Yes, please. Way in the back. Can you do that, Karen, please, for me? Yes, I can. Uh, even though I won't be able to see it, I'll, I'll, I'll feel better I'll just take, knowing I'll take that. take a picture of it. Yeah, yeah okay. take it. That's right. Take a picture. Send it to me. Oh, I will post it. And I would say, see? See? My hat first and foremost. <laughs> Thank you. And number two, you made a comment about Tom Hanks not deserving that the Academy Award for a castaway. That's why I came one day into those trivia questions about Wilson and Helen Holt. It's very hard to act when you're the, you know, when you're the only one in the cast. And, you know, talking to the volleyball was his house. No, He would have sunk into the water there. No, I, I mean, that's very hard to act by yourself. He deserved that handedly, that. Karen, I know quite a few people, as you know, emotionally disturbed, who talk to inanimate objects all day long and do a much better job than Tom Hanks did (laughs) in Castaways. (laughs) To what? A volleyball named Wilson? Speaking about mental, I mean, it's a shame that they took away that Rockland Psychiatric Center in Orangeburg, New York, because that would have been a perfect place for... Them to get, you know to send all these mental. Uh, oh, absolutely! They've closed so many of the psychiatric facilities. Uh, not this just was a, this was a large one. Yeah, that, you'd Orange, be surprised. Orange. A lot of you see the problem was they were too large, Karen. So they were frightening because they many of them they looked almost like Shawshank Redemption, the old uh, prison that there was a movie made of. Uh, you go to uh, New Jersey, Greystone. It was spooky, eerie. Uh, you go up uh, on uh, Metro North, uh, and there was a place, um, oh, a huge mental uh, psychiatric facility. Ladies, yeah, one called Graymore. Yes, yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you happen to know what I'm talking about, where Connecticut meets upstate New York, there was this huge psychiatric facility there that was empty, frightening. You could uh, sort of walk through it and actually hear the spirits of those who had been incarcerated there, because it's like a form of incarceration. You could almost hear the screams of those who were so mentally tortured when they would give you a lobotomy. Remember, that's what they would do. They would give you a lobotomy. The Kennedy, the Kennedy child of Rose Kennedy, remember, Mm -hmm. was given a lobotomy when the child was sent away. Nobody knew anything about that. Nobody knew about medications. They would actually perform lobotomies. You would never see... 
You want to flew over the cuckoo's nest? Right, but you would never see your brothers or sisters who were put away. Were put away. That was it. In perpetuity, they would die in, institutionalized. Let me ask you something. Is that what some of these people in, uh, in Washington, D.C. have gotten their lobotomy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm telling you, Karen, what we did to people who couldn't connect things the way we could upon birth, lobotomies. And not just to the poor, the indigent, experimentally, to the rich. Look, the Kennedy, Kennedy kid, put away, never to resurface, given a lobotomy. And you say to yourself, oh, how horrible, how cruel of them. No, they actually thought back then the science was that a lobotomy could help. They didn't know. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Joey up in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Uh, yeah. Starting uh, this sort of like, you know, media drumbeat of chant transgenderism, homosexuality. I mean, it's not stop. Uh, but, you know, basically there's one, I'll get to my comment uh, really quick, but with regards to actually where it comes from, all that propaganda and the pressure for pushing that stuff on kids in the schools, I suggest picking up a book. It's called The Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald, and it goes into that transgender nonsense and mania that you see in the mass media. No, 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 you're but saying, what was that, Giuseppe? You're saying nonsense. How could you say nonsense? I just told you the story of Marvin Gaye with an E, DeSantis. Is that okay? Uh, whose father, Marvin Gaye Sr., without the E, was a cross-dresser. And yet he was a Pentecostal minister. A Pentecostal minister. So this has existed since the beginning of time. The be- Oh, oh. Let me hear this music. So good. Should be a battle of uh, Teddy Pendergast versus Marvin Gaye. Wow, you have just two winners, no losers. The here coming up. Yeah, man, I, I, I should be doing R and B here. I should be. We have Tony Orlando without Dawn. We have Cousin Brucey. And then I always forget who's uh, the new Jack uh, who comes on before Cousin Brucey is a school teacher. Yes, Vinny. That's right. Vinny does a great show, too. He's the, he's the new Jack. He's the younger one. Uh, oh, look. I, I could do the R&B show. I could do the old WWRL show right here on WABC. Your place to be. This is such a good song. It's a mood elevator. From a guy who was so hopelessly depressed and just couldn't fathom life. And as his own brother said, as Marvin Gaye was dying in his arms after his father had shot him three times, Marvin confided in him as he was drawing his last breath that daddy did to me what I couldn't do to myself. Death. By abusive father. one 800 848 Let's go to Victor, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Victor. Hello, yes, Curtis. Um, yeah. I might know that hospital. 
that you're trying to think of? Yes. Are uh, you trying to think of Wingdale or Harlem Valley Hospital? Yes. I used to call it Wingnut. <laughs> but you, uh, the correct name is Wingdale, and what is the other subtitle to it? Harlem Valley Hospital, I believe. Yep, it's where up uh, Mid-Hudson Valley meets Connecticut. It is one of the most eeriest right. places you would ever want to walk through. Uh, my my father, Chester, before he passed on, we went up there because there was a, a big advertiser that was doing prefab homes not far from there. Yes, and, I know what you're talking about. Right, and my, my father was uh, on the cutting edge. He and his father, Anton, and his brothers, Smitty and Ernie and Leonard, were master craftsmen. They actually did prefabs in barns in the winter in Illinois and then they would move them out by truck into Wisconsin and Iowa where you could uh, assemble them as a home or a barn. In Illinois, union rules were you couldn't have any prefabbed uh, housing whatsoever. Uh, and he knew all about it. He went to this factory that made prefab uh, homes. But before we went there, he said, Curtis, let's walk on the grounds of Wingdale. There was a place like this right outside of Chicago that he remembers passing by as a young boy. He had a crow, uh, Jimmy, a crow that would fly and then perch itself on his shoulder. And he said when he would walk by this psychiatric facility outside of Chicago, he would hear screams inside of the tortured souls. And he said, oh, my God, this is it's a horror house, a horror house. And I'm telling you, when I walked in Wingdale, because I've been in, through many other old facilities that are no no longer active, especially Pilgrim State out there, Central Islip, Brentwood, in Suffolk County, uh, and it's eerie. But I, I swore when I walked the grounds of Wingdale, because I walked it a few times, that I could mm-hmm. I could hear the screaming voices of those lost souls who are no longer there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a dark place. You can walk. There's a stop on Metro North, not far from there. So you can walk to it, actually, from that stop. Yeah, I did. That's what I did, because I was waiting for people to pick me up who couldn't figure out what the hell I was doing out in Wingdale. And so they were trying to find it. This is before the GPS, you know, you know what that was like, driving from Connecticut to New York and then over to New York to Connecticut. And meantime, no cell phones. So I figured, hey. Let me just walk through this facility, just like my father had talked about when he was a boy with the crow Jimmy on his shoulder, and I could hear the wailing, the howling, the screams of previous generations. Let's face it, they were incarcerated in those psychiatric hospitals. Yeah. Hey, Curtis, can I just say one thing? Of course, Victor. I just want to say that... um. We love we love your show, a lot of us, and, and keep it up. You do a great job, and the only bad thing is you're keeping a lot of us up all night. <laughs> that is my job, Victor. I've told our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, that my role here at WABC, which is not the same role that I had before I ran for mayor, but my role now that I do two overnights on the weekends is to keep everybody up. All six hours. I'm up with you every every weekend. Yes, I have to, Victor. Uh, I have to keep the adrenaline going. I got to keep people pumping and jumping. 
Then they're stung during the day. They're wondering, and somebody, your loved one, and somebody say, well, why do you stay up till 6 o'clock in the morning listening to that guy? Because it's addictive, Victor. It's addictive, right? It is. And, um, you know, reminiscing about, you know, a lot of the things, the trivia. I love listening to that. There's no doubt. That's why I have to educate that young whippersnapper now, Victor, who is the golden child, Frank Morano. The trivia does lead to further stimulating conversation. See, I like you all to be heard. We hear enough of guests. We hear enough of uh, our own self-importantness as hosts and hostesses. We need to hear from you. That's what this forum is about. Only 1% of the people who listen to talk radio have ever actually called a talk radio station in their lifetime. And oftentimes they've been introduced to Mr. Click, truncated too early by the host of hostess that doesn't want to give you equal time. And you never called again. You've been traumatized. That won't happen with If you're good, you get to talk and squawk like a yenta. If you're uh, not so good, <laughs> you end up talking to yourself. Because you don't even realize we've introduced you to Mr. Click. And like a half hour later, you say, Curtis, Curtis, Curtis. And we're on to the next caller. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Joey Giuseppe calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Is it me? That's you, Giuseppe. Okay, listen, Curtis. You mentioned WWRL a second ago. And that's my music when I was a young man. Uh, And I consider the original rapper was on that station. And if you remember, his show began with E to the D. It's me, and I'm back on the scene with the record machine saying, Ooh, Papa, do and how are you? It's Jocko on the radio. Yes, yes. Oh, you, 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 you've connected with me because as a white guy. As a white guy. I had to look around, especially when I was at the beach in Coney Island or Brighton Beach or Orchard Beach in the Bronx. I'd have to look around because to the left you had like the white ethnics. You know, you had the Italians and you had the Puerto Ricans and you had the blacks. So I didn't, I couldn't let them see that I wasn't listening to WABC or at the time WMCA or WINS top 40 pop, but I was listening to WWRL as a white guy. That would have been it for me. It was a hard station to get to, if you remember. Yeah, the stick was in uh, Queens near, I think near the Long Island Railroad tracks. No, no, I think WRL was in Jersey. Oh. Now, you see, that's good trivia there because uh, normally uh, we could get Dan the man, our head engineer, to engage because he's a wonk on all that. But he's too busy at Bada Bing right now next to our tower getting brumskis and lap dances, claiming that he's doing hard work keeping the tower working. <laughs> now, can I tell you another quick story? Of course. Because, of course, Joe. Because I'm a, I'm a fan. Um, I'm a retired a union official from the old garment workers union. Sure. And my shop, one of my shops that was on the contract with us was a hat factory in in Jersey. 
And we had a convention. It was actually a merger convention uh, when we became merged the old garment workers with the hotel workers. And it was being held in in um, in Chicago, Illinois. In fact, uh, the future president, Obama, was a senator, and he spoke at that convention. But anyway, and this hat company we had, and, and, and the locals on the joint boards would wear something to signify what their locals made and stuff like that. And I ordered Red Berets because I was a fan of yours, and I was a fan of the your your guys, and worked in New York. And my group went with Red Berets, and I got to tell you something: it was the hit of the convention, man. Wow, wow, Joe, that uh, that uh, warms the coddles of my heart. Yeah, everybody came to me from the other locals. Can I get one? You got one for me, okay? Now. I have one downstairs on my bookcase full of all the different pins from the different locals. You know, Local 89 had a pin and you could pin it on. And when my time comes, that's going in the box with me. Oh, yeah. There were that. Uh, in fact, I was talking to Guardian Angels today in Woodside and Flushing about some of our Guardian Angels who have been shot and killed in a line of duty. And their families insisted that they be buried not only in our colors, but with the beret, many of whom they've acquired pins on the beret, which signifies the different cities that they visited or the different uh, uh, groups that they've spoken to who would give them a pin. And it's sort of like customizing your car. They customize their berets. Yeah, well, my my little red beret is probably about five pounds with all the little pins yeah. and stuff that are on. Yeah, you get a migraine headache if you put it on. But let me ask you, since you're a strong union guy like my father was, National Maritime Union for 54 years, what do you think of uh, Amazon, the warehouse uh, employees, voting in a union first in the nation uh, out in Staten Island and the fact that Starbucks, quite a few of the Starbucks uh, operations now are union. It's 10 of them. I think the most recent one on 34th Street voted to unionize. Um, I think Starbucks is going to have a better shot at getting a contract than than the uh, Amazon, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Amazon, that election was an independent. The young man that ran it or or was running for the election, uh, was a supervisor and, and had gotten fired. He's not involved with the union as it is. He's creating his own. Um, I organized plenty of shops where after a year of negotiation, we could not get anything done. Um, and that was with some of the best lawyers in New York and, you know, with people that really wanted contracts and so on. And after a while, you wind up, you have to walk away because you just can't settle it. So I I find it's going to be difficult for him uh, unless he gets affiliated with 
a stronger union with the backing of the AF of LCIO and so on and so forth. Um, well, the amazing thing is, Joe, you know it's no easy task. He beat Jeff Bezos and the Amazon machine in convincing his fellow workers to sign up for a union. Because of all the pressures that obviously comes from Amazon, they don't want a union. And then you leave it up to the workers. As long as it's a fair, square election, you leave it to the union workers. And Amazon is making money hand over fist. The new CEO uh, that's taken over for Jeff Bezos, who is still along with his former wife. That's right. Remember, they split the assets. The largest stockholders, they're swimming in dough. But the uh, Amazon CEO, I think, uh, made $236 million just last year alone. $236 million. E-commerce is killing small businesses. Every day that I walk the streets of the Upper West Side, I see posses of young men, young women, mostly young adults of color, as they're pulling wagons filled with all these Amazon boxes, filling up foyers, lobbies, so that if you go in your lobby or foyer, there's like Tim Burr, there's an avalanche of all these Amazon products. They can deliver what you want within the same day. How does a mom and pop shop compete with that? And we have so many empty storefronts, empty for a variety of reasons, but mostly because of the lockdown and pandemic. How can they re-gear, open back up, and compete against this e-commerce that is stifling? And even though it is very convenient, look, my own uh, my own wife, Nancy, loves uh, Amazon. You know, she's an Amazon uh, person. Uh, the boxes come fast and furiously. I'm not. I understand the convenience. I understand the easiness. Order on the computer, deliver the same day. But think about it for all of our fellow Americans who would invest every nickel, dime, and penny that they had to live the American dream in a small mom-and-pop shop. How can they compete against Jeff Bezos? And by the way, he was in the McDonald's book. Apparently, where he grew up, I think, uh, where, New Mexico or whatever, he was like, uh, he was packaging, uh, you know, hamburgers at a Mickey D's. I was a night manager of Mickey D's, right? I started the Guardian Angels from McDonald's, a worldwide organization. Did they have me in the McDonald's book? No. Who did they have? Jeff Bezos. How many pesos did he pay off Oak Brook, Illinois? to be the lead story in that book of former McDonald's employees. I didn't even get a line. I'll get my vengeance one day, my little pretty. (laughs) Up next, the evangelicals are at war, and they're out to take over the Granite State, New Hampshire. Up next. Oh, now I wonder if uh, Norman Greenbaum, the one-hit wonder here, Spirit in the Sky, is a Jew or a Gentile. If you happen to know that, please give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I would assume he's Jewish, but then again, you can't necessarily make that assumption. Whether Norman Greenbaum would pray to Hashem... Or to JC, or maybe he was an agnostic, which means, ah, mente, poco, poco, he believed a little bit in God, or an atheist, which meant he had no faith that a God even existed. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And uh, let's term this Hellfire Preachers on the March. Because Hellfire Preachers in Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, and Tennessee, along the MIS, SIS, 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 SIPPI River, not far from where Bill Clinton was birthed, in Hope, Arkansas, you remember that story where he said, I remember as a young boy that these uh, Klansmen burnt down a black church in Hope. I remember that. And it turned out not true. But it made for a great narrative because, remember, boy, Bill Clinton could tell whoppers. You talk about a guy who was a great storyteller and somebody who could tell a great narrative and bend the facts to try to meet his narrative. That was Bill Clinton. And, you know, Hillary inherited that also. By the way, uh, Trump uh, has done that. Joe Biden does that all the time, all the time. Seems to be part of the political flow that you embellish facts You create narratives to try to suddenly fit what it is you want that theme to be. But, oh, Bill Clinton was masterful. I don't know if any of you have ever had an opportunity to drive deep down south to Arkansas. Oh, yeah, to the Ozark Mountains. I was on a tour of Arkansas many years ago. I was going to all the agricultural colleges because I was being asked to come and make presentations about the Guardian Angels. And what I mem- remembered about Arkansas in the early 90s, other than everybody was saying, hey, we got Walmart here. Yeah, Sam Walton, Walmart. Chill out. Razorbacks, Razorbacks. Chill out. Catfish. Everything's catfish down in Arkansas. Catfish balls, fried catfish. Everything is catfish. Try to find any food that isn't catfish. And that is a miracle. But anyway, while driving around Arkansas, as I was being taken from agricultural college to agricultural college, far down on the left side of the AM dial, you get hollers for a dollar. You get all the white hellfire preachers going down to like the 600s, 570 in Arkansas. And they all white hellfire preachers getting a dollar for a holler. Because they'd be selling you the prayer rags. Then you went all the way to the right of the dial up there near like 1,600, 1,500. It'd be all the black hellfire preachers getting a dollar a holler and selling you their prayer rags. And then occasionally in the middle of the AM dial, you'd actually get a station that gave you something more than just a bunch of holy rollers who were... uh, You know, breathing fire and brimstone. Let me tell you what they have decided to do. The Okies from Finocchi in Oklahoma, in Missouri, in Arkansas, and the Tennessee uh, stump jumpers back and forth across the Mississippi River into Tennessee. An army of evangelicals, holy rollers, charismatics, guys who have snakes around their neck while they're dancing, To God, God's word, no shoes on. They're all going to New Hampshire, the Granite State. Live free or die, the Granite State. That's what it's called. It's a libertarian state. Tax 
taxes are low. That's why people flee other parts of New England to live in New Hampshire. They also love to their Second Amendment. They are gun owners. That's why they love they love that live free or die. But New Hampshire, the Granite State, has achieved a record that some Americans are aspiring to and other Americans are appalled at. Religious affiliation amongst Americans has now dropped for a third consecutive year. According to a Gallup poll, this is the first year that membership in a house of worship fell below 50%. The first time in 80 years, around 47% of U.S. citizens claim to be members of a mosque, synagogue, or church in 2020. This number was down from 50% of the American population in 2018. Back in 1999, 70% of Americans claimed a religious affiliation. Americans claiming no religion is made up of the spiritual agnostics. I think I'm an agnostic. And atheists, along with the people claiming no specific organized religion. Tree huggers, you know, kissing the Barney Stone, doing all kinds of stuff out there. Within the next four to six years, it is believed that millennials will drive the no-religion group to the top of religious stats in the United States. The millennials and hipsters will bring hedonism and heathens to America. No doubt about it. And the one area of the country that has taken the biggest hit in the U.S. within the Christian faith, losing members uh, by the handfuls, is the Northeast, the New England states. New Hampshire has been identified as the least religious state in the country, with only 33% of adults identifying as highly religious. Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, and Connecticut round out the top five least religious states. Why do you think that is, that all of the least religious states are in New England? You think it's because of the Salem witch trials that took place so many centuries ago? Why do you think the place where the pilgrims came, the Puritans came for religious freedom, escaping England, escaping Holland, escaping Europe, coming to this this new place that eventually would be called America after who? Who is America named after, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. No, it wasn't a Puritan. It wasn't a pilgrim. No, and it had nothing to do with the book 1619, the article. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Many people say that LGBTQ rights, equality for women, and other like-minded movements have played a role in driving people further away from religion that many people view as anti-gay and patriarchal. Additionally, many people have shifted their focus to liberal politics for progress and social injustice, critical thinking of higher education and the evidence, and thinking of more scientific ways. The study showed. Along with these statistics, New Hampshire has also battled a severe opioid crisis since 2015. For years, the state has battled opioid addiction to the point where New Hampshire was leading the nation in overdose deaths per capita, much of it by oxycotton and oxycodone. 
manufactured by the family, the Purdue family, that had their uh, epicenter, their uh, center of operation in Stamford, Connecticut. They should have all been put in jail. They should have all been uh, impoverished. They should have had every nickel, diamond, penny taken from, from them, but they didn't. A group of church leaders and evangelicals in New Hampshire have decided that they're sick and tired of losing ground to what they refer to as the enemy. So now dozens of pastors and ministry leaders from across the nation, from many different denominations, are interconnected and they're on their way to New Hampshire, the Granite State. Because they've been hearing from God individually. And when praying as a group, I don't understand. How come I never hear from God? How many times have I tried to talk to God? When JC wouldn't answer my phone, hey, as long as it wasn't on Shabbat, the Sabbath, I tried calling Hashem. He didn't answer the phone either. And here's what they're hearing from God. Evangelism is the answer. At one church meeting in Oklahoma, it was proposed that they start to gather evangelicals from across America and develop statewide systems by which they can raise up an army of new evangelicals in churches across the nation. And they're coming to New Hampshire. Let me give you a uh, symbol of the curriculi of the Hellfire Preachers. It's up there on YouTube. The younger ones, the New Jacks, are learning from the old school Hellfire Preachers. There's nothing you can do to change that the place that was created my friend leave this world unprepared to meet God hell exists it is a place that was created for the devil and his angel it was made therefore as a place of punishment not a place to simply go to it is designed for punishment so the Bible says it is a place that is called hellfire if you're very smart today have half intelligence you ought to be doing some thinking about where you're going when you leave this world there's one thing that is absolutely certain, and you ought to know this, you should know it and come to face with it, come to the facts and settle this, you are going to die, you will leave planet earth, I know you think that you're going to live forever, you'd like to put this out of your mind and not think of the fact that one day you'll draw your last breath, your heart will beat its last time, there'll be no more life left in your body, where is your soul going? Hmm. The hellfire preacher there who's leading the nation of evangelicals to come to New Hampshire to convert the agnostics, the atheists, what they refer to as the hedonists and the heathens. Where does your soul go? That's an interesting question. Can I hear that holy roller one more time, Dizzy Izzy? The same cut. There's nothing you can do to change that place that was created. 
that my friend leave this world unprepared to meet God. Hell exists. It is a place that was created for the devil and his angels. It was made therefore as a place of punishment, not a place to simply go to. It is designed for punishment. So the Bible says it is a place that is called hellfire. If you're very smart today, have half intelligence, you ought to be doing some thinking about where you're going when you leave this world. There's one thing that is absolutely certain, and you ought to know this. You should know it and come to face with it. Come to the facts and settle this. You are going to die. You will leave planet Earth. I know you think that you're going to live forever. You'd like to put this out of your mind and not think of the fact that one day you'll draw your last breath. Your heart will beat its last time. There will be no more life left in your body. Where is your soul going? Do you think this guy gets a dollar a holler? I know on WMCA, which is a holy roller station, I bet you this guy would get mucho dolares. But where does your soul go? Is there a hell? And what is hell? And the hellfire preachers preach damnation. Want you to be afraid. Is that what we need in order to ultimately go where it's not a furnace, where you don't need an asbestos suit uh, when you uh, drop into the abyss or when you ascend into heaven through the pearly gates? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's listen to the rest of the curriculi of the hellfire preachers who are gathering as we speak in Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, and as Tennessee stump jumpers across the Mississippi, ready to engage the agnostics and the atheists who are now the majority in the Granite State, the state of New Hampshire. Are you prepared? I know you prepared your house. I know you prepared your income. I know you prepared your marriage, your children. You planned out your whole life. But you've made no plans whatsoever for where you're headed when you leave this world. Hell is a place. It is a place that existed before you were ever born. It is there. It's going to be there. And there's nothing you can do to change that one bit whatsoever. Does hell exist, ladies and gentlemen? I know I grew up in the Roman Catholic faith. I was trained by Josephite nuns at St. Matthew's School on Eastern Parkway, Utica Avenue, right off Lincoln Place. Boy, they were hardcore Irish Christian nuns. Their retirement home is in Brentwood out in the, off of Central Islip in Suffolk County. I remember visiting them years ago, wondering if any of them were actually my teachers because I went there till the fourth grade and then transferred out to PS 114 in Canarsie because the mother superior told my mother, Francesca, he's stifled. He's in a classroom of 40 kids. Some are advanced. Some are able to keep up and others are falling behind and we can't give him the attention that he needs but he needs to be stimulated academically. And my mother was aghast. She was, couldn't believe it. I thought the goal was to go to Catholic school. I remember in the 1960s, there were parts of the public school system that were advanced that did far superior academically than the parochial schools because they had the advanced classes. And oh boy, did I get a lesson in uh, how to compete academically from the Jewish kids that I was now immersed in 
in Jungle Jenny Wilson's class, fifth grade at PS 114. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ray calling all the way from Cali, Cali. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ray. Good evenings or good morning, I suppose, in your world. Uh, the answer to the question, Greenbaum, Norman Greenbaum, he was a Jew. He's a rabbi. Wow, I had no idea. I think so. Check it out, dude. So let me let me let me hear let me hear a little bit of uh, Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky. Come on, Izzy, uh, get with it here. I, I, I gotta say, okay, no, no. Why do I not think? You know, maybe he's into Kabbalah now as a rabbi. You know, Madonna, Demi Moore, all the rest of those trendoids were into. Do you think he acknowledges this song now, Ray, as a rabbi? I, I have no idea, sir. I, I live in California. You live in a different world. We're we're on left coast, east coast, and we're both in the insane asylum. You are correct. Now, Ray, which part of Cali Cali do you live in? <laughs> we're in the actual, the most reasonable part, the central part, the part that produces all the food that everybody eats and enjoys, as long as we have water, which we're struggling to get. Oh, wait a second. That snowpack was not too good up in the Sierra Mountains this year, correct? Hey, amen. Amen, brother. Amen. This is I just got my allocation. I, I'm a I'm a small time farmer. I'm a hobbyist farmer. I have almonds or almonds, depending on where you're from. They're almonds on the tree, almonds on the ground. You know why? Why is that? Because you gotta shake the L out of them to get them down. All right, but almonds they almonds on the tree. They have almonds on the ground. Right, but they have almond milk now, right? Oh, that's a that's a fallacy, my God. That's salmon juice. That's salmon juice. If you're a dairyman, I grew up on a dairy. My dad was a dairy farmer. He would be rolling in his grave talking about almond milk. I mean, it's it's you know, I've never seen a cow, I've never seen an, a, a tree being milked, and I raise them. I have uh, trees right out in my backyard. Anyway, we have only 27 inches of water this year to irrigate with. That's not much. No, and by the way, how? With the growth of population in the Southwest, in Arizona, and obviously Arizona, the fastest growing, the Phoenix area, and then California, all of you sucking water out of the Colorado River. Uh, if you don't, that, if that snowpack is not big and it doesn't drip down the mountainside and go into the tributaries and go into the rivers and the lakes, what the hell are you going to use for water? Man, you nailed it. You're nailing it. We need you to run. We got to run you for. Can we get rid of Governor Gruesome and put you in charge? <laughs> yes. Forget about Mayor of New York. Come to California, sir. Oh, we I've been you. asked to. Ray, I've been asked to. I've been, I've been over the years, I've been offered uh, TV opportunities, radio opportunities at KABC and Los Angeles if I would only move. But I'm so ingrained uh, in uh, the ethos of New York City. But I got to tell you. I love it in California. I love San Francisco. I love Oakland. I love Los Angeles. I love San Diego. Uh, I could easily function well. But question here, because I've always been fascinated. When I was organizing Guardian Angels in Los Angeles, uh, Moonbeam Jerry Brown, who was your governor then. Linda Linda Rudd's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, he was sleeping on the futon. He was driving a, a VW bus. They were talking about bringing glaciers down, tugboats that would bring glaciers down to the coast of California, and then they would melt it for the water. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like rainbows and, 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 you know, Christmas and Santa Claus and Easter bunnies? My God, 
Can you really even imagine that? How about doing this, sir? How, how about this? We have an ocean of water, the Pacific Ocean. It goes from Seattle to frickin' San Diego. Why don't we desalinize that water with nuclear power to convert it into good, drinkable water? Why don't we do that? You should. Uh, look, when I've been to the Middle East, when I've been to Israel, when I was in uh, Bahrain, where we have our largest uh, naval uh, port facility there, Saudi Arabia does it. Jordan does it because there's no – when you go to the River Jordan that flows through Israel and you look at this little tributary, a little spritz, and you say the biggest war in the Middle East will not be fought over olive oil or petroleum. <laughs> it will be fought over water. There's over no water. freaking water there. It's exactly right. You know, the old you remember the old saying, whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting over? Sir, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Well, so, okay, so – why in all these years, knowing that you had limited water access in a growing population, much of it in the southern part of the state is a desert. It's really a desert. Yeah, uh, would, yes, in would, Shire, Central Valley. Would they not have reached, since the technology is available, they claim that it takes as long to build a plant that will uh, make fresh water from salt water, like uh, building a nuclear power plant, it takes years I don't understand why, but why wouldn't they have done that previously so that that problem would be addressed now? Sir, sir, we are a, a community of tree huggers. Please, we, we, we got the we got the the fit, we got the smelt, the delta smelt. We can't save our water, Curtis, because we have to send it down the lakes and tributaries and rivers and tributaries all the way out to the delta to make sure that the salmon that's being consumed by who knows what, nothing to do with the water flow, we have to make sure we, we save the Delta smelt, which is non-indigenous. It came from some other part of the country. We, we're saving shit that it doesn't matter. But in the meantime, we're pissing water out the, out the, out the bay. I'm sorry to say that. Sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. Now, Ray, uh, I must ask you because, as you know, here in the Northeast sector, we have a lot of Italians and a lot of Jews who survive on garlic without the garlic coming out of Gilroy, without the water. Yes. Uh, to be able to grow the garlic crop, you do realize that both Jews and Italians would be impaired. And so would the Portuguese, because that's what I am. And by the way, the problem is, sir, we have China wait, wait, waiting to send their substitute bullshit garlic. That... Boy, Reyes, he's on a roll there, but uh, he needs that fellow's nap of soap uh, since he is a Gentile. Although he knew that Norman Greenbaum was uh, Jewish and a rabbi now. That's incredible. Can I have a little bit of that Norman Greenbaum here? Could he be a rabbi? Could he be davening? Could he be reading Torah and Talmud? Or could he be into the mysticism of Kabbalah? Like, uh, like, uh, oh, Madonna, whose skin ages like milk and Demi Moore are. You know, they have those little bracelets, those Kabbalah bracelets. You think they first got into that, like, whirling dervishes because they were listening to Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky? Hallelujah! Amen! Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Crank it up. That's right. Everybody's got to hear it. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, whether you're agnostic, atheist, you're a tree hugger, or uh, you're kissing the Blarney Stone. 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. It's me, Mike in Hoboken. Hey, Mike, it's you in Sinatra land, Hoboken. You got to turn the radio down because I'm catching the reverb, Mike. I mean, you told me a couple weeks ago, it was still in the, in, in the Macon Delta. Remember that? Yeah, I know. I remember. I remember uh, you. One square mile, city of Hoboken, city of Sinatra, city of gin mills on Washington Street. Go for it, Mike. And beautiful women too. Now, how do you know they're women in this you state? Tell, you, you accuse me of being hallucinating in, in Macon Delta, still. Well, look. Uh, uh, let's face long, it. A long time ago. Apocalypse now. Uh, it's no doubt. No me and, doubt. Me and Marlon Brando. Yeah, you and Marlon Brando and Martin Sheen. Remember Martin Sheen? Yeah, he was trying to find him. That was a great movie. Yeah, it was a long movie. Though. It was like three hours. Something. Yeah, but the best part, the best part was Robert anyway, Duvall. If, remember? If, yeah, the point I'm trying to make, I'm still maybe so hallucinating about Macon Delta because I love Vietnam. It was good. It was good. good for me, you know? How is it good for you, man? Because you, they gave you an M14 and a side gun, a side, side armor. Right, so how old were you when you were assigned well, to I Vietnam? graduated from West Point, so. And how many years did you do over in Vietnam? A little more than a year. All right. More than a year. And uh, you loved it there. It was okay. It was nice. Have you gone back? I'd like to be back. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine what it would be like? Here it was in total warfare against the uh, Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese regulars. With and the black pajamas. Right. And now, you know, it's like uh, Ross Perot was watching the black pajama-clad guys running through yeah, his backyard. It was just a white, white, white pants and a gray uniform and dress hat. Yes. Boy, now you people should. Used to come, people used to come every Saturday to watch your parade. I got to ask you a question, Mike. You've been, uh, you went to shrooms? Yeah. Man, come on, Mike. You can be honest. Look, growing the forest there in Vietnam, you just pick them, you have mushrooms, and then all of a sudden you're in a drug-induced psychosis. It's it's normal. We're not it, talking... It rained like half the, half the year it rained. Yeah, but we see, we're not talking uh, tabs of acid. We're talking au natural, shrooms, mushrooms. They grow in the jungle. Come on, Michael. You must have sampled them. A lot of bugs are too. A lot of bugs. And frogs. And frogs. Anyway, back to back to the reason I'm calling. When you talk about religion, you have to have some belief because you never know where you're going to go, you know, if you're actually anywhere. So would you say you're an agnostic because you have some belief in God, but not necessarily a structured belief? Nah, I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian because you, you never go to heaven. You can't take the chance to go nowhere. Now, wait a second, Michael. What happened in purgatory? You know, that place in between. It's not too hot. It's not too cool. I think actually we're in purgatory right now. Oh. And by the way. Oh, limbo. Limbo. Remember Limbo? Yeah. Uh, Rush Limbo. I, I never feel. I'm not Limbo. Limbo. We unbaptized kids were like put in limbo. Yeah. We were taught by the nuns that if uh, you died before baptism, that it was a you were in limbo, right? It was a form of heaven, but not quite perfectly like heaven. But it wasn't purgatory, and it certainly wasn't hot as hell. Remember that, Michael? 
No, it wasn't hot as hell. And then all of a sudden, remember, limbo disappeared. No more limbo. What happened to it? That, I don't know. They just did, did away with it. They eliminate. What happened to all those unbaptized babies? Yes, sir. Even Hoboken, I guess. <laughs> God. He's into shrooms, man. You see, this is what happens. You have those shrooms. It's natural. Psychedelic shack, that's where it's at. That's temptations, right? See, I could I could do the new WWRL, the R&B here at WABC. We got Cousin Brucey four hours earlier this evening, 6 to 10, and Tony Orlando without dawn from 10 to 12, then yours truly. And, and who is the new Jack again? Uh, uh, the kid who's a teacher there, and uh, I think Jersey, I think... Uh, Vinny Madugno. Yeah, no, he's a good show, and uh, uh, Cousin Brucey always gives him props. Now, Vinny Madugno is about 25 years old, and Cousin Brucey is about 85 years old. Yet they play music of the same generation. Try to figure that one out. 1-800-848-9222. Yeah, Doobie Brothers. Jesus is all right by me. That in the aftermath of the Will Smith slap of Chris Rock, Denzel Washington, who was also up for the Academy Award for Top Male Performer, actually went over and counseled the Will Smith and did it the way a Pentecostal minister might. I never knew him to be a religious holy roller. Grew up in Mount Vernon, went to Fordham University, was a ram. Never, ever, ever thought of him as being a holy roller, a Pentecostal. But apparently this is what he told Will Smith. When the devil ignores you, then you know you're doing something wrong. The devil goes, oh no, leave him alone. He's my favorite. Conversely, when the devil comes at you, maybe it's because he's trying to do something right. And for whatever reason... The devil got a hold of that circumstance that night at the Academy Award performance. And then, supposedly, Denzel told uh, Smith, at your highest moment, be careful. Because that's when o Diablo, the devil, comes for you. But Denzel told Will Smith... But the only solution is prayer. Pray. Somehow, that just doesn't seem to fit the Denzel Washington that we've seen on the big screen. The Denzel Washington that I saw at Yankee Stadium, who was rocking the interlocking NY of the New York Yankees. And he stared and glared at me as I, I fornicated back at him, like, who is going to blink first? And it wasn't Curtis Lee with Denzel, because you only play a tough guy. You're no real tough guy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Remember, New Hampshire is now considered the least religious of the 50 states in the nation. 
with more people considering themselves to be agnostic and atheist as opposed to religious. So the Hellfire preachers are gathering up in Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, and the Tennessee Stump Jumpers as we speak. And they're on their way to Manchester, New Hampshire, to make a stand for God, as they would say. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Charles, who's been patiently waiting online in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Charlie. Hey, yeah, uh, Curtis, uh, good morning. Can you, uh, hey, hey, Charles, Charles, can you speak into the phone? You're on your speakerphone. I understand you've been waiting uh, quite some time, but I need you to speak right into the receiver. Yeah, sorry about that, Curtis. No problem. Uh, you, you were talking about uh, New Hampshire. Didn't, didn't they, the news, uh, uh, didn't Devon, the, the last, uh, the living member of uh, the Von Trapp family, wasn't she from uh, New Hampshire? She just passed away. The, the Von Trapp from The Sound of Music, uh, you, you, uh, I heard you mention in New Hampshire that that was in the news just, or maybe it was Vermont, it was either Vermont or New Hampshire, but the, the last living member of the Von Trapp now, family. Now, I know, but you do realize it's quite a difference uh, if you're in the state of New Hampshire and Vermont, you might as well be in two different worlds. They are so different. Yeah. Yeah, you can't get you can't get there from there. You can't get from New Hampshire to Vermont. There's only like what is it Route Two? I think is the only road that goes between the two states. <laughs> you got to drive all all up and down and up and down. But, but anyway, uh, I started to call you. You mentioned Marvin Gaye before. Um, I remember seeing him at uh, uh, at Radio City uh, Music Hall. It was way back in the, I think it was like. The mid seventies, something like that. He was uh, he played there. You you were mentioning Marvin Gaye. Oh yeah, and by the way, uh, what did you think of Marvin Gaye in live performance? Hey, it was he was uh, he was pretty good. I mean, you know, people were like you said, you know, the women were throwing themselves, <laughs> throwing, you know, like like they did with Tom Jones, you know, throwing their. Uh, Private, you know, their their underwear at Adam on the stage, and uh, but uh, yeah, remember, uh, remember how Tom Jones, uh, the lounge lizard that he was, would perform. He'd be in variety shows, and the groupies would show up, and they'd be taking off their undergarments and throwing them at Tom Jones. Right, right. well, now you know. Remember, I, I, I don't think I, I don't think you'd catch me doing that. I like both of their music, but. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my clothes on. <laughs> right, but you, Curtis, remember, uh, remember uh, how remember how Tom Jones was dressed. He would always show uh, hair on his chest. I always thought that was like Brillo pads or uh, SOS pads that he had uh, crazy glued to his chest. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I was more of an R and B fan like you, Curtis. Uh, but hey, Curtis, that. Uh, that caller from from California kind of kind of stole my thunder. He, he said he wanted you to run for for governor. Curtis, you ought to run for president. And I'm I'm serious. You know, I mean, you like like the song goes. You've been everywhere, man. You know it. You know you know a lot. And and uh, you know you're you're a tough guy. But what I like about you, Curtis, is you care for. It's like how you care for animals, too, with the cats, you know. 
Um, so, so you you kind of do it all, Kurt. That, that's the one thing I don't like about Trump. Maybe you could talk to him about that. You know, you know, I, I like a lot of his policies, but you know, like when it comes to like environmental issues and you know animal issues, he's you know he's he's, he's a total turnoff in that area. It's like you know. So you you on the other hand, you you cover it all, Curtis. You. You know, you know everything, and and I'm I'm not saying that as a, as a smart ass. You know, you you uh you really uh Charles Charles I it. I appreciate all the plaudits, but wait till you hear to the four o'clock hour, the backstabbing that has taken place out of sight, out of mind, and now like two peas in a pod, like a horse in a carriage, like a soup in a sandwich, like Batman and Robin. Dominic Carter well, well, and Frank Morano have teamed up against me, if you can believe that, Charles. Hey, hey, hey Curtis. Yes. I've been listening to WABC radio since, since the days of uh, 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 Lynn Samuels, uh, Harley Carnes, Dave Dawson. Uh, I, I think you had Dr. Ruth there at, at one time, if you remember. Of course, uh, 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 five Bad Grant in the in the real time. Let's be heard. And uh, you know, wow, you are a lifer, man. You have gone through a whole litany of different talk show hosts and hostesses here who have performed. Lynn Samuels, who uh, was a bag lady, she really was, and she didn't take that as an insult. Uh, had an apartment in Queens, I think near the number seven train would come into the studios at thirty second and seven with her bags. Not swag bags, but bags, you know, with different little tchotchkes in it. Very, um, let me be kind to her because she's no longer with us. Very eccentric. She was a little titch to bots, but oh, what a great performer behind the microphone. And then there were a whole, uh, obviously, the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, my mentor, gave me my opportunity in talk radio, without which I could never, ever have been given a microphone because all the suits... The mockers, the muckety-mucks, their attitude was, yeah, he's a street urchin. Look at the way he talks. We don't want him on WABC and Bob Grant because he was the king of talk radio. He had ratings that nobody else could approach. And people, to their credit, credit their own radio broadcast style to listening to Bob Grant when they were much younger. Bill O'Reilly said that out in Leventown, Long Island. The Rock Rib, the old American conservative voice of reason from Franklin Square, Long Island. Sean Hannity says exactly the same thing. Mark Levin, who grew up in Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia in one of the suburbs, said he, too, listened to Bob Grant religiously. Uh, Howard Stern acknowledged that he, too, listened to Bob Grant, the king of talk radio. And obviously, I not just uh, I didn't just listen. I followed in his footsteps. If not for him, I would not have ever been able to. Uh, get lent a microphone each and every day here at WABC. The suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks, the former owners and operators of WABC would not have ever given me a microphone. Uh, Bob Grant insisted. He was so powerful in the medium that whatever Bob Grant wanted at that time, management and ownership would deliver. And he wanted me to be a talk radio show host here, part of the uh, team of WABC broadcasters, and uh, Ken was good enough to mention Lynn Samuels, who deserves uh, more discussion. 
What a battle, like two scorpions in a brandy glass between Lynn Samuels and Joyless Behar. Yeah, Joyless Behar did mid-mornings here at WABC when I was the uh, host with my wife then. Trying to remember which one. So many. Oh, number two, Lisa Evers. Angels in the Morning, 1991-94. And doing mid-mornings for a period of that time was Joyless Behar, who is now obviously on the Hencloth of you. Boy, she would come in, no show prep whatsoever. She thought that she could be a comedian for two hours. It's impossible. Nobody is that good. I mean, Robin Williams at his best could do maybe... Eight minutes, right? And then just basically wind out. Oh, and there are other great comedians, but there's no way you could keep people laughing for two hours. Impossible. one 800 That's one 800 wabc Let's go to Leah, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lee. Uh, I'm from Zellsburg. Wow, Newark. That's right, the one and only. Okay, I have two questions. Uh, first of all, uh, you were talking to a previous caller about heaven, hell, and purgatory, and you mentioned those babies that were not baptized would go to purgatory. Do you know Frank Morano's baby has been baptized yet? And second of all, did you by chance know someone by the name of Jenkins Holman from Newark? He was a councilman. Uh, repeat his name again, please. Jenkins Holman. Well, the in name- a record shop, he had a record shop about a block down from Laurel Gardens on Springfield Air. Yeah, uh, the name is familiar, but I'd have to really put the face to the name, honest with you. You do know where Laurel Gardens was? Yes. Yes, I do. I do. All right. Now about Frank's baby. Hmm. Interesting. You that, you? Interesting. I have not been invited well, I haven't heard anything about it. Now, I, I used to be a listener, and now it's occasionally I tune in about uh, uh, in time to get the news, and I get the I catch the last bit. But he's never really mentioned anything about it. It's interesting, uh, Leah. It's Maybe important. his wife doesn't want to be baptized. Mm, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, uh, Lee, uh, it is incumbent upon you force yourself to listen. Because he has a um, he has a tendency to digress and then slip a Mickey to the oh, listening I know audience. That. I know. I also know that two weeks ago, I seemed to catch on in time to hear the good stuff that they were having something uh, honoring those that made the nine to nine to whatever it is hours number one. Yeah, you know, the uh, they yeah. had a they had a uh, trifecta they had together, and they they yeah they had uh, um, what's your name uh, Rita Cosby, uh, Rita Cosby, and uh, Dominic, Dominic Carter, and possibly uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly. Yes, and I was waiting to hear your name mentioned. No, and I didn't. No, and why do you think that is, Lee? <laughs> I can read between the lines. Oh, well, we're going to get into that in the 4 o'clock hour. If you got to take clothespins and put it in your eyelids to make sure you stay awake, wide awake, you're going to hear. Oh, I'm awake. I listen to Coast to Coast. Oh, wait. Well, I got to convert you from that, Lee. Got to convert you because 
because I, I got so fed up with him. Well, well, this is uh, this is what I need. He's an egomaniac. I know, but this is what I need, Lee. It's uh, there used to be the group Kiss. It's still active, and they called it the Kiss Army, and people followed them. I want you to join the Sliwa Army for the purpose of ratting out Frank. Whatever time you can listen would be greatly appreciated because uh, I can't listen to Frank all the time. I'm out leading Guardian Angel patrols in the subways because they're a real mess here in the city. Crime is up in the subways uh, 100%. So, Lee, could you please force yourself? I, I know it's difficult, but it's for a good cause. It really is. Well. Can you, can, could you believe this, Lee? He's having a baptism for Little Carmine, and I've not been invited. Well, he hasn't even mentioned it yet. Ah, uh, because he probably wants to keep it on the down low and only invite people who now he affiliates with. Now, it's a different, you see, it's a different class order, Lee. He used to be normal, average, every day, appreciated every moment that he had in talk radio. He really did. But now he's the golden child. He can do no wrong, according to ownership and management in the 4 o'clock hour. I'm really going to delve into this, Lee. That's why I need all of you out there, wherever you are listening, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. That's four hours in the morning, five days a week, 20 hours a week. Eat the Parmesan cheese and write them out to me. Please, Lee. Please. <laughs> well, I'll do what I can. Okay, but I, I want you to cheat on uh, WOR there, you know, the little gray aliens that that guy's always talking about. <laughs> okay, please. I'll do what I can. You got okay. yeah, you got Thanks it. so you much. Push Bye. yourself, push yourself. Yeah, how come I haven't been invited to the baptism, huh? You think that's kind of... I was invited to the wedding. Oh, yeah. Frank invited me, everyone at WABC, and then he put me and Nancy right next to John Gotti Jr. and all the Gambinos and Gottis who tried to kill me. Did that make sense? And by the way, did he have me say anything at the marriage? Did he have me toast him? Did he have me read any? Nothing. Bupkis. Nothing. Ugats. Got to watch myself with Frank. 1-800-848-9222. Somewhat suspicious that I have not been invited to the baptism. And Lee thinks that maybe Rachel who wears the pants in his household. There's no doubt about it. She's the shot caller. Frank, he's just a pisher, a schmendry. Then maybe Rachel has decided, no, 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 we're not going to have a baptism at this time in young Carmine's life. You know, there are some people, they get baptized when they're adults. Oh, yeah. No, no, they get dunked. It's like the dunk. You used to sit there, they throw baseballs in the cage, and if they hit the target, you got dunked. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Tom in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. Good morning, sir. It's uh, glad to speak to you again. A couple of quick things, if I may. Number one, the the weeknight guy. Whenever he talks, he labors his speech. For example, Curtis, when you do a paragraph, you can do a paragraph in about 12 seconds. It would take him probably 45 minutes, the same paragraph. He labors everything. 
and that keeps the suspense up, if you know what I'm saying. Oh yeah, have you noticed? Have you noticed he has difficulty with the letter W? Yes. I, want, I want you to focus intently, all of you who need to be listening to Frank Morano four hours a morning, five uh, mornings a week, 20 hours. Every time he has to say a word, especially the word if it's spelled with W to begin with, he has a very difficult time with his W's. And by the way, I have a good slogan for you, uh, Curtis, and I mean this because you are now the reigning dean at the number one talk station in the nation. Uh, what you've forgotten about talk radio, the other hosts, and that includes the weeknight guy, have yet to learn, sir. Let me explain to you, uh, Tom, that you're going to hear some shocking statements in the 4 a.m. hour coming out of the mouths of my colleagues where I'm no longer the top gun here. Nope. I'm no Tom Cruise. You're going to hear this. And I'd rather not focus on that because uh, I uh, I want a mood elevation right now. And I remember back, I remember back talking about Hellfire Preachers. I was the guest of Bill Hybels at Willow Creek. It's like a mega church outside of Chicago, like half the size of Madison Square Garden. The place was packed. And uh, he was interviewing me up on the stage because he was trying to find out how I might be able to give an orientation to the Holy Rollers so that they could go into the hood, the inner city, and the projects and not have their bejeebers scared out of it. It was quite good. But I got into a big argument with Rick Warren. Rick Warren, he was a big mega pastor out there in Southern California, did the invocation at Obama's inauguration. And on the stage, he was advocating that, oh, preachers and Holy Rollers should be involved in politics. And I said, wait a second. If you're men of God, men and women of the cloth, how could you be involved with politicians who are some of the most crooked, corrupt individuals in the world? And when they die of greed, of which many will, Democrats and Republicans, and they have a wake, if they haven't already been given a dirt bath, uh, you know, all of a sudden as they're put into a, a sheet, and then just dunked into the ground. But if they have a full wake in a casket, you'll notice the struggle that the uh, mortician uh, and the uh, funeral parlor owner have in closing the casket because they're so crooked with greed. But you need to go to a Home Depot and get a Black & Decker power drill when you go to the cemetery and drill them right into the ground. They're so crooked. How, as a man of religion, Rick Warren, would you want to be associated with that corrupt flotsam and jetsam? And he argued with me, and believe it or not, I went over the crowd. Because the men and women of faith, the true believers, said, no, no, there's no way you should be involved with politics. Because they're, they're for the most part, fake, phony, fraudulent, fagazis. Imagine, I beat Rick Warren in talking about how how there has to be a separation of church and state. Uh, it was one of the highlights of my life at the age of 68. Up next, a guy who died far too young. One of the greatest creative uh, songsters and songwriters in the history of music. You know, we dedicated... 
so much time earlier this evening to the life and times of Marvin Gaye, who would have had a birthday today if he hadn't been killed by his own father at the age of 45 in uh, South Los Angeles. Ironically, only a day before was the date that his father shot him three times and ended up getting a suspended sentence and was on probation, even though it was an act of cold-blooded murder, in which uh, his father, Marvin Gaye Sr., yes, uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida, it was spelled G-A-Y, I did say gay, and his son, Marvin Gaye Jr., who added an E on it because he didn't want to be associated with his holy roller Pentecostal father who was abusive and a cross-dresser. Yes, all of that. But the life and times of Marvin Gaye, all the great songs. Which uh, momentarily made me think that I could go into a blast in the past, when I used to listen to WWRL R&B radio on the AM dial. By the way, where was the stick? Where was the tower for WWRL? I believe it was in Queens. I think it was near the Long Island Railroad tracks uh, that uh, you would take take the number seven train to towards Queensboro Plaza, further out. As you would take the 7 train at 36th, 42nd, 57th, all along there. That's where I believe that Tower of Power was. But I used to listen to WWRL and had to do it on the sneak. Because my Supreme Cuisine uh, Italians, they were listening to Top 40. They didn't listen to WABC. Because in order to be played on WABC, the number one uh, pop uh, radio station in the nation, it had to already be a hit. They only played hits. And if you are a real cognoscente, you want to hear songs breaking. They would break songs, pop culture songs, on WMCA and WINS. So I would sample those stations. Almost never listen to WABC. Ironic as it is now with the time that I spent on WABC, which uh, the acronym sometimes uh, stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But I would listen to uh, R&B on WWRL. And then the other day I was up in the Bronx tracing my roots where I started the Guardian Angels in 1979 as a night manager of Mickey D's on the corner of Webster and Marion uh, off of uh, East Fordham Road right across the street from Fordham University. And I went further up Webster Avenue uh, past the 5-2 precinct at Mashula Parkway and then rolled uh, as if I was going towards Riverdale. Why they don't call it the Bronx? Sort of a sort of a status. You know, I met a guy on Forty uh, Second Street, the uh, number three and two train, who had his Fieldston hat on. I recognized it was Fieldston. I said, "Oh, you went to school up in Riverdale, huh?" Yes. How'd you know? You got a Fieldston hat on. Horace Mann up there, right? Why don't they call themselves the Bronx? Uh, they're a bit erudite. They think they're better than everybody else in the Bronx. I know you're listening in Riverdale. I know. I know. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And as I passed DeWitt Clinton High School on Mashula Parkway, 
I said, how many times was I there where I had to engage thugs? It was all boys at one time, 4,000 students. Many of them who would walk to nearby Bedford Park and they would harass the students who were going to Bronx High School of Science, the Brainiacs. These were the kids that took the specialized test who passed it, who would get into either Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech, would get into uh, Bronx High School of Science, and then eventually Staten Island Tech and Staten Island Townsend on the campus of Queens College, the elite, academic elite uh, schools. You had to take the test. And hopefully it will stay that way. Eric Adams, uh, with mayoral control of our school system, is not going to change it. Although you never know with Eric Adams. He's medze, medze, poco, poco. But when I was passing near Bedford Park, uh, the campus of Bronx High School of Science, I said to myself, can you imagine if you were here in the 50s and you saw a guy come out with a leather jacket who was one of the greatest jingle writers, songwriters, and singers of all time, Bobby Darin. That's right. That song you just heard, many of you only heard for the very first time. It was part of the uh, songs that were played for the Goodfellas movie, which a lot of people have seen, which to me is a much better movie than Godfather because it's more accurate about the Jadrules, the knuckle-draggers, uh, the animals in uh, Italian organized crime, as opposed to the romanticized image that Marlon Brando gave the Godfather in uh, Godfather 1, 2, and not so good 3. But Bobby Darren, that was a songwriter, a jingle writer. He had the full package. He could play multiple musical instruments. Sort of reminded me I'd... Gone to the birthday party a while back for Margot Katsimatidis, uh, put on by her husband, John Katsimatidis. They're our owner and operators of Red Apple Media, parent company for us here at WABC. And I remember as entertainment, they had the Polish Prince. You know who the Polish Prince was? Bobby Vinton. Bobby Vinton, who grew up in Pennsylvania, right across the street from Perry Como. Then my mother, Francesca Love, though Perry Como, remember when he had the variety show on once a week? My mother would watch him and drool, and he'd always wear a sweater. It could be 152 degrees in the shade. Perry Como always had a sweater on. And young Bobby Vinton, the Polish prince, wanted to be just like Perry Como. So when Perry Como moved all the way, I think... To the north shore of Suffolk County. I'm not quite sure. Maybe some of you cognoscente can tell me where Perry Como lived out in uh, Long Island. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Guess who moved out there to be near Perry Como? Who was his mentor? Bobby Vinton, the Polish prince. He wanted to dress like him. And Bobby Vinton, great entertainer, like Bobby Darren, could play all the instruments. The guy, I forget at Marco's birthday party, I think Bobby Vinton, I had a little conversation with him. He knew I was Polish. He's Polish, right? I think he was like 76 years old at that time. The guy could dance. The guy could sing. And he wasn't telling little narratives that older performers do so they can catch their breath and get back on track. No. He started playing the sax. He was playing the wood instruments. He was playing the horns. He played the guitar. He played the piano. 
And apparently Bobby Darren, who I never saw in concert, could do exactly the same. What was Bobby Darren's real name? What ethnic group was he with? I always thought he was with one ethnic, uh, of one ethnic group, and uh, I was proven to be uh, hopelessly wrong. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then many of you know, because I told the story quite some time ago, that when I first came on the radio here at WABC with my wife, uh, Lisa, Angels in the Morning, one of our fans was Connie Francis. Oh, Connie Francis. Oh, I adored Connie Francis. And I insisted that she was birthed in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. Everybody said, no, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Newark, Newark, New Jersey. I said, no, 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 Crown Heights. And then at a certain point, I think it was 1993, as I was doing mornings, a beautiful bouquet of fruits and exotic candies came in with a handwritten letter from Connie Francis saying how much she loved the program. Now, does it get any better than that? Hell no. I grew up listening to Connie Francis. And then to find out, that Bobby Darren, as he was climbing the ladder of musical success, met with Connie Francis because he was writing some of her songs that went number one with a bullet top 40. And he wanted to elope with Connie Francis. They were both young. Connie Francis' uh, father said, hell no. I'll break that guy's legs and stuff it in his pocket on the other side of his leather jacket. And years later, Connie Francis said it was the worst mistake of her life. And she should have eloped with Bobby Darren. Think of it. Bobby Darren was writing bubblegum pop songs and jingles. And he had a song right with Don Kirshner. Remember on television, Don Kirshner prevent, uh, presents all the rock and roll acts on Saturday night. Remember, who knew, who knew that Bobby Darren was partners with Don Kirshner and that they met at a candy store in Washington Heights, a candy store. And that's how they solidified their partnership. Now, who do you think uh, ordered the egg cream with the salted rod pretzel, huh? Do you think it was Bobby Darren or do you think it was Don Kirshner? 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. And another bit of trivia. Who co wrote Bobby Darren's maybe most uh, famous of all songs that he did, Splish Splash? Who co wrote it with him? And in fact, the inspiration. He wrote it in one hour, Bobby Darren, with the help of this DJ. But he was inspired because he spoke to the DJ's mother, who was a frustrated songwriter. Ah, I might as well give you the name, right? No, but I'm going to put it out there as trivia. And remember Frank Morano, who at midnight has consistently said, the trivia does not lead to discussion. Oh, hell yes, it does. And we have proven that time and time again on this Another side of midnight. Why, why is it another side? And I, hmm. 
I think the algorithm gives credit to Frank Morano for people listening to Another Side of Midnight, this program, and gives credit to them listening to Frank Morano, the other side of midnight. I, I think that's his strategy. That's a lot of technology there. We'll get into that in the 4 o'clock hour. You don't want to be falling asleep, that's for sure. one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. But he took only one hour, one hour, to write Splish Splash after talking on the phone, the house phone. With the DJ's mother, who is a frustrated songwriter herself. Boy, that's a lot of trivia out there. Let's go to Bob in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Bob. Curtis. Yes, Bobby. I'm the DJ from North QXDs, Belleville. Ah, okay, okay. We uh, connected uh, about 24 hours ago, but you knew Connie Francis's father? Honestly, I'm always drunk when I call you. I'm sober right now. Connie Francis's father built my house in Belleville, New Jersey. Now, where was Connie Francis born? Belleville. Belleville. Claremont, New Jersey. Claremont Hospital in Newark. But let me, let, let me tell you something, Bob. You couldn't be yeah. more hopelessly wrong. You, no, no, Crown Heights, Brooklyn, Bobby. You couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. <laughs> But they were, all right, we Adelaide Street in Belleville has been named after her, so maybe she wasn't born there. But I have a question for you, Curtis. You're, you're the New Yorker. Where were you in 9-11? I know I don't want to change stories, but what was your 9-11 story? This guy must be drunk. We're talking about Bobby Darren, Connie Francis, how Connie Francis said... The worst mistake she ever made in her life was not eloping with Bobby Darren. And Bob wants to find out where I was on 9-11. Is, it, is this a Jersey thing? Maybe he's a Gavon out there. And then insists that Connie Francis was born, birthed in Newark. No, Belleville, he said. Belleville, right? When I know she was birthed in Crown Heights, I I defy any of you to show me your documentary evidence on that. Oh, what a great, oh, Connie Francis was so good. So good. Oh, there's so much more about Bobby Darren. What an interesting life. Now, I know they made a movie about him. I think it was the perv who starred as Bobby Darren, Kevin Spacey, right? Am I right or wrong on that? I don't know who he was perving on in that movie. But it needs, it needs a remake. This guy, when you delve into what an incredible life of creativity he had with incredible incumbent impediments that he had to overcome, which I'm going to go through the litany of them momentarily. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Giuseppe, Joey, calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Yes, Joey. Let me get the, yeah, let me get the first of all. I'll go to Bobby Darren. But let me go, go with uh, Terry Como first. Hold on, Shay. You, you, need, you need to talk in to the uh, the microphone on your phone. Yeah, I'm talking to him. You can't hear me? All right, talk a little louder. A little louder, Joe. All right, all right. All right, all right there yeah, you go. There you go, Joey. Right, first, first of all, let me get the Perry Como for one minute. Perry Como came from Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. He lived in Sands Point. Long Island, 
in the same, not right next door, but not, not too far from Frank Costello. Frank Costello lived in Central Park West, but he had a home in Sands Point also. All right, let me get to Bobby Darren. All right, now Bobby hold Darren. on. Before you get to Bobby Darren, let's uh, let's conflate all of that. You give us a lot of stuff. So Perry Como from Pennsylvania moves to Sa- right moves huh? to Sands Point in Long Island, not far from the house of the head of organized crime for a while, Frank Costello, who was able to retire. One of the few who were able to retire, standing up instead of laying down in a casket. Correct. That's correct. 1957, he retired when he got shot. Shot, shot by uh, Vinny the oh. Chin Gigante. Yeah, but first of all, it's not the chin. That's a, that, they keep saying the chin, the chin. That's not, that, that's not the chin. It's chin. Uh. Chin is shot Dino. When he was a kid, his name is Vincenzo. So when he was a kid, his mother used to call him Chinzino. And chin is shot for Chinzino. They say the chin. There's so much misinformation with this news media and everybody else. They don't know they rash what's going on. All right, let's, let's get to Bobby Darren. All right, hold on. Bobby Before Darren. you get to Splish Splash Bobby Darren, part of that misinformation is put out there by our own Frank Morano. He has a, uh, a series of podcasts. You really need to listen to them, uh, uh, Joe, because uh, you might know uh, he's got a lot of podcasts on organized crime. Uh, when time permits, Joe, you got to go to WABCRadio.com. Listen to those podcasts. And the next time you call, let me know if he is truthful in his narratives, half and half, mezze, mezze, poco, poco, or just hopelessly wrong. All right. Well, I can't, I can't do the podcast. I don't have the equipment. I'm still using the flip phone. I don't have that. Uh, I don't even have a, a, a smartphone. My God, how come you only have a flip right. phone, Giuseppe? How come only a flip phone? Uh, it's a long story. I had I was ready to buy one, and they couldn't transfer all my contacts and all my pictures from the flip phone into the new phone. It's the cable. Now you know who else. You know who else has a flip phone. Now she gave up the smartphone, the iPhone, and putting things in the cloud. Rihanna herself has a flip phone. Yeah, I don't blame her. She's smart. And she's very wealthy. What does she need a smartphone? With her money, she can buy Microsoft. (laughs) But now let's let's get to Mr. Mr. Splish Splash, Bobby Darren. All right, let's let's get to Walden Robert Casato. Better known as you know him as Bobby Darren. Came from the Bronx. His his, uh, sister was his mother. And his, and his mother was his grandmother. I don't know if you know that story. Say that one more time. Say that one more time, Giuseppe. In reality, his sister was his mother, and his grandmother was and, and, and his mother was his grandmother. In other words, his sister had a baby. It was him. But she, those days, they were like ashamed that she got knocked up. His, his father was Polish, you know, Walden Robert Casato. That's where we got the low Walden. Anyway, they were, she was, he was born out of wedlock, so they were shamed. So they, so they tell everybody that's the, that was his sister, but really was his mother. And then uh, the, the grandmother, who he thought was his mother, was his grandmother. But anyway, all right, most splish flash. What was there a call for me? His biggest record that catapulted him into the, into the pop genre. The pop idiom from from Lock and Lolly went into the was Mac the Knife. 
of the Three Penny Opera, written by Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Weill. All right, what else you want to know? Now you have done quite well. Quite well. I'm very Tony impressed. Cuomo. Very impressed. Cuomo. I was going to write his biography. After, after he retired, he moved to Jupiter, Florida, Perry Como. Lived to be almost 90. He lived another two months, he would have been 90. He was born in May 1912. My mother adored Perry Como. He, oh, she had all of his famous. records, all of his records. Perry Como, he, he had the biggest show. In 1960, NBC gave him the most money in the history of, of TV. It was only about $8 million, But in those days, it would be like $800 million today. And uh, he, he was at the biggest show. And uh, I saw him in 1992. He was 80 years old. He, he did a world tour. He went to Dublin. He went everywhere. Then he was in, he was in Connecticut at the Hartford Convention Center. And I got tickets. I went to see him. He was singing like he was young. <laughs> he was 80 already. He was still singing so good. Although he had to rearrange the, the, the arrangements, he had to change the, uh, the register. He had to bring it down uh, uh, an octave because he, and he was having trouble with the low notes so he could hit the high notes because it's such a song so you could, you could finish it. And uh, he was one of the greatest singers, you know, who loved him the most. First of all, he was a good Catholic. He was a massive communion in St. Patrick's. He raised so much money to build schools for the Catholic Church. You know who loved him the most? Who? Frank Sinatra. Ah, Sinatra. Because Sinatra wished wish he could be, had the character of Perry Como. The two people Sinatra loved the most, he respected them because they were so good. Rosalind Russell, another good Catholic, never fooled around. She was married to Freddie Freddie Brisson for 40 years. Never fooled around. He loved it so much to send the flowers. And uh, Perry Como, they did a skit in 1951, early TV, him, Frankie Lane, Perry Como Sinatra. Sinatra was down in those days. He wasn't, didn't make his comeback yet. Comeback came in 54. And he had those down years, you know, 50, 51, 52. He, he took a tumble. He was the number one, but then he took a tumble. In those days, Johnny James was bigger than him. Another Italian girl from Chicago. But anyway, make a long story short, the most underrated singer, Perry Como. He made it, he made it, and he, who loved them the most? The Irish. The Irish used to go, when he, when it was, the, when he had the Christmas show in the 50s and 60s, all the bars in Manhattan, all the Irish bars, guys were drinking, they would, when, when he sang the Ave Maria, they would shut everything off. You could, you could, even though they were drunk, you could hear a pin drop. He could sing the Ave Maria, the Our Father. Nobody could sing those songs better than him. He was the master. He had a great voice. And uh, he didn't have that. He didn't really delve into really. Just, or everything he did was a hit record. Even if he sang the phone book, it would become a hit record. That's how, that's how much he was loved. He never fooled around. You'd never see him on TV touch the women, shake hands, none of that stuff. Always... Uh, a gentleman, and he's the two most loved guys in show business. In those days, two Italians, Harry Como and Jimmy Durante, the most loved guys off the screen because there was, and the women, they used to go crazy over Perry Como. He wouldn't even look at them because he was handsome. 
know, he had the hair, everything. So nobody could be Perry Como, but uh, those are that. Now, if you walk down the street today, you ask any young kid, 40 and below, maybe 50 and below, did you ever hear of Perry Como? They'll tell you, no, who's that? And he was the biggest thing on TV in the 50s. And yet, today, he's a forgotten man. Now, well, not, not forgotten, not forgotten here, Joe, because remember, my mother, Francesca, adored Perry Como, had all of his records. At, she'd be spinning the, uh, uh, the records uh, at home while she'd be uh, doing the housework or doing her clerical work. That's how she oh. earned some extra money for the house. Yeah. She'd be listening to Perry Como. Yeah, did you, did you ever hear a song, And I Love You So? And I Love You So, the people ask me how. That, was, that song was written by Mr. American Pie, Don McLean. He was on the Merv Griffin show about 50 years ago. After, after American Pie 1971 come out, so he became a big, big star. He was on the Merv Griffin show, and he told Merv Griffin, he says, you know, and before he wrote American Pie, he wrote And I Love You So. It was on his first album. He says, you know, and Como recorded it. And he, I don't know if you ever heard Como sing it. He recorded it. was like a, a minor hit for him. Anyway, make a long story short, he told Mel Griffin, he said, when I heard, he said, the greatest rendition of that song is Perry Como. He said, when I heard it, the way he, he, he uh, read the lyric, how he interpreted it, so sincere, he says, I was so touched. I, almost, he had, I had tears in my eyes. And it's true. Listen to the record. Nobody can beat him. I'm no, I definitely, I definitely will, Joe. And uh, if time permits, if you could please call Joe Pacoco, make that not Pacoco, the leg, the leg breaker for the Cuomos. You see, you mentioned Cuomo, and I'm thinking Andrew Evilized Cuomo, Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo. Uh, oh, they spell the name different. They spell it different. Cuomo, C-O-M-O. The other guy got the U in it. C-U-O. They spell it different. I know, but... To a lot of people, it sounded it sounded the same. And I got to be honest with you: when I first heard of uh, Mario Como, I thought he was related to Perry Como. No, no, no! You're talking two different guys. First of all, Mario Como and, and Andrew Como and and uh, and the other guy from CNN and the other sissy brother, Fredo, Fredo. Yeah, yeah, Fredo. He shined Perry Como's sneakers. Never mind his shoes. Perry Como was a man, was a gentleman. Come on, don't, don't even insult Perry Como. Don't mention them in the same breath. That's true. And that's Perry true. Como, that would be who, uh, who, uh, started out, when Perry Como started out, he was with the Ted Weems band for about 10 years. He traveled with the band. He was the only, the only musician. Well, he was the, the, the boy singer with the band. He was the only one that traveled with his wife. He traveled with his wife. That all the other musicians thought he was crazy because, you know, when you're on the road, you know, they were like the, the rock stars of their day. And uh, so this guy traveled with him. She used to go everywhere with him. They were married for 50, over 50 years. She died nine months before him. When she died, that was the end of him. Nine months later, he was gone. So he never fooled around. But, uh, and in that business, you know, that was uh, like, uh, it was tough to do, you know. The girl throw you, they throw themselves at you. But anyway, that's the story. Bobby Diamond, Bobby, da- 
Battle was another crazy guy from the Bronx, very temperamental, very skinny. He was, uh, Connie Francis was his girlfriend, Conchetta Franconero. But the father broke them up. The father was smart to break them up because show business, you know, he was an old-fashioned Italian guy in Jersey. Then they killed the brother. brother was a lawyer. He got in trouble with the mob, and they, uh, they did him in. So, but she had a tough life. You know, she got raped in the hotel room, so there wasn't pieces. She still sings. She's about 80 years old now, 82 maybe. So, but uh, she was a great singer. She could sing Italian songs, American songs. She had a lot of hits. And uh, she was just a great singer, that's all. But she had a tragic life. Yeah, no, she uh, recently uh, was on with Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey, who interviewed her. Oh, yeah? Yeah, no, it was great. Yeah, you could actually uh, go, Giuseppe, and you could uh, hear it on the podcast. One of uh, Cousin Brucey's best shows, when I heard him interviewing Connie Francis, I got all for toots. I got to tell you, I got all for toots. Well, Joe, Giuseppe, a wealth of information. And you see, he proved what I've said about talk radio. It's about the callers. Not the host or the hostess. Now, uh, other other folks can do the programs the way they want to do it and listen to themselves talk and talk and talk. But how how do I compete with a guy like Joe? Right? That's a wealth of information. He talked about Bobby Darren. He talked about Connie Francis. He went on at length about my mother's favorite Perry Como, and he probably could be talking for the next five years because he lived this life. That's why talk radio is the most intimate form of communication. As many of you are stangad right now, you're laying parallel to the ground, one eye open, one eye shut. You might have your earbuds in your ears. And your subliminal mind is going to pick up on a lot of this discussion. You'll wake up in like an hour or two and you remember some of this. I'm only hoping that Joe and others... In just a few hours, we'll call Joe Piscopo and ask him, Joe, you've played every Sinatra song, but Curtis says you missed one. And he heard it on The Simpsons, the Tijuana song. Why, Joe Piscopo? Jersey Joe, have you never played the Tijuana song sung by Frank Francis Sinatra? Remember, Francis with an I as opposed to Francesca, my mother with the E. I always said to myself, Mom, guy's named Francis is uh, something a little different about the guy. No, no, no. It's just guys uh, spell Francis with an I, girls with an E. That was shocking to me. A guy would be called Francis, and I'd say, man, it's like a put-down, right? It's like giving a girl's name. No, no, no. It's Francis with an I as opposed to for girls an E. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Ellen calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Elaine. Hello? Yes, hello. Okay, uh, Curtis. I was ready to call about Sands Point. Uh, it's Eileen. It's Sands Point, uh, but the guy before me, the gentleman before me said it was Sands Point, and he died in Florida. And uh, Curtis, very good show. 
Enjoy your show. I stay for weekends. You're my weekend boyfriend. But I just wanted to tell you something about this mayor, Eric Adams, and de Blasio, his predecessor. They tried to screw the city of the retirees of the city of New York with their health plan. The judge stayed it. They tried to save it on the backs of the, the cops, the firemen. All the retirees with their health plan tried to change it. And the judge, Frank, put a stay on it and it to save uh, $600 million. And Eric Adams put the $600 million savings in the budget. Now he has to redo the budget because the judge put a stay on it. Give us a cheaper health plan. But luckily, we retirees formed money and got lawyers to prevent Eric Adams. Eric Adams said while campaigning, he'll look into the matter. Became mayor. He went along with the plan. And he's very upset that all the retirees of the city of New York uh, put in money, got lawyers, and uh, they're trying to appeal it in appellate. Oh, yeah. Um, In fact, uh, Eileen, in the midst of the campaign when I was running against Eric Adams, a guy who rose through the ranks of the police department, a member of the Shamrim Society, proud Jew, Ed Mamet, uh, went way up, way up the line. Said to me, Curtis, you, you gotta, you gotta defend the retirees. You don't, you don't understand, Curtis. There are so many retirees, both here in the tri-state area, down in Florida, down in North Carolina, who are dependent on this, dependent. And the city promised, the city promised. And uh, then you're right. Eric Adams said, "Oh no, no, no! I'll definitely do something about this when I uh, become mayor." And then he stabbed. All the seniors in the back. You're absolutely right, Eileen. It was a backstabbing I, effort. I'm, I worked for the city and YPD 27 years. My son got hurt in 9-11 as uniform cop. And when he did this, the judge based it on the administrative code. And that infamous DC-37 went with the teachers' union uh, and sided with them. And unbelievable. Then when you call DC 37, they said, oh, we never did that. You know what they did? They pulled the prescription plan from GHI and Medicare that they promised us. They pulled it from GHI and went with that Advantage Plus, that if you wanted to stay with the original plan, you had to pay $190 plus $125 a month to keep the uh, prescription plan. When I called DC 37 to say what's happening when the judge uh, denied Eric Adams and the city of New York what they wanted to do, they denied they even did that, even though they sent out the paperwork stating such. Yeah, now, but uh, by Eileen, remember, it was Michael Mulgrew and the UFT who cut that separate deal, who uh, really made it difficult for all of the retirees. And I want to salute Ed Mamet, who's been uh, was so helpful in helping me with public safety matters, understanding uh, police work other than from from the point of view of all the police who arrested me in my life seventy seven times, <laughs> who gave me wooden shampoos, attitudinal readjustments, and had me sucking concrete. Uh, he hit me to this. He warned me that Eric Adams would do a pirouette. 
And Ed Mammy couldn't be more hopelessly right about this. I'm just sorry I couldn't be mayor and make sure that we would have honored the promise that had been made to all the hardworking retirees who had served New York City. What a great set of pipes. Bobby Darren had something very similar to what my mother Francesca had. As a youngster, he had uh, all kinds of heart problems because he had rheumatic fever. And my mother Francesca, obviously much earlier than uh, Bobby Darren, was diagnosed with rheumatic fever. And the, uh, the remedy was that they put the kids in a room and told them not to move, just to sit in a seat because if they were to exercise or move around, it might cause their aorta, their weakened heart to explode. And so they were sent to uh, medical asylums. My mother, the 13th child, the last drop, of Fidel and Nicoletta Bianchino from Andrea in Bari, the only child to be born here in America, was sent to an asylum in Connecticut because they thought that she would die with rheumatic fever. In fact, my uh, uncle, Steve, who was the only one uh, who could find uh, work employment during the Depression because he was a brewmaster having worked in Strohs in Detroit and came to New York, met my uh, aunt uh, Mary. Uh, his last name was Stacy. He was Polish. They got married and had uh, Jeannie and Butchie. Uh, but Uncle Steve was always able to get work as a brewmaster, even though he was a test, uh, a taste tester of uh, the brewery creation and tasted too much of it because he was always half in the bag, but he was good at what he did. So during the Depression, he would go all the way to Patterson, New Jersey, through the Hudson Tubes in order to work at a brewery there. And he was very close to my mother, would buy her dolls uh, and would give her little tchotchkes. And so he went to the butcher shop on Avenue L in Canarsie. It was owned by Paulie Castellano, who soon would become the head of organized crime years later. He's a member of the Gambino crime family. There were Gambinos uh, on the south side, Lucchese's on the north side of Avenue L. And my Uncle Steve simply said to the butcher at the time, Paulie Castellano, hey, uh, can I buy uh, some of those bones that you uh, sell to the rendering plants? Because uh, from the bone, they would make marrow soup. And they thought that marrow soup could deal with the heart problems that were created by rheumatic fever. And Paulie Castellano said to my Uncle Steve, I'll never forget this song. It was a uh, story as it was related to me, my, so many of my extended family members. He told Steve, why should I sell the bones to you? I get more uh, by uh, selling it to the rendering plant and the munitions factory because they would make gunpowder out of the marrow and the bones. And so he said, no, I'm not going to sell it to you. And Uncle Steve said, name your price. I need to get some marrow to make bone marrow soup for my niece, Francesca. And he threw him out of the store. So you have, you have one of the motivations uh, that was implanted into me as a little kid. Why I hated the Gambinos with a passion. Because Paulie Castellano who then eventually would get whacked outside of Sparks Steakhouse 
by the tandem of John Gotti Sr. with his underboss of the Gambino crime family, their wing of the Gambino crime family, Sammy the Bull Gravano, who eventually ate the Parmesan cheese and sent uh, John Gotti Sr. triple life without parole to marry in the federal penitentiary in Illinois, where he soon developed uh, throat cancer and went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. And I'll never forget that. And many of the relatives of Paulie Castellano remained in the business of selling meat in different capacities. In fact, some of them are still affiliated with what you know as Western Beef, which is like a supermarket for meat products. Although no further uh, affiliation with uh, Paulie Castellano since he went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. But it's interesting. Bobby Darren had rheumatic fever throughout his childhood. And in fact, in the latter days, because he died very young as a performer, he would have to suck on oxygen before and after a performance because of a weak heart. He had two artificial valves, some of the two first artificial valves that were ever implanted into a human being. And then years later, while he was out in Los Angeles, he was uh, dying of heart failure. They did uh, at Mount uh, Cedars-Sinai a eight-hour operation in which they tried to repair the heart, uh, replace the valves. And he was just not able to survive that. So there's something uh, that I think back that my mother went through. She, who had been sent to the asylum, actually escaped with a young girl that she befriended there. And my mother, very adventurous, a risk-taker decided she wasn't going to sit in a room any longer. She would risk her aorta, her heart exploding, ran out into the countryside of Connecticut, found a a store, a county store, miles away, and convinced the store owner to call up a store in Canarsie because at that time people didn't have personal phones. You had to receive a call over at the grocery store, the candy store, and my grandmother, Nicoletta, got on the phone. They went to summon her from the house. She went back to the house. She said, I just talked to Francesca. Uh, we're getting into the car. We're going to rescue her. We're bringing her back here, and we're not sending her to Connecticut or any asylum again. She's my youngest daughter. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Kirk. He's been waiting patiently on the line in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kirk. How you doing, Curtis? Um, Go ahead, Kirk. Brought it up yet? But Bobby Darren's real name was Walden Robert Casoto. Hello. Wow. You see, I gave him slack. He asked me how he was doing. Let's see if he's still there. Oh, I got. I'm here. I'm here. You know, um, you, know, know you, you, you know what you said, Kirk. Uh, you asked me how am I doing, and you know my rabbit rules of order are never ask oh, me how yeah, I'm doing. Okay. I'm smatic. Yeah, you know, I understand. I know. I've done this with you before. But uh, Bobby Darren's real name was Walden Robert DeCasoto. Right, what else did you know about Bobby Darren? Uh, he claimed, I just pulled, I pulled this up on Wikipedia. All right, He claimed that his father was a minor gangster back in the day. And his father actually died before he was born. And I, I, heard, the, I heard the other caller talking about saying his grandmother, he, he said that his sister was his mother. 
Well, remember, and this was also shared, another performer, ironically, had the same situation happen to them. So it's 1935, and Bobby Darren's yeah. mother had Bobby Darren at 17. Yes, oh, that, you know something? That's the same age I was born with my mother. Right. And the grandmother uh, and her daughter hatched a plan to pass off her baby as Nina's younger oh, brother. So, okay. So you understand, he was under the assumption that his mother was his sister and that his grandmother was his mother. Oh, when when he finally me. found when he finally found out about that, he was so traumatized that he went into seclusion in a cabin way up in the Sierra Mountains in in California for a year. People couldn't even get in touch with him. He he just wow. was so blown away by that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know something? He was so talented, man. And you know, he actually wrote he wrote several songs for Connie Francis. You were talking about her before. And he wrote many songs for her she, that that became his for her. So, uh, and, and and you mentioned before about his heart condition, and it was a hereditary heart condition. I read I read up on that too, and that's what killed him at thirty seven years old. Yeah, it's amazing. And by the way, you know that Bobby Darren, as great as he was in singing uh, lounge songs and pop songs, he also sang country songs. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. He's got, he, had the, he, he had the voice to do anything. And, in fact, I think it uh, be interesting because in a few hours, uh, Dina Martin uh, will present after Joe Piscopo does the two-hour yeah, yeah. Frank Sinatra show, yeah. Ramsey Monster show. But Dina Martin will uh, be uh, presenting uh, songs of her father, Dean Martin. But it was Dean Martin who actually put Bobby Darren on TV, NBC, with a variety yeah. show. Dean Martin is Dean Martin's daughter. I thought it was his wife. No, his daughter. Oh, 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 okay. All right, thanks. I just learned something. Oh, it's very good. Very, very good program. Yeah. And then I come on at 9 o'clock. I know. I, was, I listened to it, but I always thought Dina was his, his, his wife. Oh, jeez. That, that came from my wife. She's the one that told me that. Now, you know who uh, wrote the song, Dunker Shane? That was sung by oh, uh, the young uh, young man right off. The, 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 wait, wait, wait! I, I only remember it by a woman. All right. Well, look, look. I, I'm going to throw that out for consumption, Kirk. Who wrote the song "Dunker Shane"? Who sang it? Who wrote it? And who sang it? One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. The other interesting thing about uh, Bobby Darren is that he was an enthusiastic chess player. He was going to play the champion of the world, the chess master, for the largest prize fund in the history of competitive chess playing. And unfortunately, he died on the operating table of Mount Sinai, Mount Cedar Sinai. And that eight-hour attempt uh, by the uh, doctors, the surgeons, to repair his two heart valves and his heart that had become uh, extraordinarily weakened. Wouldn't that have been great? Imagine a match between Bobby Darren and Bobby uh, Fisher. 
the eccentric one. And where was Bobby Fischer from? Boy, that, that's that's a program. Talk about a mystery. You know, Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, he always, oh, we're going to do mysteries, mysteries. What about Bobby Fischer? And whose side would he have been on in this war against the Ukraine? Who would Bobby Fischer have supported? Would he have been supporting Vladimir Putin or Zelensky in the Ukraine? 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 W.A.B.C. Let's go to Frankie, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at W.A.B.C., Frankie. Yeah, I just want to tell you about the song Splish Splash. You said you wanted to know who the other writer was. It's uh, Gene Murray. Bobby Darren and Gene Murray for Splish Splash. Yeah, and apparently uh, he uh, was writing. uh, You you said who was the co-writer? Gene Murray. That's the name of the, of the writer that uh, wrote uh, Splish Splash. Well, you got one of the names correct. You got the first name correct when you said Murray. No, Gene Murray. Gene, G-E-A-N, Murray. That's the name of the, of the writer. Yeah, but who is the DJ that participated in the songwriting? In fact, his mother, a frustrated songwriter herself had a one-hour conversation with Bobby Darren on the house phone, and then he whipped it out in one hour's time. Oh, I don't know. I I got the the, the record. Actually, I got the record in the Freddie Cannon album, and he sings Push Splash, and and it says Bobby Darren and Gene Murray. Yeah, no, no, no. You are are almost... 75 percent there. Yeah, 75 percent there, Frankie. Yeah, that's why you got to keep listening as I take you to the six o'clock hour. Frankie got three quarters of the pie, but there's still a quarter of the uh, lemon meringue pie left in the diner. And you know how lemon meringue can last in perpetuity. A nuclear bomb could drop and you'll still have the lemon meringue pie in the diner somehow still with the meringue and uh, the chiffon. I guess that's what you call it, right? The chiffon on the top. It seems like it could survive a nuclear blast. one 800 Let's go to John, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Johnny. Good morning, Curtis. I, uh, the, the other caller st- stole my thunder. You know, Perry Como was in Sands Point, New York. And also, uh, another guy that, that, and Bobby Darren, let me tell you something. He was the closest thing to Frank Sinatra, let me tell you. He, you know, that his style was right, was, was, uh, I've heard, you know, other guys try to sound like Frank Sinatra. He was about the closest thing to Frank Sinatra. Well, it's, a, it's amazing because you listen to his lounge music and you're right. He's like on it. But then he sang country music, he sang folk music, he wrote music, he wrote jingles, he was prolific. Yes. And Connie Francis, I think she was from Lodi, New Jersey. Ah, uh, so, okay, so let's see. We got the one guy who was half in the bag, the DJ, who yes. claimed that she was from Belleville. You're claiming yes. Lodi, and I say she was birthed in Crown Heights. Oh, I, I don't know where she was. I know, I know I read one time she, she lived in Lodi, which is near Little Ferry and all those, you know, off Route 46 in that area. Uh, and also... Uh, she was raped at the, you know, she she was doing a concert at the Westbury Music Fair. 
where she was in a motel and she got raped. Yeah, I remember. It was very, very traumatic. Yeah. Uh, yet she was able to survive that. Yes. Uh, recently heard her on uh, Bruce Morrow, a.k.a. Cousin Brucey's show. He had a uh, extended interview with her. And at 80 yeah. years old, sharp as attack, sharp as attack. And another question, you know, you know, because I want to ask you, if you saw the Oscars, when uh, Lady Gaga brought out Lisa Minnelli, she was, she's a good singer, too, Lisa Minnelli. There's rumors. I, I don't know if I got the story right. Maybe one of your other people could call in, could, could, could verify it. She was bit by some kind of mosquito to give it that condition. Did you ever hear something like that? Yeah, that sounds like uh, a mystery that uh, Frank Morano of the other side of midnight would have to probe into because he'll try to hog it all up for himself, right? You know that. Up next, though, you need to know the facts of why all of a sudden there was musical chairs here at WABC and I was never informed. I was kept out of the loop, even though it meant an hour from me that was being given to somebody else. My colleague, Dominic Carter, who's like two peas uh, in a pod, like a soup in a sandwich, like a horse in a carriage, with Frank Morano. So this is the new open that had to be sanctioned by, believe it or not, Frank Morano, who is the new golden child here at WABC, he is a untouchable. He can do no wrong in the eyes of the owners. Uh, management to suits the mockers, the muckety mucks. So it was he who chose the name of the show after having a hissy fit about a month ago, in which he said he didn't want me referring uh, to the other side of midnight as the weekend edition. He wanted a completely different name. And after we uh, assembled 382 suggestions from our many listeners, who sent them in by snail mail, text, email, phone call suggestions, and by uh, pigeons, he ended up choosing another side of midnight. Because he wanted it to be so close that the algorithms would be that if somebody were calling you and asking you, who do you listen to on the radio? You would say, naturally, uh, if it was Frank Morano, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, that's 20 hours of listening uh, over the five mornings. Uh, another side of midnight sounds a lot like the other side of midnight. So the algorithm would give Frank Morano credit. For the 12 hours that I do, from uh, midnight uh, Friday now to 6 in the morning Saturday, midnight uh, Saturday to 6 in the morning Sunday, that's the shift I'm in now. And then uh, from 9 p.m. when I return to 12 midnight before Dominic Carter comes in between me and Frank like a fluffernutter with peanut butter. And oh boy, there is a story to all of this that is intriguing, beguiling, and uh, indicates that Frank obviously wants to have as much separation uh, from me as possible, but wants to benefit from having almost the same name from the algorithms that would tabulate you as listeners 
for his show called The Other Side of Midnight, and this show is called Another Side of Midnight. You see? The strategy here, the technology? Wait, though. You think maybe I'm um, overreacting. You think that maybe I'm a bit paranoid or schizophrenic about all this? Oh, no, I'm not. I want you to listen to the owner and operator of uh, Red Apple Media, along with his wife, Margot, the parent company of this radio station, number one news talk station in the nation, WABC, pulsating out the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, which at this time in the morning is heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a strip of Europe, and yes, out there in the Bermuda Triangle. Listen to... uh, John Katsimatidis, great talk show host in his own right. If you listen in a few hours, 8.30, yeah, he'll have on Frank Morano and a whole bunch of other contributors uh, till 9. And then uh, the newsmakers from 9 to 10. And then my Kumbadachich, Rudy Giuliani. want you to listen to John Katsimatidis talking about the golden child, the untouchable now in WABC, Frank Morano. Uh, I understand we got Frank Morano on the uh uh, on the phone, and Frank is the other side of midnight, uh, Monday through Friday from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock. So all it's a live show for all of you that can't sleep at night. Tune in on WABC Radio, and it's the Holy Coast because it's the middle of the night, and we broadcast from the tip of Florida all the way to northern uh, Canada to northern Europe, and if you can't sleep at night, talk to Frank, and Frank will talk to you, <laughs> and that way you're not going to be alone. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be like alone. And now uh, Frank has a show at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoons with, with, with what it was his best interview for the week, and it was real interesting. He's doing well. Uh, Frank well, Morano, tell us. Now, did anyone ever get an introduction like that here at WABC? Plus... Think about it. I'm on two to four with Anthony Weiner. And now Anthony Weiner does an hour by himself, which is good. This way he gets his uh, talk radio legs from two to three. Then I join him from three to four. Only to have to hear the best of Frank Morano, the other side of midnight from four to five on Saturday afternoons. And then recognizing he's eating up a lot of the real estate here at WABC. With the blessings of our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis. But then, then, listen to what Lydia Serrani had to say about Frank Morano, the Albanian bad girl. And Morano's very humble. He has a number one show, basically, in, where in the country. In the country. Now, Thank you both. Thank you both uh, for saying that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Could I hear that again? And Morano's very humble. He has a number one show, basically, in, where in the country. In the country. Now, Thank you both. Thank you both uh, for saying that. Number one show in the country. Number one. You heard that from both Lydia and then added on to by John Katsimatidis. You think I'm paranoid? You think I'm schizophrenic? You think I'm not understanding the way the tea leaves are read here? And why I call Frank Morano the golden child, the uh, anointed one, the untouchable, and one who is referred to here by the suits as the future of talk radio. Listen to caller Rich 
who felt it was incumbent upon him to tell me what was taking place that I had absolutely Jack Daly Squat no idea about. Let's go to Rich in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rich. Good morning, Curtis. I was listening to uh, uh, on Friday morning, or I should say Thursday into Friday, Dominic Carter and uh, Frank Morano, and they were switching shifts. They said something about uh, Dominic coming in on Monday morning. Did you? You didn't hear that, huh? No. Look, I came here. And I was told you got to jump in because Dominic isn't here yet. Uh, he hasn't called, has he? Dizzy, he, is he? Uh, has he get, gotten in touch with us at all? Not at all. Not yet. So I have a feeling, Rich, uh, this is probably something that Frank Morano has hatched up and hasn't even informed me. That's why I jumped on it, too, because, I, I, like I said, I enjoy listening to you over the whole weekend, and I don't want to see anything happen to Nancy's uh, show portion as well, so. Maybe you start that a little earlier on Monday? Uh, you know, I'm going to have to reconfigurate, but it's great that you're listening so much, Rich. Uh, you're listening to me. You're listening to Frank Morano. You're listening to Dominic Carter, Rita Cosby. Listen, because obviously you got to rat out what's going on around I here. Got my, I, I, I brought my Parmesan cheese with me. Good. Good. Rat them all I, I out. Got other, I, I got one other thing. Oh, hold on. Um, hold on. you got to hold your horses. <laughs> <laughs> because you stunned me with that. So Dominic knew he wasn't coming in tonight, and it was with Frank's okay. Oh, since when is Frank the shot caller here? And what am I, just a pisher, a schmendrick, a person of no consequence that nobody tells me? Oh, but that's because Frank Morano, he's the golden child. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not just imagining this. Rich picked it up. And to his credit, listening as long as he can to Frank Morano so he could rat him out to me. Again, Monday through Fridays from 1 in the morning to 5. Five days a week, that's 20 hours. You got to listen because I'm out there with the Guardian Angels trying to do something about the unbelievable amount of crime. It's gone up 200% in the subways just in the last week alone. But, boy, that's disconcerting. And then... Listen to this love fest that exists now between Frank Morano and Dominic Carter and why Frank arranged for Dominic to take my hour Sunday night, midnight to Monday morning, one o'clock, and then to throw me back at the 12 midnight hour on Friday so he could be closer to Dominic. He doesn't want Dominic, right? Anywhere near me, he wants to use Dominic as a buffer. And then listen to what Dominic says. This guy is an award-winning journalist. Went to Syracuse University. One of the best schools of journalism in the nation. Listen to what he said about Frank Morano. I know you to be a great journalist. A journalist? Frank Morano? Can I hear that again? I know you to be a great journalist. Can you believe that? What what school of journalism did Frank Morano go to? In fact, NYU, it was not the school of journalism. Uh, Unfortunately, both of his parents got schnookered into paying, what, $55,000 a year, no frill. For what? Did he go to the school of journalism out in, in, in Missouri, at the University of Missouri? No. Syracuse University? No. Can I hear that again, what Dominic Carter said? 
I know you to be a great journalist. We're not journalists. We're talk radio show hosts. Now, Dominic Carter is legitimately a journalist. He has busted his shoes. He has established his credibility. He has broken many, many stories in his lifetime. But to call Frank Morano a journalist, to call me a journalist, that's an insult to all journalists. But you see how Dominic Carter has drunk the Kool-Aid. Then, Dominic has an hour each night, 12 midnight to 1 in the morning, five mornings a week. And then he starts letting Frank select the phone callers on his show. Uh, you select the next caller. How about Al in Tenafly? Okay, Al, I believe, is on Ukraine. Is that correct? Yep. Can you... So Dominic has an hour, and he lets Frank come into his studio and then pick the calls. Can I hear that again? I, uh, I... You select the next caller. How about Al in Tenafly? Okay, Al, I believe, is on Ukraine. Is that correct? Yep. Wow. He just rolls over for Frank. Then listen to this caller, how confused she is in not knowing the difference between Ike and Mike, Dominic and Frank. Let's go to Tony in Florida. Good morning, Tony. You're on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Good morning, Frank. I have two really Dominic, quick Dominic, Frank is coming up next. Go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry, Dominic. I don't know where my head is. It's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. You see, the synergy is such that the caller, Tony, female from Florida, was actually talking to Frank and not Dominic during his show. Again, we need to play that again. Let's go to Tony in Florida. Good morning, Tony. You're on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Good morning, Frank. I have two really Dominic, Dominic, Frank is coming up next. Go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry, Dominic. I don't know where my head is. It's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. See that? Ah, gets worse. Right? It's the Dominic Carter show. And then it's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, right? Listen to how lovey-dovey they are. How about uh, how about um, Andrew in my hometown of Staten Island? All right, Andrew, you're talking to Frank and Dominic. You're talking to Frank and Dominic. Since when is this a partnership? Now, I thought they were individually autonomous to one another. Could I hear that again? How about uh, how about um, Andrew in my hometown of Staten Island? All right, Andrew, you're talking to Frank and Dominic. Wow. Uh, can we look at the um, the postings on our website to see if it's listed as the Frank and Dominic? So Frank has bogarted Dominic's show. He comes on right before his own show. So Dominic only has an hour, right? And Frank ends up eating up. 10 minutes of that show, and now he wants it to be called the Frank and Dominic Show. Notice, not the Dominic and Frank Show, the Frank and Dominic Show. Then he's talking about how his schedule, meaning Dominic, mirrors Frank's. I do want to point out that this is now my Friday, 
right? It's Friday morning, so I will not be on the air tomorrow like I have been in the past from midnight to 1 a.m. My week starts now on Sunday nights at midnight to 1 a.m., so it's technically Monday morning. My schedule will mirror the schedule of uh, Frank Morano. Mirror the schedule of Frank Morano. See, like two peas in a pod, like a soup and a sandwich, like a horse in a carriage. So they are inseparable now. They are like Siamese twins. Dominic comes on 12 to 1, and then it's Frank Morano 1 to 5. Frank insisted that there not be separation which it was before, I come in and I find out, oh, man, I got to jump in at 12 minutes. Where's where's Dominic Carter? Well, guess what? This was all prearranged. Hush, hush, mush, mush, under the radar screen, on the down low. I wasn't informed of this. Can I hear that one more time, please? Please, one more time. I do want to point out that this is now my Friday Right? It's Friday morning. So I will not be on the air tomorrow like I have been in the past from midnight to 1 a.m. My week starts now on Sunday nights at midnight to 1 a.m. So it's technically Monday morning. My schedule will mirror the schedule of uh, Frank Morano. My schedule will mirror the schedule of Frank Morano. Like Siamese twins like Heckle and Jekyll, like Ike and Mike, inseparable. And naturally, they patronize one another. They placate one another. They they elevate one another. Because, you see, when I was passing off the 50,000-pound for Watts of Sound, Sunday night to Monday morning to Frank, the Mameluk, the Mangalooch at 1 in the morning, I was asking him tough questions. He wasn't just able to, you know, patronize me. I didn't tolerate that. So he just wants an Ed McMahon. You see, what Frank Morano is, he fashions himself to be Johnny Carson. You know, he's got the four-hour show, and Dominic is like the Ed McMahon. See? See what? And, and Dominic is oblivious to this. How could this uh, righteous Euro-Asiatic black man from Ramapo in Rockland County, where even the lawn jockeys are white, how could he be bamboozled like this? And then here's Frank again, insisting that trivia is nonsense, which is the basis of the program that I do another side of midnight. He demeans trivia. The one thing I would ask you to try to stay away from is uh, trivia questions, because that's lame. I mean, we've done, we do so many different trivia segments on this show. Do we really need trivia to sort of invade the sanctity of the Ask Frank Anything Hour? I don't think we do. The sanctity of the Ask Anything of Frank Hour? By the way, if uh, looking at the tally board here of the callers, caller John from Ohio is talking about a song trivia. Joe from Long Island, trivia answers. Joe from the Bronx, song trivia. Bruce from New Jersey, song trivia. Brian from New Jersey, song trivia. Elaine from uh, the Bronx, song trivia. It's all about trivia, and it triggers conversation. And then Frank Morano. Does a Chris rock to me? 
Whatever questions you have on any subject, I will do my best to answer them. Now, what can you ask questions about? Anything you want. You have questions about uh, what's happening in my family life? You're welcome to ask them. You have questions about what's happening in the news? You're welcome to ask them. Questions about radio? You're welcome to ask them. You want to know um, you know, how bald Curtis Lee really is? You're welcome to ask it. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to ask anything and everything. Did you hear how he slipped that in? How is that any different? Then what Chris Rock said about Jada Pinkett Smith, the bald wife of Will Smith. Does he want me to Will Smith him? Smack him down? Does that, is that what he... I, I, I want you to notice, he, he mixes it with a whole litany of statements, but it's very purposeful. It's intent to try to get a rise out of me so that maybe... I would end up pimp slapping him and getting fired. I want you to listen to the soliloquy as it takes place. Whatever questions you have on any subject, I will do my best to answer them. Now, what can you ask questions about? Anything you want. You have questions about... Uh, what's happening in my family life? You're welcome to ask them. You have questions about what's happening in the news? You're welcome to ask them. Questions about radio? You're welcome to ask them. You want to know, um, you know, how bald Curtis Lee really is? You're welcome to ask it. Whatever you have questions about, now is the time to ask anything and everything. He slipped me a Mickey. And he knew I would hear that. He knew. He knew that people who eat the Parmesan cheese like all of you should, who listen four hours a morning, one to five, Monday through Fridays, it's 20 hours a week, would pick up on that and would rat him out to me. And then he wanted me to do a Will Smith to him. So he could be the victim. He could be the Chris Rock. And then all of Jada, a sudden... Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. Yep. All right? Yep, 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 yep. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I could see what would happen. Let me, let me extrapolate here. I've been in this business too long, 32 years. Then all of a sudden, because I would have struck Frank Morano with an open hand, a slap, I would have been fired because of the rules and regulations of Red Apple Media. They have a whole guide. Uh, and remember, contractually, uh, you have certain things that you just can't do. So I would be put on the shelf. I would be fired. And then what would replace the uh, Saturday morning show from 12 midnight to 6, followed by the Sunday morning show from 12 midnight to 6? But the best of the other side of midnight of Frank Morano, right? Think of it. They already have an hour of the best of Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, Following me when I'm with Anthony Weiner, Saturdays, Anthony does the first hour solo, and then I join him from 3 to 4. And then it's the best hour of the other side of midnight, Frank Morano. It's what John Katsimatidis was promoting, right? Was there a mention of me and another side of midnight? Manganut, Ugats, Bupkis. Okay, I've been down this road before. I'm getting muscled out. I could see this. Huh? 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now, am I overreacting, ladies and gentlemen? Am I having a psychotic episode here? Am I having a meltdown? Am I seeing uh, too many faces of Frank Morano everywhere? Like when I go on the website and I go to the uh, podcast section to check up on the podcast I do with my oldest son, Anthony, who's now an intern here at WABC. And by the way, doing a great job. Makes me very proud. I'm busting my buttons and britches with pride. But as I'm checking on the latest episode, and you all have to check into it, of uh, father and son, Anthony and Curtis, I noticed that all these mob talk podcasts of Frank Morano, where he's, he's buffed, he's flexing, like he's a mobster choking on the lobster, not like the mameluke we've seen him to be, not like the Mashat. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Am I too obsessed with this, or am I just too knowledgeable about this business, this thing of ours, radio talk radio? Let's go to Giuseppe, who's uh, on the line from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here, at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey Curtis, it's Joe from Ronkakuma. How's your night going so far? I couldn't be more hopelessly in peril as I yeah. see the walls beginning to close in, Giuseppe. I originally called about Perry Como because uh, my mom was a big fan. I, as a child, me and my sister saw him at Westbury with Woody Herman and all. Uh, there was a, like a, a three-person uh, ticket. And it was uh, he was a great entertainer, Perry Cuomo. He, you know, uh, his songs and everything. I, I still listen to them now. I'm four, 46, Curtis, and I think uh, he was a very good entertainer. Wow, so you, you even listen to his old songs. He's no longer here. He's passed into the hereafter, as was explained to us by the guy who was like the Mount Vesuvius of information, Joe from Manhattan. <laughs> Apparently, Perry Cuomo... Uh, uh, moved from Long Island down to Jupiter, Florida, and died at uh, the age of ninety. Yeah, he was he was great. He had, all the songs have meaning. I mean, Curtis, you can attest to this. The songs of today. I mean, I like disco and uh, the music that you like to listen to, but the the, the music the kids are listening to today is like, oh my god, it's ridiculous. As far as Frank Morano, oh my god, he's like closing in on you, and it's. I feel so bad. You know, you're you're the wheelhouse of WABC. You're, when you mention WABC, the first thing they say is Curtis Leeway, you know. And this guy is just like, he's, he's laying the hammer down. You know what it is, Joe? It's like having a squatter. Not a, not a tenant. Not somebody who uh, has a timeshare. But a squatter. It would be different if it was a timeshare. It would be different... If he was leasing or renting, but he's squatting on this time. I feel now. bad for Rachel. I feel bad so bad for Rachel. Last week, if you were listening, I, which I looked at him, you know, religiously, uh, he let the poor cat out, and then he went out looking for the cat, and then he's rummaging around his uh, neighbor's house, a vacant house, and he's, you know, shouldn't be saying that on the air. And then they finally uh, found the cat, thank God. And the cat wasn't harmed or anything, but you know. I just like I listen to the stories, and I all I think about is that poor wife and little Carmine, you know, and there's the cat that she's had since 
she was in college and that the cat went missing. And I was just like, oh, my God, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I like listening to him. He's a great guy, and I love Frank. But, like, sometimes listening to the stories, I go home and tell my wife, and she's like, oh, my God. Yeah, no, no, it's shocking, shocking, Joe, and Ron Concomo. I know for many of you, you're wondering, oh, my God, is he? did he really do that? Yes. Yes, he's like uh, an absent-minded individual. I, I've told you of the many times that his way has no sense of direction. If uh, he wasn't holding on to his uh, manhood, he'd probably lose that too. I kid you not. He just is so absent-minded. So whether it's the cat or any other extended uh, member of his uh, friends, relatives, or his animal uh, members of his family, you got to keep a sharp lookout. Yeah, Frank, he's uh, he's absent-minded. Sort of like uh, Jerry Lewis, remember the absent-minded professor who was so beloved, number one box office star, in America, and still to this day, beloved in France, considered a box office star even in death. And in a certain way, Frank Morano reminds me of Jerry Lewis, who, by the way, was not born in Crown Heights, but was born in Newark. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now this new uh, team, like Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly, Frank Morano and Dominic Carter, now that they've played musical chairs, of which I've been dealt out of the deck, it's like uh, musical chairs on the Titanic. What am I to do now for Sunday night, 12 to 1, the most listened to, the most requested, the most called-in segment of the close of close to 20 hours that I do on the weekends here at WABC with the Another Side of Midnight? How do I tell my wife, Nancy, that the animal welfare hour is no more? Remember, I, I got to face her, right? I got to tell her. That the most listened to, the most called in, the most popular segments of the many segments that I do might be no more. Because now, all of a sudden, unbeknownst to me, the partner in radio crime, Dominic Carter, has been moved under the cover of darkness to 12 to 1 from Sunday night to Monday morning. Because Frank Morano would prefer that Dominic Carter be talking to him in the intro than yours truly. And what gets sacrificed along the way? The little kitties, the little doggies, the little animals in need. Wow. Dominic is involved in this cabal. Hmm. You got to watch my back. Yeah, you know, in the streets, they always say, hey, Slee, we'll watch your back. You know, when you go into that laboratory and all of a sudden you have the urge at the urinal, watch your back. You can't look at both places simultaneously, right? You know, a guy like Dizzy Izzy, he's always looking down to see if it's still there at the urinal. I can't do that. I don't have that luxury. I got to watch my back. And that means that I may miss on the aim. And then, oh, my God, how embarrassing. 
I got to watch my back. 1-800-848-9222. How am I going to explain this to Nancy? Wow, she's going to be mad at me. She's going to think I'm responsible for this because she had more people calling up. She had more listeners. She had more interest in her hour than the many hours that I've been given here at WABC. She's going to think it was me. Maybe, maybe, just maybe Frank and uh, Dominic in their cabal set me up this way. So that all of a sudden, I'm the fall guy. I'm the bad guy. Not them, but me, Curtis Sliwa, husband of Nancy Sliwa. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Al in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Yeah, uh, hi, Curtis. Good morning. Uh, no, I was going to say, uh, the difference between you and uh, Frank, Frank Morano, uh, he's got a different, uh, tip, uh, topic of a show, and your show is on a different, on a different side. You know what I mean? Wow, you're a heavy breather there, Al. Well, it took a lot for him to get it out. Remind me what I was saying about Bobby Darren in the end of his career. Before he could take to the stage, he'd have to suck oxygen out of a tank. And then when he was finished his great performance, he'd have to be on oxygen for the next hour. Maybe that was Al. Al, although Al is true, is a different kind of show. Another Side of Midnight, which I've been forced to accept as the name of this show. It is a stream of consciousness. It is theater of the mind. It is interaction between me and you, the listeners, but those who decide to actually call, which needs to increase in volume and size. It must, for the good of talk radio, for the good of this thing of ours that we so love. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Pam, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pam. Hi there, Curtis. Uh, did you ever think that maybe because WABC comes in so clear all over that people listen to Frank Morano, not because he's popular, because there's nothing else to listen to, because I think he's like a little Caesar. Um, I'd like to order a pizza from him. Oh, <laughs> he'd probably give you poison. <laughs> no, no, actually, Frank, to his credit, he doesn't like uh, the franchises. Uh, he believes in mom-and-pop shops, to his credit. He would never. If if I bought him a Little Caesars pizza, right, and greased the delivery guy to bring it to him and Rachel and Carmine, he would refuse delivery. He does not believe in buying anything from franchises because he feels it will take away from mom-and-pop shops, in this case, uh, mom-and-pop-owned pizzerias that are all over his beloved Staten Island. So I give him credit for that, Pam. That's all. But I would like to see you take over and have him, you know, hit the dust. No, no, that's not going to happen, Pam, and I'll tell you why. Well, I don't know why they're pulling the wool over He's pulled the wool over everybody's eyes because he's not. Well, he's not what well, it, he is. It, it's not the fact that Frank is eye candy. It's not the fact that Frank is eye candy. It's the fact of his tubes. 
and what he says and how he does interviews. Pam, do you realize he has done two interviews back-to-back, belly-to-belly with Roger Stone, and then the following night with Paul Manafort, the people were trying to get interviews with. It went viral. It went all over the nation. And now he's up for an award, the most prestigious radio award, the Marconi Award, and he may even in the future be doing cameo appearances on 60 Minutes because of his interviewing style. I know, I know, and I, I don't understand what's the matter with people. I mean, why do they listen to him? He's he's not what he thinks he is. He thinks he's this great person. He isn't. Well, well, look, if you're listening to the owner and operator, John Katzmatinis, a great talk show host in his own right, and by the way, a great interviewer. Listen to what he had to say recently in introducing Frank Morano on the um, roundtable discussion that he has each of, each Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. with a whole host of contributors. But oftentimes when he introduces Frank, it's almost like there's nobody else in the studio. Uh, I understand we got Frank Morano on the uh uh, on the phone, and Frank is the other side of midnight, uh, Monday through Friday from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock. So all it's a live show for all of you that can't sleep at night. Tune in on WABC Radio, and it's the whole East Coast because it's the middle of the night, and we broadcast from the tip of Florida all the way to northern uh, Canada to northern Europe, and if you can't sleep at night, talk to Frank, and Frank will talk to you, <laughs> and that way you're not going to be alone. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be like alone. And now Frank has a show at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoons with, with, with what it was his best interview for the week, and it was real interesting. He's doing well. Uh, Frank well, Morano, tell us. That is the longest introduction I've ever heard John Katzmatidis give. In the many years that he has been a talk show host at the top of the game. But do you notice how he was extolling all of Frank's virtues? And then the whopper, the whopper by Lydia Serrani, the Albanian bad girl. And Morano's very humble. He has a number one show basically in, where in the country. In the country. Now, Thank you both. Thank you both for um, saying that. The number one show in the whole country. You heard not not just Lydia, but John. John Katzmatidis always also jumped in on that. Number one show in the country. Now you understand why I got to watch my back. Even when I go to the urinal. My aim may be off, but, you know, I can't do two things simultaneously. Wow. The handwriting is on the wall. Isn't that what they say, right? The old friend, the handwriting is on the wall. Next thing you know, I'll be in Boca Raton hanging wallpaper. The sixth borough of the city of New York. You know, I think that's maybe where Frank got this idea from. When I went down to Florida and I was uh, meeting with Rudy Giuliani, my Kumbaticic, uh, at his apartment, planning strategy for his son, Andrew Giuliani to qualify by getting enough signatures in the Republican primary so that he can run against uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, Rob Astorino, the former Westchester County executive, and a guy named Wilson, who's thrown six 
million into the fray. And then he heard me on uh, Rudy's show from down there as we did the show from Rudy's bathroom. By the way, Rudy's bathroom in his uh, condo in Palm Beach County is bigger than my apartment on the Upper West Side. I could have fit 32 rescue cats in uh, Rudy Giuliani's bathroom that we did the show from. But I have a feeling that when Frank heard that show, because he listens to the show around the clock like all of you should be listening, that his assumption was Curtis is planning for his retirement. Because remember, I said, how do I come back to New York? It's God's country down here. It's freedom land. It's DeSantis land. And maybe he extrapolated from that that I was looking to maybe be in Florida. You know, getting the bluebird, uh, the blue plate special at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, huh? Huh? Over my dead body. But he might have thought that. Some of you did. When I put up the social postings on Facebook, when I tweeted it out to all you tweets, when uh, all of a sudden I posted it on Instagram and TikTok, People were like going, wow, he's moving to Florida. Ah, oh, I might have put the old, my own nails in my own coffin. And now, you know, this is like when all of a sudden the Mississippi River uh, overflows or the Missouri River. You got you to gotta put up the sandbags. This is, I got to put up the radio sandbags here to make sure that I secure myself in. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Tricia, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Trish. Hey, Curtis, good morning. Of course I voted for you, and I was crystal, and you didn't win. What's wrong with this city? Anyway, Curtis, I have two questions if I may. Of the course, of course. Like go, go yesterday, I was so, like, enthralled with what your, your program was about, about this 30th new business. And I didn't hear anything on the radio today. I didn't see anything on the news. Eric Adams didn't say anything about the bike lanes. Is he, like, pulling a prank on us, or what's the story? Tricia, Tricia, that's first question. Oh, oh, my God. Did I get bamboozled? I know, right? (laughs) And it was not by Eric Adams. I cannot blame the mayor, Eric Adams, who, by the way, was in Washington, D.C. earlier, again, uh, using up his... uh, his, uh, you know, his <laughs> his travel. I, I mean, my God, he's been in Washington. He's been in Chicago. He's been in Miami. But anyway, put that aside. Okay. There was a post done on New York Street Blogs dot com. It's run by Gersh Kuntzman, uh, who used to be and still is a great reporter, having written for the Daily News, the New York Post, uh, was the editor of the Brook. Brooklyn Eagle for many years where he lives and then took on the responsibility for all the bicyclists to be the editor and contributor to New York street blogs.com. And if it wasn't for my wife who earlier today, when I was uh, out there in Flushing and in Woodside trying to protect Chinese Koreans and Filipinos who have been under attack because uh, attacks mm-hmm. against Asians have increased 368 percent in just That's one year. It's, un- it's unbelievable. Right. There were a lot of people talking to me. And then all of a sudden, my wife, Nancy, threw me a lifeline and said, Curtis, 
I have a feeling that Gersh Kunstman posted that because the dateline on it is April 1st. And this might have been an April Fool's prank. So in the midst of my conversation with about a dozen Filipinos, two dozen Koreans, and about three dozen Chinese from uh, mainland China, Red China, I got on my cell phone, I called Gersh Kunstman, and I said, Gersh, that story that I'm reading on uh, New York City streetblog.com, is that is that a true story? He goes, what kind of a schmuck, what kind of a putz are you, Curtis? It was April Fool's. Trisha, I wanted to impale myself right there on Roosevelt Avenue uh, and 69th Street and Fisk Avenue where I was meeting the Guardian Angels. I wanted to impale myself. Yes, I called a friend who was on the upper set. I got him hysterical. And now I have to apologize. Oh, uh, not just yes. you. I have to do universal apologies to tell you oh, how please. how far out on a limb I went prior to I me right prior to me coming on air at twelve midnight, which I didn't expect. I thought that uh, Dominic know, Carter would be I here. Know. But I, I said, did hear I did hear them talking that they were changing the you know the schedule. I did hear that earlier in the week. Yeah, you see, you heard so it. I, didn't, but I don't they, work there, so I didn't pay attention. But it's can you imagine job, you know? they they didn't even tell me, Trish? Well, it's like being married to a husband that fools around. The other question, Curtis, I'm so curious about this. You and your beautiful wife, you guys are like too much. You're taking all these cats. I took in seven cats. I lived in Astoria. I taught my cats the landlord is here from Saturday Night Live. Yes. We weren't around any pets. How do you get around your landlord with 19 cats? Um, I mean, don't you, do you guys get in trouble? I mean, would you have something written in your lease? Because if you do, teach me. I would love to take a cat in. Yeah, well, you see, Trish, um, when it comes to landlords, I have no love in my, my heart for landlords. So landlords tend over the years to be a little intimidated by me. You can imagine, Trish, you have Curtis Lee as a tenant, an unexpected tenant, because remember, it was originally Nancy's apartment uh, when she was solo on her own. She invited me to live in the apartment. Once I was there, do you think that landlord had a happy face or do you think he had that frown upside down? Yeah. Yeah, no, no. He was got married, so he shouldn't say anything. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. He got married. That's that's right, and it's none of his bib business. That's my point of view on that. It's like we're those are our family members. Uh, Of course. Would you? I I took in. I took in all all my cats. You know what? I bottle fed three that were like orphans, like hours after they were born. Bottle fed them. I was like, who's in my mind? I get it. But now, what do I, I what do I do, Trish? How do I break this to my wife, Nancy? That the animal welfare hour that was originally know, from. I, what about that last night? She's going to be pissed off at you, no matter what you oh, say. God, is she going to uh, be pissed off? It's called flowers. Uh, make sure they're not poisonous because cats chew everything. Uh, or take her out for dinner. You may have to spend a wee bit of money. It's not your fault. Uh, it is what it is. It will not assuage you. I can assure you of that. It is the most listened to of the close to 20 hours of broadcasting very, I do on the weekends. Very, your, your wife is a very nice person. She certainly is. She's, she's very touching. 
She's very calm. It's just you you guys make an interesting pair. And uh, she does not deserve this, Trish. How do I break this to her, though? This cabal of Frank Morano and Dominic Carter, who switched the hours like musical chairs. Let's go to Carol in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Hi. Hi, Curtis. I just wanted to tell you, a few weeks ago, Dominic Carter uh, was on the uh, radio, and somebody said, I think, something like negative about you. And he says, oh, no, he spoke really well about you. Oh, no, Curtis is is the the best, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Curtis and this and that. Yeah, Dominic Carter said that. But I don't know why he's uh, 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 a... Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. So he defended my honor, Carol. Oh, oh my goodness! It was unbelievable. But that's a that's a I I wouldn't trust someone with a ten feet pole if he's with this guy. Yeah, but uh, you know something. You know something. It's good to hear that Carol that he stood up to a critic of mine on the most powerful news talk station in the nation, WABC. Defended my honor. That Mm -hmm. makes that gives me a lot of knockers, a lot of joy, Carol. Yeah, and the Frank Frank Morano. Let me tell you, Curtis. I get bored. I don't understand why they think his show is all of that because I get bored with your show. I don't get bored at all. And I, I wake up to to listen to you. I don't know what it is. Something is going on. And with your wife, there's something called karma. They can't do that, especially to animals. Oh, that's right. They can't do that. Uh, The revenge of St. Francis of Assisi will be upon them. That's right. You cannot do that. That's right. Something called karma. Don't worry. They're going to get karma. But I'll tell you this much, uh, Carol, uh, this is uh, so uh, ingratiating. It gives me so much knockus, uh, so much joy to know that uh, Dominic Carter was defending my honor. I thought he had been uh, taken over to the dark side. You know, let's face it. He was uh, slowly but surely turning over some of his program to Frank Morano. Yep. You know, Frank has that way about him. Frank has that way about him. He's the golden child. He's the untouchable now. Nobody can say anything about him. You know, if all of a sudden you mention something, you're cut off. Can't say anything. Hey, I've been down this road. Uh, you know, it reminds me of, oh, that's right. There was a time I was sitting in the offices of the uh, cumulus uh, operators. Of WABC, they had a multitude of stations, so many stations that they lost count of it and really didn't care much about talk radio. I was sitting uh, in a meeting with a guy named McVeigh and uh, a number of our suits, and they were telling me that Curtis, we're taking an hour from you evening drive time from five to six. I said, what is the problem? I said... We have a lot of advertising. The ratings are good. Why would you be taking an hour from it? Because we have the future of talk radio. Ben Shapiro, the golden child. See, I've dealt with this before. And I sat there and I knew there was nothing I could say. It was a fait accompli. The deal had been done. My fate had been sealed. I was still doing three hours, 12 to 3, at that time with... uh, Actually, Rita Cosby, and then later on with Jet Set Juliet. But they had taken the hour I was doing on my own, which was uh, 
on the drive home before the lockdown and pandemic. So it was a legitimate drive. And I walked out of that room and I said, this is the business that we have chosen. Suck it up, Curtis. And then, as fate always has it, Cumulus that tried to take a wrecking ball to us, Cumulus that tried to sell the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, possibly to a foreign language entity, which would have forced those of us, if we could remain, to speak either in Mandarin, Cantonese, Yiddish, Spanish, or languages yet to be determined. But maybe like uh, our sister station at the time, WPLJ, they would have put us on the scrap heap. That iconic station, that FM station, WPLJ, went dark. Dead. Muerte. D-O-A. And the calloused, indifferent suits of cumulus couldn't care. They wanted out of New York. And we knew we were next on the scrap heap. And then, thank God, John Katsimatidis and Marco Katsimatidis came along and saved this station. And you know the rest of the story from zero to the number one news talk station in the nation. From zero. I mean, we were so far down in the ratings, we didn't even get ratings. That's when you're really low. And then all of a sudden, Ben Shapiro, who was the golden child of future of talk radio, was no longer here. So you see, if you're in this long enough, this thing of ours, this thing that we so love, talk radio, you see the golden child, you see the futures of talk radio come and go. I remember I was replaced by the great Lionel when my uh, marriage was breaking up in, uh, well, in the beginning, 1991, 1994, Angels in the Morning. Uh, Lisa went her way, I went my way. But right before that, I remember the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks came in. A guy named John Manelli, who was the program director, sat us both down and said, hey, you've had a great three-year run on the Great White Way. We were competing at that time against the very best. They were all local. Local uh, morning drive talk, talk show uh, programs. There was no syndication at that time. Stern was not syndicated. Imus was not syndicated. You had John Gambling over at WOR Fixture. You had, uh, oh, you had uh, WINS, WCBS. And uh, then you had the uh, Spanish uh, station at that time that was dominating uh, the marketplace. And yet we held our own. And I'll never forget John Manelli telling us that we would be replaced by a young guy an attorney, a raconteur bon vivant, an expert on so many matters, and a great jester, Lionel, who would take over for us. And then he went on to establish his own great career. So you see, we all land on our feet at one point or another, but I am just going to have to roll with the punches here. I don't know what I'm going to say to Nancy. I'll try to come up with something because it is the most interesting hour of the many hours that I do. It is registered in the ratings. You can see that, the calls, the interest, all the things we're able to do with dogs and cats and other animals who are in distress. I will do everything I can to save the animal welfare hour. 
It's either that or <laughs> I may get kicked to the curb again. Oh, I sleep on the couch. But there is no couch. There's only cats with scratching boards and and litter boxes. What am I going to do? Sleep in a litter box? Can you imagine? Nancy will be so angry at me. She'll go, oh, so you lost my animal welfare hour? Go sleep in the litter box. Oh, God. I got to prevent that from happening. Up next, oh, legal marijuana. Oh, the House of Representatives just voted for that. And now we find out that the House of Representatives has passed a bill, which is going to the Senate, that would actually legalize the bake sale that he's talking about. And we're not talking about Betty Crocker uh, making a cake mix. No. We're talking about the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana all across the nation. The House uh, has overwhelmingly uh, elected to do that. It moves to the Senate, where, as you know, it's neck and neck between uh, Democrats with a sparse majority compared to the Republicans. And all of that could change noticeably in the midterm elections, especially we expect the House to be swamped out. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will probably be elected to the House, but she will not be the Speaker. It'll probably be Kevin McCarthy because it's expected that the Republicans will win in a tsunami. Not uh, necessarily as sure about the U.S. Senate as to whether the schmuck to putz Chuck E. Cheese Schumer will remain the majority leader. That may be in jeopardy. And the, uh, the man who's best known to be swimming in Kentucky bourbon might end up becoming the majority leader again Mitch uh, McConnell, who is a poster child for term limits. And actually, everybody has uh, their own point of view about marijuana, the state of Kentucky that Mitch uh, McConnell represents. It's a generational gap. He's the bourbon king. He swims like a fish in bourbon. And yet Rand Paul, who was the junior senator there, like his father, Ron Paul, who I debated on the old Morton Downey Jr. show when he was running for the presidency of the United States as an independent candidate. Yes, I debated him on the old Morton Downey Jr. show. One of the issues that we were uh, going back and forth at was the potential to legalize marijuana across the nation, which is uh, more often the rule and not the exception any longer, as state after state has ratified the utilization of recreational marijuana, but now it would be on a federal level. So what are your points in thinking uh, if you had a chance to call up your congressional representative, be it male or female, Democrat or Republican, what would you be telling them to ratify the legalization of recreational use of marijuana or to say yet, to say no. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Well, let's go to Greg Kelly, who always has a stream of consciousness. That's what makes his program so entertaining and such a good listen. It is the favorite program that I listen to out of the many great programs here at WABC. Uh, if I can't listen at the appointment time on my terrestrial radio, or on my app, or on the stream, 1 to 3, Monday through Fridays in the afternoon, before Mike Humbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, 
I get in on podcasts. It is so good. But when it comes to marijuana, Greg Kelly is a bit of a, let's just say, a prude. Listen to what he recently said on his show. Hello, Gregory. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk about the uh, legalization of uh, pot marijuana. It, the CCP, they do not allow it there. You get a minimum of 15 years. But they've sent it over here. Kind of, I see that it's kind of a reverse opium wars of the 1830s, 1860s, when they were dumping opium into China and controlling them. They're doing that to us. And also with fentanyl that came out, comes out of basically Afghanistan from the opium that's there and made into fentanyl, heroin, and this other stuff that's coming in to uh, pollute and destroy Americans. How old are you? Me? Yeah. Uh, I'm up there. Tell me. Well, I'm going to tell you, these new uh, marijuana plants, they were cultivated genetically in China. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Because a lot of people of a certain age, you know, like, say, 60 and up, they may remember Woodstock, maybe. Uh, The pot back then was pretty mild. This stuff is super duper intense and can really mess you up. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Do you uh, agree with Greg Kelly, or do you think he's a prude? One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Then there's Greg Kelly was uh, talking about the smoking of reefer again, and he shows up on the Stephen Colbert show. Actually, I think this is after the general election. This is a uh, November December time frame. So Eric Adams at this point is the mayor-elect. So what does he do? He goes on national television and shares a little bit of marijuana with his new celebrity BFF, Stephen Colbert. Cut 54. One of my best gifts, as you know, marijuana is legal. I have raw. I did not know. I have raw. I am not aware, Mr. Mayor. I'm not into that scene. I have bamboo. Oh, it's big. And I can't give you this gift. I'll give it to you later, you know. <laughs> woo! Woo! Pot! Yay! Wee! What are they, in eighth grade? And Eric has this stupid, stupid grin on his face. <laughs> Isn't he cute? You can smoke weed in public now in New York City. I guess that includes K2. Ever tried that stuff? Don't. May want to make you tr- jump out of a building. This stuff is a hundred times more powerful than the weed or marijuana or grass people smoked back in the Woodstock days or whatever they did. This is, this is potent stuff. They've become much better at growing pot and it's more powerful and it can really knock you out. And it can make you do some crazy things. So, I don't know, maybe uh, encouraging people to smoke weed all the time might have something to do with a record crime. Interesting, uh, because you have to bifurcate this. Greg Kelly there talking uh, is like on par with the 1930s reefer madness. He's a definite throwback there. K2 is not marijuana. It is essentially leaves, any kind of leaves that are positioned in which chemical sprays are applied to those leaves. And it is highly addictive with toxic chemicals that you end up inhaling. It is not marijuana. 
It may be pretend marijuana to some, but it is not in any way, shape, or form marijuana. And there are so many strains, so many buds that are grown now that you can actually buy product that affects your uh, physical and affects your mental. All to be able to either relax or to give you a mood elevation or to eliminate whatever anxiety or stress you might have. They actually have it sorted in that capacity. You can go to Oakland, where I've been to uh, visit Guardian Angel years ago. I think it is in Jack London Circle, right in downtown Oaktown, Oakland. And they have like a Walmart-style supermarket there in which you can go in and look at all the gradations, all the buds, all the product that was uh, either grown in uh, federal parks, illegally, I might add, or grown uh, vis-a-vis hydroponics in basements with intense lighting and electrical bills, especially at the rate that electricity gets sold today because of inflation that would knock your eyeballs out. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Andrea, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Andrea. Oh, thanks, Curtis. Um, I'm against legalizing it. I'm not surprised the House approved it. I hope the Senate does not. Um, Look, I think it's still a gateway drug. It gives the wrong message. We've got enough problems with opioids, fentanyl, all of that. And even though they say that it's not physically addictive, it's mentally addictive. And there's a lot of young people that I think are getting the wrong message with the legalization. Also in New Jersey, we have trouble here in terms of how when you get stopped, if you're smoking, say you get stopped and they have to check, how do they check what's in your system? I think it's just the wrong thing, and I think it's a slippery slope that we're going down because you've got now the last election, I think it was in uh, Washington State, uh, Oregon, where now they've legalized small amounts of hard drugs. And this is where we're heading in this society. I think it's a very, very bad message, particularly to the youth. And I'm tired of smelling it in the city. It stinks. And what happened to the idea of secondhand smoke? Nobody seems to care about that anymore. Everybody was worried about cigarettes and secondhand smoke. And now nobody seems to care anything about it. I think this is very, very bad for our society. Now, Andrea, which part of uh, New Jersey do you reside in? I live in Bergen County. All right, in Bergen County. And so often, oftentimes you cross the Hudson and you come into uh, Manhattan, right? Yes, I do. And I've been there with my young granddaughter. And you walk the streets, it stinks. I've been down in Florida. I've been on the beaches. They're, they're smoking it. Nobody cares anymore. It's just out in the open. And, and to me, it just, it is, it's not good. We already have fentanyl. We've got trouble with drugs. We've got over 100,000 deaths and probably many more coming this year. Why do we need another legal drug? We don't need it, and I think the message is bad. I do appreciate that, Andrea. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Norman, who's calling from uh, my home neighborhood of Canarsie in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Norm. 
Yeah, hi, Curtis. Um, over the years, my feelings of marijuana has changed. I mean, I smoked the stuff when I was 14. Oh, God, way back in the 70s. And not a lot, but I, I definitely smoked it. Um, I don't know. I, I think the push for legalization, I think, I think is racist, to be honest. I think, I think, uh, and, and I base that on, I see the vulnerable people here in Canarsie. Okay, you know, you know, Canarsie's changed over the years. It went from Italian and Jewish neighborhood to a Caribbean neighborhood. And I, I, when I get on the, like the B-42 bus, uh, whatever, or the 103 here. When I get on these buses, uh, it's, it smells like a marijuana bus, and it's always the young people. And and I and you know I, I and uh, especially now they're they're not in classes. They don't you know because they're, they're a lot of them are still doing remote. Or uh, it just seems like this is not helpful for their formative years to keep them on the straight and narrow. And I, you know, and I see the pushes from like these mostly white liberals. They want, you know, they want marijuana to be legal. They want to have marijuana stores. They think it's so cool, whatever, you know, smoking pot. And I, and I, I see poorer, more vulnerable people here in the neighborhood where we grew up. And I, I can't see this being helpful to them. Now, um, you do realize, Norman, there's uh, tons and tons of money that previously would go into the pockets of the nefarious folks, people who are already involved in crime, because there's right. so much money to be made. Wouldn't it be better that it be taxed, uh, monitored, licensed? No, I, I, yeah, but that, yeah, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be taxed for, uh, you know, I mean, one could make that argument for uh, – prostitution one can make the argument for oh, oh i don't know look I, I i don't know if i don't know I, I just i can't see how this is helpful you know i just that that's it i mean i i myself think like that yeah wouldn't it be better would be better but then where do you draw the line on that i mean wouldn't it be better if we taxed for heroin wouldn't it be better if we taxed for you know crack cocaine wouldn't wouldn't it be better for a lot of things i mean that's but i think about the young people i mean there there's reasons why in china they don't they don't allow it there there reasons why they they want to keep this away their children their children are scholastic their children are you know i mean it just seems like everything now it's it's more and more distraction for young people and and they don't need it they don't need it. So, so be, you know, if if the bad people are bad people, you know, deal with the bad people. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so far, two callers have said ixnay uh, to the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana as voted by a majority of the uh, members of the House of Representatives. Well, who is that? Wiz Khalifa there? He's running his bake sale. Oh, so he's got his spliff, smoking his bone, probably has a blunt. Like I said, I've seen a lot of these uh, guys smoking reefer. And uh, Wiz Khalifa actually inhales in every orifice of his body. Now, use 
use the uh, theater of the mind to understand what that means when I say out of every orifice of his body, including his dupa, his tush, his tuchis. It's incredible. I got flyers, wax, inhalers, edibles, all that you never saw. Ah, inhaling. It's what he does half of his life. And then there's Snoop Dogg, right? And who's he hooked up with there? Oh, that's right. She's, uh, what, 182? Martha Stewart, who lied to the FBI, not once, but twice. About insider trading information. i never forget because the FBI generally doesn't give you a second to bite at the apple. You lie to them, forever busting Italians, forever busting Islamists, for whatever reason. If you lie to the FBI, you get hurt, hit with a perjury rap. She lied to them about insider trading information. They said, Martha, Martha, we caught you in a lie. Uh... We're going to give you another chance to clean the slate. And she lied again. And she's hooked up with Snoop Dogg. And they're probably doing puff, puff, pass as we speak. God, I have never seen a guy inhale more marijuana. I guess it was Hindu Kush. Uh, could be uh, Acapulco Gold, whatever. He'll smoke anything that he thinks is reefer, including ragweed. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mike, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. This is Mike from the Rochelle. Ah, okay, go for it. Go for it, Mike. I don't want to speak on marijuana today. Your call screener, I think uh, he's about as sharp as a sack of wet mice. I, I called ah. and I said I wanted to answer some of the questions that you had or earlier, and he said they would all been answered. <laughs> you see, Mike? You see, it's all conspiratorial here. Uh, time to time, it's uh, acts of sabotage that are committed I, I against me. It. I think they got him out of the Stunard pool. Yep. Now, by the way, done purposefully, I might add, Mike. Uh, not done with um, immaturity, not done with innocence, done with specificity to try to sabotage what they do here on what is now called another side of midnight, Mike. I know. Hey, listen, I don't want to get started. All I know is they, they're trying to steal Philippe from you. Anything that benefits you, they're taking it away from you. Listen, I want to answer these questions real quick. William B. Williams. That was probably from the first hour. Yeah, William B. Wow. Were... Wow, that was a long time ago. We were talking about all of those well-known talk show hosts who have done tributes to Sinatra. That's right. Now, i got a few more because I've been listening all night. So I figured I'd save them all to the end of the show. Then you wanted Don Cushane. That was really written by Burt Kampfert as an instrumental, and then some guy helped him out, some guy Eiling or something. I can't pronounce his name. But then it was sung by your boy, uh, what's his name, uh, Wayne Newton. That's right. Wayne Newton, who has a perpetual man tan. He gets it out of the can, and he has that weird-looking mustache. And those teeth. Where did he get them from? Uh, same way that uh, Joe Biden, our president, got his teeth. Remember the horse horse teeth implants? I thought he got them from Joe Gallo. All right. <laughs> Splish Splash was written by Bobby Darren and Murray the K. 
Ah, yes, yes. Murray the K of the swinging soiree. You nailed it. So now that's three for three I'm on, right? Do I get a bathrobe or a hat or something? What do I get? Yeah, you get the uh, the remnants of the terry cloth bathrobe and the Irish walking cap that was worn by Vinny the Chin Giganti when he was roaming around Greenwich Village through Washington Square Park and acting like he was Meshuggah titched at the Triangle Social Club, which was the official headquarters of the Genovese crime family. Uh, is that satisfactory, uh, Mike? Yeah, that's that's better than Vinny the Chin's dingleberries. <laughs> Although, it is so good that you nailed that involving uh, Splish Splash, Bobby Darren's great song. He wrote it within an hour after consulting with Murray the K, the Swinging Soiree's mother who was a frustrated songwriter, and you're absolutely right. His real name was DJ Murray Kaufman, and he was considered the fifth Beatle. The fifth Beatle. Do you know, yeah, he, he was really sucking up to the Beatles more than anybody, more than Cousin Brucey. But do you know the story behind that Splish Splash song? So it says that Murray the K made a bet with him that he could not, write a song that began with the words, Splish, Splash, I Was Taking a Bath. That was the bet, and that's what Bobby Darren came up with. Now, that Sinatra song you're fond of, South of the Border. Yes, I'll call it the uh, Tijuana song. Can I give you an alternative version to look up? It's Uh, by a group from Harlem called The Solitaires. They recorded it in 1954, and it's a fantastic version of that song. Wow, I got to check it out. 1954 is when I was birthed. Uh, the name of the uh, group again, the Solitaires? The Solitaires. They were from Harlem. And the name of the song? Boys. The name of the song they sang? South of the Border. Yeah, now, we... Sh- now, you look, you're looking for tequila songs, right? Or, or, or Tijuana songs. That's right. Correct? That's right. All right. I, look up the tequila song by the originals and uh. you'll hear the lyrics to tequila and it's a and it's a very catchy song now for your theme song now that you're doing midnight to six you should start the show off with t connection at midnight wow t connection at midnight you know that song of course 77 of course of course no no you're absolutely right although uh uh, the problem here is Dizzy Izzy is just too uh, busy uh, trying to harvest uh, belly button lint. He's all fascinated in how I get my belly button lint out. Did you hear what Frank Morano said about you last week? No, what did he say? After you lit your birthday cake, he said it looked like a prairie fire. Wow. Then I was watching him on YouTube, but they cut him off because of... Uh, because of the uh, interview he had with uh, Rogers. But they were still televising the broadcast. Did you ever watch Frank Morano do a radio broadcast? No, no, I just listen on terrestrial radio. It's better to listen. You know why? You know how interesting Frank Morano is televised? I'd rather watch Mildew develop on a motel shower curtain. <laughs> did, you ever see, did you ever see those National Geographic documentaries when they filmed gorillas in the woods picking lice out of their scalp 
That's what Frank Morano does when he gets either nervous or preoccupied with a caller. Ah, wow. You're very cogent. You're very aware that Frank uh, Morano, it's like a nervous tick. He plays with his curly Q hair. I wanted to hold his hand down like Salazzo did to Luca Brazzi in the in the Godfather. I'm like Frank, stop! But I can't. I can't reach through the screen and hold it down. I love the guy, but put somebody's got to handcuff him. Wow! Yeah, he may get excited though if he got handcuffed. You know, uh, you know, he's hanging around Roger Stone so often. Uh, Roger, who loved the swinger clubs, never ran from it, never will promoted it, and participated in orgy after orgy. You don't think any of that would rub off on Frank Morano, do you, Mike? Hey, you never know. The guy's, you know, he's a peculiar cat, this Frank Morano. I heard the other night, you got to tell your wife, not only did he get you, her, you and her booted off of an hour, but he purposely let the cat out into a yard where he knew there was a hole in the fence and the thing had a chance of getting lost. Wow. And he bragged about that, huh? Yeah, and I said, geez, that poor cat. Did you hear about that buddy, the cat in Pennsylvania, that had the two dogs sicked on him? I was waiting for you to report on that last week. He finally went home this week with the people who saved his life. Two animals, I won't, kind of, I won't tell you what kind of people they were, sick two, not one, but two pit bulls on this poor cat that was just minding its own business on a porch of a house in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia most likely. And the cat was completely mauled, and he's still alive. Let me tell you something. The only way I would punish these two guys, Curtis, because I don't think a judge will ever figure this one out, I would dip them in butter, bring them to the zoo, and feed them to lions. And I would put it on pay-per-view. And just to pay for the cat's doctor bills and reimburse the family that lost that cat because they had to put it up for adoption. But it was the saddest story. I swear to God. There's, so, God help me, if any, if I ever seen these guys, I'd be in jail right now for for what they did to this poor cat. Well, hey, speaking of jail, Mike, you're not going to want to miss my Rikers Island update up next. Boy, that was magnificent, Mike. He ate the Parmesan cheese, the whole brick of Parmesan cheese on Fred. Wow. He listens intently. Mike takes copious notes there in Yonkers. He giveth and he taketh. He acknowledged Frank at times, but he also then uh, went at him. Didn't quite do a Will Smith to him, but he certainly waylaid him. You see, that was an unbiased approach to listening to the other side of midnight. That's Frank Morano, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, a total of 20 hours of broadcast. Now he's been given an additional hour. It's called, as John uh, John Katsimatidis called it, the uh, uh, the best the best of uh, the other side of midnight. Right after I finish uh, my left right debate with uh, Anthony Weiner on Saturdays, Anthony is on from two to three. He goes solo. He was talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. And definitely exchanging with a lot of callers. Then I jumped in. And that's when we do uh, the two-way. Uh, I'm on the right. He's on the left from three to four. And then now it's followed by, as John Katsimatidis calls it, the best of the other side of midnight featuring the golden child, 
the future of talk radio, the untouchable, Frank the Mamaluke, Mashad, Morano. Uh, I understand we got Frank Morano on the uh, uh, on the phone, and Frank is the other side of midnight, uh, Monday through Friday from one o'clock to five o'clock. So all it's a live show for all of you that can't sleep at night. Tune in on WABC Radio, and it's the whole East Coast because it's the middle of the night, and we broadcast from the tip of Florida all the way to northern uh, Canada to northern Europe. And if you can't sleep at night, talk to Frank, and Frank will talk to you, <laughs> and that way you're not going to be alone. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to feel like alone. And now Frank has a show at 4 o'clock on Saturday afternoons with, with, with what it was his best interview for the week. And it was real interesting. He's doing well. Uh, Frank well, Morano, tell us. Madonna mine. What an introduction. And then Lydia, the Albanian beggar, listen to what she said. And Morano's very humble. He has a number one show, basically, in, where in the country. In the country. Now, Thank you both. Thank you both uh, for saying that. In the country. He can do no wrong now. He's an untouchable, as you can see. That's why he is considered the golden calf, the golden child here of WABC. And Morano's very humble. He has a number one show, basically, in, where in the country. In the country. Uh, dance hall reggae with guns in the air like you just don't care. A song to all the inmates and screws and correctional officers on Rikers Island. And it's a subject that rarely is discussed in talk radio annals. But it's something that is very close to me because I've actually been locked up on Rikers Island on a few occasions. I've lectured on Rikers Island to the inmates. I've taught in their school, uh, not for an entire school period, but to just come in and uh, speak to the uh, wayward youth. And uh, I actually did a talk radio program years and years ago for WABC from Rikers when uh, Catherine Abate was the uh, commissioner of uh, corrections for the David Dinkins administration. Yeah, I actually did a program there and the rock, Rikers Island, was out of control. So they had to sort of box me. Uh, I wouldn't call it the bing. I wouldn't call it in segregated uh, custody. I wouldn't call it in punk city protective custody. But they didn't allow many of the inmates to have access to me because it was so out of control. When David Dinkins was the mayor, uh, there was Phil Selig, who was the uh, head of the uh, correctional union. Things were so bad, so chaotic. There was so much anarchy taking place on the Rock in Rikers Island and the other correctional facilities that the correctional officers came out of Rikers Island and took over the island. They took over the bridge that connects it into across Steinway. And it was two days of constant overnight rioting in which there were beatdowns administered to inmates who had uh, been flexing and trying to take over the rock. Oh, it was mad crazy. Mad crazy. And think of it back then. It was 19,000 inmates. 19,000 inmates. There were so many. We were in a crime crisis. 
as uh, we had gone from uh, Ed Koch at the height of the crack cocaine epidemic. And so there were many people being arrested. And remember, Rikers Island and the affiliated correctional facilities, at one time there was the Bronx House south of Yankee Stadium. There was the Queens House of Detention right there in Kew Gardens Hills, right before the Grand Central Parkway. There was the Brooklyn House of Detention downtown right off of Atlantic Avenue. Uh, nothing out in Staten Island that I'm aware of other than a few holding cells in the uh, uh, the court system there. And then, of course, on Manhattan uh, Island, you had the tombs, which eventually became the Bernie Carrick uh, Correctional Facility. And then when Bernie had his problems, uh, ended up doing time on a federal rap, uh, they changed the name from the uh, Bernie Carrick Correctional facility back to the tombs. But it's interesting. At that time, there were 19,000 inmates. In fact, the overcrowding was so great that in the aftermath of the Falcons campaign, you may have remembered that um, Maggie Thatcher, the Iron Lady, summoned the British Royal Navy of the Queen and discharged orders that they were to go uh, sail across the Atlantic Ocean south to the Falcons Islands uh, off of the coast of the Argentines and take it because there were many of their English subjects who were living on the Falcons Island and the Argentines had declared it to be territory of their own country. And at first, it was quite a setback for the Brits because the... uh, Argentines were using French exorcist jets. And they had sunk a few of the uh, British troop carriers and I believe a cruiser and a battleship. Not an aircraft carrier, but they did quite a a bit of damage to the uh, Queen's Navy. But eventually the Brits persevered. And in the aftermath of the Falcons campaign... As Maggie Thatcher, the uh, Iron Lady, was able to have her delegates uh, raise the Union Jack on the Falcon Islands again, uh, taking down the Argentine flag, Ed Koch was looking for more space to house inmates. Now, remember, in Rikers Island, the reason you get assigned to Rikers Island is generally you uh, cannot make bail. Uh, So whether you've gone to a bail bondsman and he tries to put together a package that is affordable even though there's a tremendous risk that has to be taken by people who uh, would generally be putting up their homes, putting up their deeds, putting up their mortgages, putting up uh, the ownership of their property so that you could be bailed out of Rikers Island. But so many people are in Rikers Island because they can't make bail. Uh, They've been sentenced already to crimes committed, and the sentence is a year or less. They do their time in Rikers Island. They don't get shipped upstate to Attica and Ossining, uh, uh, to Demaria, to Auburn, to Elmira, any of the prisons that are still open in the state of New York because Andrew Evilize Cuomo, son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, had closed quite a number of uh, prisons due to attrition. But there now you have... From uh, a high of 19,000, when Ed Koch ended up buying 
two of the Falcon campaign troop carriers. They were nothing but barges, but they were utilized uh, as British troop carriers. So Ed Koch bought a barge that was stationed uh, in the East River. It was on the east side of Manhattan along the FDR Drive, lower FDR Drive, and so one barge for prisoners was uh, kept there. And a second barge was over near the west side highway uh, at about Midtown. And this is where the additional inmates were housed. There is presently a state-of-the-art barge that I believe houses about a 1,000 inmates that's attached to uh, Hunts Point, way out there where the markets for fruits and vegetables and fish and meats are. Way out there. And now imagine, you go from a high of 19,000 inmates to presently the population, as was stated by uh, the president of the uh, correctional uh, correctional union, 5,700. And this was stated on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion of John Katsimatidis and his many guests. So presently, imagine, you had 19,000 inmates on Rikers Island and the affiliated correctional facilities back in the 80s at the height of the crack cocaine epidemic. 5,700 are now housed on Rikers. And the new plan is to try to open up these community jails over my dead body. During my mayoral campaign against Eric Adams, I said, no, no, a thousand times no. It will destroy the quality of life in each and every one of those communities. Staten Island was spared having to have a community jail because of a negotiated settlement that was made with Borough President Jimmy Otto, uh, who was term limited, and he ended up uh, working for... Uh, Eric Adams down at City Hall in some capacity. But there was not to be a a community jail for Staten Island. Instead, and this has been uh, what's been promoted by Brad Lander, who is the uh, very progressive Democratic Socialist Justice Warrior controller of the city of New York from Brooklyn. Brad Lander said, look, we just need a total of 3,400 beds to house prisoners, that's the goal, that's the idea. We've got to continue to release those that have been arrested and those uh, who might normally have had to uh, pay out bail in order to be released from jail. No, 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 restrict that. So they want 4,000 beds across the four boroughs, averaging about 1,000 beds per new community jail. Where's Brad Lander, the Democratic Socialists of America, AOC, all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They're basically saying the total should be a total of 3,400 complete. And you think of Rikers Island itself, that valuable real estate. How many of you have driven past it? How many of you have landed on the tarmac of uh, LaGuardia Airport in which you can reach out and touch Rikers Island. And you thought of all those inmates who had escaped from Rikers Island, because they do from time to time, and they attempt to swim out over to the tarmac. And many of them have failed because of the riptide of the currents, even uh, if a very strong swimmer 
who had the swimming ability of Mark Spitz. Well, Mark Spitz had won, what, seven gold medals at the University of Indiana as a swimming competitor for the United States. Am I correct on that? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Mark Spitz, who uh, was a Jewish American, pretty sure that he uh, was uh, reading Torah and Talmud, a Bucha boy. How did he get to the uh, University of Indiana, Bobby Knight's university, as a swimmer? Inquiring minds want to know. Or you could be like a Johnny Weissmuller who did appear in movies in which he was diving off the Brooklyn Bridge like Steve Brody. Or Buster Crab, who was also an Olympic-style swimmer although best known as a movie actor. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But when you go on to Rikers Island, which is such valuable real estate, I truly believe that the powers to be, they want to knock down every building on Rikers Island, and they want to basically turn it over to real estate interests, many of whom have been wine-dined in pocket line by those big realtors. And let's face it, it's picturesque. If you were living on Rikers Island, you could look out, look to the east, look to the west, look to the north, look to the south. Extraordinarily scenic. There's 411 acres surrounded by water, by water, which is what Rikers Island is. In the meantime, they're in desperate need of correctional officers. So short that many correctional officers, men and women, are working double and triple shifts, which is unconscionable. Other correctional officers are just deciding not to come in on weekends, not to do any duty, to come up with every excuse in the book because their morale is at an all-time low. No doubts about it. And it's so fascinating that people will talk about Rikers Island, they'll talk about the Bronx uh, House of uh, Corrections, House of Detention, which used to be open, but as they build a new community jail in the Bronx, that's what it will be christened. Just like the old jail in Queens, in Kew Gardens, is being replaced by the new community version, like in uh, Brooklyn, where they will have a new jail in Brownsville, never ran, never will, to how the adults but some juveniles who are being arraigned for very serious charges. And remember when you're in uh, Rikers Island, can I have a little Rikers Island, please? A little music maestro in the background. When you're in Rikers Island, there was all kinds of sections, all kinds of tiers. I can remember being housed uh, briefly on C-74. Give a shout out at C-74, C-76. And then there are a number of other buildings that are occupied and active And yet some others that are at the point where you need to take a wrecking ball to them because they provide little, if any, protection from the elements from some of the inmates. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Steve, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Uh, Good morning, sir. Uh, I I retired retired from the New York State Corrections Department years ago. The count you're saying is wrong. The count in 1989 was 27,000. And you forgot the Brooklyn Correctional Facility on Flushing Avenue. That was also an operation at the time. Um, the places you're talking about is MTF1 and MTF2. They're gone. BCBC is still open. That's the one on Hunts Point. 
But the Tombs is closed, Queens House is closed, and Brooklyn House is closed. Now, uh, Steve, did you say that the uh, facility in Hunch Point was called ACDC? No, VCBC, the Vernon Bain, <laughs> Vernon C. Bain Center. Just yeah, a no, joke. That's, that's it, yeah. Just a joke, no, Steve. You. You, you got the joke, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, uh, my father was a tired city transit worker, and he said you were the best. He always uh, gave you a lot of props. He also voted for you, and he sent you money for your campaign. Well, thank you. Now, um, let me ask you this, uh, because you said at the height of incarceration using city correctional facilities, there were 27,000 inmates who were being held, most of them because they couldn't make bail, some who uh, had sentences of a year or less, so they do their time in a city correctional facility, and some who were being housed there awaited to be shipped upstate because their sentence was a year or more, correct? Yes, they also had parole violators also being held there as well. That's right. They're trying to actually dilute uh, the rules and regulations for parole, basically saying, look, so they they got violated. So they violated patrol restriction, parole restrictions. All they got to do is uh, uh, apologize, promise they won't do it again, and we shouldn't be locking them up and then sending them back upstate. But I would disagree with that. I think you have to have a method of controlling some of these inmates when they are in the streets, when they are paroled, when they have been given a second life so they don't have to do their complete time in jail. Um, well, I'd also like to add, I always hear everybody crying about, you know, they need more police, and I, I agree with that completely. But uh, inmates, when they're, you know, when they're in the, in the system, inmates that are deemed mentally ill, they have to take their medication. There's nursing staff there, uh, medical professionals. Uh, they they take their medication, and now, um, of course, in, in such a environment, you're going to always have a lot of uh, a lot of anger issues and uh, physical altercations and stuff like that. That's always going to happen, um, but it's definitely not at the level that it is now. And I believe that a lot of inmates receive care, and um, they they also receive counseling. They also re- would get social services when they left the facility. Nobody ever talks about it. They never say anything. Uh, it wasn't 100%, but anything in this in New York City today or even back then, nothing's 100%. Now, Steve, uh, how do they separate not only the women from the men, but those who identify as females, even though anatomically they may actually be men, they're considered transgenders? What is the housing like for individuals like that who are, if nothing more, in transition? Uh, I speak to a lot. Of, well, first off, when I was working, Whatever you, your sex was when you were born, that's who you were going to be housed with. Um, they had um, homosexual housing. They were separated if an inmate chose to be there. Um, generally, if an inmate wanted to go to general population, they could. But if you were male, you were going to the men's jail. If you were female or you transitioned, you were going to the women's jail. So that, that was always just the way it was. And we also separated the inmates that were... 16 to 18 years old, they went to see 74 ARDC, which is now known as RNDC. Or they, if they were 15 and below, you went to Spofford. And now they have new two new juvenile jails, and they have a lot of trouble there, too. From what I speak to a lot of uh, my former coworkers, at, uh, it's called Horizons, and I forgot what the other one is called. Yeah, one is in uh, Brownsville and one is in the South Bronx, a little north of 149th and 3rd Avenue. They're brand-new facilities. 
Yeah, well, they were appeasing the appeasing the the, the uh, inmates with pizza to try to keep the assault level down. But it, the juvenile justice guys were always assaulted nonstop, constantly, and it was always underreported or never said. And uh, even assaults on correction officers, which is constant, especially now, violence is spiked. You'll never hear about it. They have a federal monitor who makes a lot of money. And, again, it's all squelched, and they constantly try to blame the correction officers for uh, assaults on themselves. That's why um, Benny Basio, he's the uh, Correction Officer Benevolent Association president, and I support him, and he's trying to expose what's going on there, but... You're not really hearing the full story. They they always well. I remember. Uh, I remember the original juvenile facility, which was uh, in Hunts Point, Spotford, which was mm-hmm. next to the monastery for the uh, the nuns who uh, were so pious they didn't even speak. They were like Trappist nuns, uh, and yet right next door was Spotford, where you'd had these uh, juvenile delinquents. Some of them who uh, were doing murder charges or raiding awaiting uh, arraignments or being switched up to juvie facilities upstate New York near Gloversville. Uh, but, yes, Spotford was the hot spot back then. Yes, yes. Um, I'd also like to add one more thing. There was an officer I worked with. Uh, he's long retired. I, I met him recently. Um, he used to talk to the Marine recruiter, and he would get inmate, juvenile inmates that were not of in felonies, and he would speak to the Marine recruiter, and they would join the Marine Corps. I seen him at a retiree uh, retirement at uh, uh, a catering hall in the Bronx, and I asked him, and he got 300 juvenile inmates into the Marines, and they used to write him letters all the time telling him how he changed their lives. And he really helped them. And now, now, now you now you served as a correctional officer, Steve. Uh, from what year to what year? From 1988 to. 2014. Who was the best? Uh, who was the best correctional commissioner that you served under? Uh, uh, Alan Seeliff. He was the best. He was the guy Giuliani hired. He showed up with a cowboy hat. He was. Uh, he was definitely the best. I was there when we took the bridge. I think it was '93. Uh, I remember that, and it was two days, and there was no rioting in the in, on the island until after they announced the use of force directive was revoked. And it was North Facility that went off, which is now known as uh, OBCC. And uh, we had to go in there and quell it. I remember that as well. You know, a lot of people don't realize, um, Steve, that there is an actual school on Rikers Island, not only for young adults, but also adults who might be in need of GED training, correct? Oh, yes, yes. There's uh, Island Academy. Um, all inmates that are, are 16 and 10, 18, state law requires they go to school. All of them go to school, and they attain their GED as long as they're there. Regular um, uh, also has a uh, – they have a bakery. They have a power plant. Uh, inmates work at the bakery. They make bread and things like that. They make mattresses. Uh, there's a tailor shop. The female inmates work there. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things that – you know, um, even when Giuliani was there, he had a – Giuliani was there and when Bloomberg was there. He also had immigration to have their own uh, trailer on the island because we get a lot of illegal aliens. And, immigra- and immigration would come and pick up inmates to deport them. So they – but uh, they stopped that. They closed the trailer and it's gone. So, 
And then finally, uh, in reference uh, to uh, the uh, housing of inmates and their discipline and the safety that the correctional uh, officers needed, uh, how did you rate Bernard Carrick as a uh, the head of the Department of Corrections? Oh, no, I thought uh, uh, Mr. Carrick, um, he really was a forward thinker. He started the gang intelligence unit, which is uh, known as the CIA of gang intelligence. Um, all over the world, uh, FBI would come. I knew the head who, who ran the GIU, and they used to give symposiums to the FBI. Um, all all police departments would always call the island, and the, the phone in GIU never stops ringing because inmates call up to, you know, uh, to talk about other inmates and plots and things that they hear. So uh, Carrick started that. Carrick started taping inmate phone calls, um, and he would share with the uh, ADAs in each borough in the city, and they were able to get convictions from that. And there was big signs where the inmates would talk. Your phone calls are being uh, recorded, but they would still talk about crimes anyway, and even jury tampering, and that would come up as well. I worked also in... Uh, transportation so i'm familiar with that well do appreciate it steve you've given us a tremendous overview of the department of corrections for the city of new york both uh as uh it existed in the past with a high of twenty-seven thousand inmates i stand to be corrected and where we are now with five thousand seven hundred inmates in which it appears there's a lot of michigas a lot of chaos and a lot of anarchy where a lot of the gangs rule the tears, the Bloods, the Crips, MS-13, Trinitarios, the Dominican gang, and any of the thugs and thugettes who think that they're in charge, that they're the boss, not the horse. Huh. That's, that certainly wasn't the way it was when Michael Bonacic uh, of the city of New York, Rudy Giuliani, was the mayor and appointed Bernard Carrick, who I've... I felt it an outstanding job. It would behoove Eric Adams to talk to Bernard Carey.